So a couple of these people's names came up during the H2O podcast, and I decided I'd give them a call and see if they'd be interested in talking a little bit about their time spent with H2O. And I'm going to call this episode Branches of Our Tree, because these people are a big part of H2O's career, and they're part of our roots and our history and our family tree. So the callers are going to be Mark Holloway, used to be our tour manager, Vaughn Lewis, used to be our manager, Heinz Haydell, who signed us to MCA, Matt Wallace, who produced us, our album Go, on MCA, Bill Wilson, who signed us to Blackout Records, and Chris Bridge Nine, who signed us to Bridge Nine Records. Enjoy. Yeah, we got Todd Friend on the phone right now. Todd Friend, can you tell us how long it took us to do each record, starting now? Go, TF. The first record took three days, <laughs> and the third day was a party, basically. The Thicker Than Water record, that took four days, but we had to remix a few things with the drums later on. And then uh, by the time we did that, that took about a week. SCCW was January of 1999 with Brett Gerowitz. We did that for about a week. And then the fourth record go, as you guys spoke about yesterday, we were there in California at Rumble Studios on and off for about two weeks and then back for another two weeks. And then nothing to prove. That took about two days for drums and bass and guitars. And then probably another, would it, when, how, how long did it take you to do the vocals for that? Do you remember? Like three that days, one? three days. Three days, yeah. And then for Use Your Voice, I believe that was about four or five days for all the tracking and then you came in you went you and adam flew to chad's studio right in tennessee yep and how long did that take like a week about a week yeah yeah so that's it the first the first record was done we we did it at uh brial studio the first two records we did brial studios right outside the hollow tunnel and then coyote was ftcw rumbo was for Rumbo Studios was for Go, which was owned by Captain and Tennille. And then the last few records, Use Your Voice, or the last three records we did out with Paul Miner at Orange, out in Orange. Eric Rice. Yo, what up, homie? Mr. Rice on the phone. So your name came up a bunch during our H2O podcast. Uh, which would be coming, oh, shit. which would be coming out soon. So <laughs> so many memories. Um, so what I did was I called a bunch of people um, to add to this podcast. People who are part of our lives, part of the branches of the tree, part of H2O's career. And um, you were the first. You were um, you were the first bass player. That's right, man. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how how do we meet you? How do we how do we meet you? How did that happen? You know, well, I know I originally met you. Uh, play, you were roadie for sick of it all. Yep. And I, I was playing with zero tolerance. ZT, yes. Yeah, we we would, you know, sick of it all. Bless zero tolerance very much, and got us on a lot of cool shows. Yeah. With them and uh, and uh, that that honestly was my link to meeting a lot of people in different New York bands. Yeah. Over the years and. You know, they they were they were definitely the first band to to you know dig dig zero tolerance music and, yeah. and actually 
help us out and give us, you know, give us a little boost. Yeah, for sure. I remember, I remember those shows actually. A lot of those shows are like upstate, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are awesome. So then, when did you end up moving to? You moved down to the city. What year was that? You remember? So that was probably like '92. I want to say. Okay. Maybe '91, right? Or some somewhere in there in that time frame in between those yeah 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 what were you, who were you, um, who were you playing with somebody at the time so i you know i i left buffalo just i i wasn't i was at a dead end there and i just yeah. was bumming me out and you know i was just getting in trouble and doing yeah. dumb stuff yeah. so to put my life in check and 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 follow the music thing you know i yeah uh, you know i left and, and went to new york you know knowing a few people i knew you know the guys in sick of it all. You a little bit. Yep. Um. You know, and a few other bands that we had played with. Uh, yeah. You know, a couple of the guys in Gorilla Biscuits. Yep. You know, I knew uh, Gavin from Burn. Yep. And so at first, when I moved to New York, I linked up with Gavin. Okay. And uh, Burn was kind of doing a, a re. A little, uh, I don't want to say reunion because yeah. I don't know if it like the band broke up technically. I, you know, I don't even know the inner politics of what happened yeah, totally. with them and, and you know Alex and and uh, um, you know and whatnot. But uh, but I started playing with them, you know, and then that subsequently turned into you know a great friendship with Chaka as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we ended up uh, with Chris Trainer and uh, you know making Orange Nine Millimeter as well. That's right. That's um, right. So were you in Orange Nine Millimeter for a while? Were you in that band for a while? No, no. Actually, it was a really short time. Okay. Um, we, we recorded that. Uh, you know, played a couple shows right quick. And yeah. Recorded uh, a four-song. Uh, little short et on uh, revelation yeah and then and then i i left um and yeah they they got another guy named davide oh yeah davide that's right that's well. right and, uh, dude the dreads yeah, yeah and, i remember uh, him. and whatnot and you know i had some things going on in my life that just i needed to deal with and focus on and totally my mind wasn't totally totally with it with them so so then, um, so then, when did when did we link up? Like, how did that happen? Because we had Max Capshaw. Were you friends with him too, or you met him when you with us? I met Ma I knew Max via via Sick of It All. Okay, that's right. Know. That's right. So I didn't really know him. Know him? Yeah. I, I more knew him as the guy in Sick of It All that had the mullet. Yeah, that's um, right. He played for them for a little while. That's right. <laughs> and Armand left. That's right. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> mullet. <laughs> but. Uh, so I was still bumming around New York a little bit before I linked up with you. Yeah. I was actually uh, jamming with uh, Charlie Gariga and Derek yeah. Green nice. and uh, and Sammy for a minute there. And okay. We actually had something real cool going, but then Siv, you know, popped off with Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sammy and, you know, Derek ended up being Sepultura and all That's that. crazy, and, man. And and uh, and I ended up linking up with you guys. Perfect. That's awesome. And w what year was that? That must have been like '95, I guess, right? 
yeah, either 94, 95. Yeah, for, or yeah. Younger, yeah, yeah. But then we had, so you played our first show with us, though. It was with Max on drums. Or was that on that yeah. first show? Yeah. yeah. And was it Maddie? Well, I remember, I, I think I was just ran into you down on the street. I ran into you and Rusty, and uh, I think I had my zero tolerance hat on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, even though this was long after zero, not long after, but shortly yeah. after zero talent, and uh, and you were like, "Hey, what are you, you know? What are you doing now?" And I, you know, I didn't have anything going on, so you were like, "Well, mate, try to come jam with us." Damn. And, uh, and I did, and it was really cool. That's it awesome. Was, you know, I, I I really had no idea what to expect of what you guys had already song written wise. Yeah. You know, you told me you guys only had a few songs, but yeah. You know, and uh, that was my first time meeting Rusty too. And I want to say that Two Hips was hanging out with us that day. I'm too. sure, I'm sure, man. Rest in peace, Two Hips. Yeah. Wow, man. So then we started just jamming, yeah, and like doing songs and stuff. Was that before we made the demo? We, we didn't have nothing out or nothing right at that point. Yeah, we didn't have anything. We didn't yeah. Even, we I think we made a tape the first. Okay. You know, maybe we we did we do had a demo songs right off the rip or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I remember Maddie Boy was playing too. Yeah, but he yeah he was playing a six string or something 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 wild. Rusty was saying that the other day, like he was playing some sort of uh, I forgot what he was playing. He played the first show with us for sure. That's right, and maybe the second show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we had a demo tape with uh, "Go on it" and "Here Take on Tomorrow," I think, and "Mask" and something else, yep, man. Yep. Um, yeah, I love that baseline. Everybody listening. Um, Smokey wrote the bass line for uh, I love the bass line for Here They Gone Tomorrow. <laughs> so good. So that, yeah, that, that was great. Yeah, that was, I think that was in our first practice. Yeah. In the first or second practice, we wrote that song. Wow. You know, and then, and then, and then Rusty threw the, the you know, the other, the, the other riff in there. And yeah. Then, and then we, me and Rusty definitely started vibing off each other real good as far as like songwriting and stuff. And, yeah. you know, he always had really good melodies and for sure, you know, I know vocal little melodies to link you to what you had, you know, but totally. also, you know, and then came up with cool little hooks. Like I remember when we wrote, uh, what was that song? I know why. Right. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a little bass hook in and a little, just some little, little th- dynamics that made it a little more than, than what it was. Yeah. It's fucking crazy, dude. And then with the demo, then we had the seven inch with equal vision. That was the first release pretty much. Yep. 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 And then did you, did we do some tours? We did some crazy tours, man. Some wild fucking, yeah, yeah, we, I mean, we're, you know, when I was playing with you guys, it was mostly the tri-state area. Totally. Where, um, yeah. Occasionally we'd bust out, you know, and then we went on the tour with the Boston's. Great tour, man. And we went out with Shelter as yeah, well. Yeah, so Doggy Dog, um, I mean, a downset, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are crazy tours, um, man. Yeah, they're fun as hell, man. And that blue bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember getting pulled over somewhere, too. You were driving us. I don't know the way that was, though. Fuck. That was Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I definitely, <laughs> I don't want to say I don't have a lead foot anymore, but I, I've hopefully learned to control it a little better than I Yeah, used you used to. to drive crazy fast. I remember that. 
I just always been a little bit of an aggressive driver, I suppose. Yeah, Rusty is too. Um, <laughs> well, you did the tours when we were in the vans. Did we get in the, the van with Isaac came with us in the back of the van with Maddie Boy? Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, like the cargo yeah, van. Yeah, the Lotus van. Yeah, the car. Yeah. <laughs> Lotus tattoo van. Oh, my God, dude. Those <laughs> yeah, are fucking awesome. That was amazing. And so, I remember being cold as a motherfucker back there, though. It really was, dude. It was like no yeah. paneling, no nothing in that shit. Yeah. And then the Boston shit, that was really great for us. That was like a great... Those dudes were so nice to us. It was such a great audience and fucking... Yeah. Really great that shows with them. took it to the next level, for sure. For sure. Even the sh- Shelter Downset. They definitely... Was, go ahead. Yeah, they, they had such a different, diverse crowd than, than we would have ever had access to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Um, it was really cool too because I remember they had so many bands that that uh, you know, almost every other show there was a different band opening up to besides us. Yeah, that's true. Local or regional act. Yeah. So they always looked out, man. They're definitely good dudes. Yeah. Um. So that that went up to what ninety? Because you weren't you you that was up to like ninety six. Right? How long were you with us for? How many years yeah. was that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think '96. Was yeah, yeah. So it was right w- before. It was right before you guys went out on tour with Murphy's Law. Go figure. Oh my God! What a great tour you've been on. That's I might just... not have been able to survive that one. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> or I, I might have joined Murphy's Law instead. Oh my God, dude! Yeah, that was that was an amazing tour. I came to get Jimmy on this podcast. That shit was crazy, man. It was a really fun tour, man. Um. Yeah, do, my, my daughter wants to say something right quick. Okay. Hi. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> um, how old is she now? She's 11. Wow, amazing, man. It's crazy. Like, we all have kids. Like, we're all dads. We're all gray. We're all old. It's so wild, man. Oh, <laughs> my God, man. dude. Everybody's spread out now. Not really. Not many people in New York now. It's like, it's crazy, yeah, man. That's just how life is, man. No, like, I know. You know. Yeah. People, people move around, following the money, following the family. Yeah. For those who listen, I mean, Eric's an uh, ma- amazing tattoo artist. How many years are you tattooing now for? Uh, this is my 21st year. Wow, dude. That's crazy because yeah. H2O is together 25 years this year. That's fucking yeah. crazy, man. Well, I left when I went down to Miami, you know, right after that. Yeah. I was, I was hanging out with... Uh, you know, like Darren Brass and yeah, yeah. and some of those guys that we we kind of knew just from up in New York. Totally, Connecticut. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Bunch of people down there. So there I was. What? What? what <laughs> I mean, you were always drawing shit too. Like you always like. I think. Yeah, you, I was always being artistic. Yeah. And then doing stuff. So what was um, that? What was that transition like for you? Like to stop playing music and then. And then start doing that. Did you miss playing? It was weird, you know. Yeah. I definitely miss playing music a lot. But, yeah. Uh, you know, moving to Miami and and starting to do that, I almost felt like it was like me going to college, kind of. And I just yeah. needed to buckle down and and just figure my shit out with that, and you know, yeah, and just completely hone myself in that direction, and and that's what I did. Yeah. And now now I'm up in Atlanta. Years later, I have two shops with a couple of my good friend and partners and uh doing awesome that's amazing we, we still see when we come to town and like all of us are still connected even though even though we don't see each other all the time and where we come to each, each yeah, other's man, city and yeah. so it's awesome yeah i love when you guys roll up man 
fortunately, you know, I've, I, one of my shops is next to the venue you guys have played, and you know, yeah. <laughs> or, or or so close near. You know, it's like yeah walk to the show together or hang out. i know it's awesome i love i love when you had the band tattoo you too and i think you did that with sick of it all too right and some other bands oh sick of it all i got john joseph's hit me up mackie's tattooed me wow uh i've had uh scott vogel's tattooed me <laughs> nice. um, uh human furnace from ringworms got wow me. uh i got i got a pretty nice collection that's of, amazing uh, man Probably, probably my most the most amateur tattoos I have are probably from Armand though. Armand is a he's a go getter, <laughs> overachiever. Oh shit! Has he tattooed you more than once? <laughs> he's tattooed me multiple times. No way! That is yeah. so funny, man. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, um, when bands come to town through where where Eric's at, we should go to shop and we all we all take turns tattooing him. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> hey um, man, you know it's it's uh, it's. Uh, I don't know. It's the mark is is indelible to me. However shitty the tattoo might be or whatever, just because all these people, they, they I feel like they've, you know, helped write the soundtrack of my life. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. It's, so it's it just means a lot to me. I love that. I love that man. I think that's that's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's not about how good it is. It's the fact that they put it on you and it means something and the connection there. For yeah. Sure. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's hilarious to see someone get really, really, really nervous. Hell yeah. The second they're about to stick a needle in you. <laughs> <laughs> people, are, people get, they get real stoked. Like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill it. And then as soon as you're about to lay it down, it's like, oh, shit. It's such it's a different animal. It's different, than, it's different than anything you ever do. It's like, it's so hard. It's yeah. easier said than done. It's just when you have the gun in your hand. I've done it on a couple of people. It's just so nerve wracking, man. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. if you feel like you're stabbing them or you're hurting them or like, yeah, going too deep. It's like, that's amazing though, man. I'm psyched for you, man. You totally like went from playing music to a whole different career and stuff. It's pretty awesome. I've been truly blessed with a great life for sure. Yeah, and now you have two shops. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Do you feel what? What, what do you think? Yeah. Your, what do you think? Your, what do you think your connection was in the first place to hardcore music? I mean. I mean, growing up, was it around you? Was it through friends or school? Like, you know, I, uh, I, 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 uh, where I grew up was in downtown Buffalo. Yeah. And, um, you know, I grew up and definitely heavy metal was like the the thing, and I was really into that. And then I, I remember I, my mom worked for the airlines, and I had cousins down in Florida, and I would go down there during the summers for a few weeks and hang out down there. So I would have a glimpse of other, other things going on. Yeah. But, uh, I remember I left for a summer and I don't remember exactly what year this was, but everyone in my neighborhood was in the metal and rock and all this. And I left and I came back and all of a sudden like break dancing happened. Yeah. Came out, yeah. DMC and a bunch of shit. And I totally missed the memo. And you know, I kind of <laughs> got into that, but at the same time, I didn't totally see where that, you know, how, how that fit in right off the bat. Yeah. But just growing up in an urban environment, eventually it just steered me more towards hardcore just because Yeah. I think it was just more relatable. It was the lyrics were about real life issues yeah, and not Totally. You know, not but you 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 always a hip hop head though still though. We always like connected on hip hop oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah. I yeah. Especially we got to live in New York in that time too, and it was so. Yeah, dude, that was the best hip hop ever. I mean, ever. Hip hop is to me. 
Yeah, and going to those clubs and just <laughs> hear it in the streets and people in the cars and just like it was just it was the best time in the '90s to be part of that and the hardcore scene too for yeah. sure. You know, like I feel like it connected oh, sure. it connected in its own way. Um, but you were never like were you, ever, were you ever a straight edge kid when you were younger? No. You know, I was for for a second. You were. A second. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> what years? It, it just it, it just wasn't for me. Yeah. Uh, probably probably like eighty seven. Nice. Yeah. Um. The prime of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, a year went by. Uh, me and this other guy broke up with our girlfriends, and we got a twelve pack and went behind <laughs> the building and got sloshed. <laughs> um, oh shit! Whatever. That's but, uh, amazing, yeah, dude. It just, it just, it it just wasn't my thing. Totally. But throughout the years, hey, I've somehow been magnetized to lots of straight edge people. Throughout For the sure. Years. For sure, man. Uh, yeah. Common interests. Yeah. Music and yeah. Life in general is steered cross cross my paths with many great straight edge people. For sure. I, I, Adam, Adam, Adam said too, like when he was a kid, he would love getting drunk and like listening to Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits. Like he was the shit. Like he just, he loved the music. He wasn't, it, was, it wasn't just about, you know, he had to be straight edge. He loved that shit so much, you know? Yeah, you know. I, it's great I've music. I've always been a partier or whatever. Yeah. I think one of my funniest, one of the funniest things I've, I've noticed over the years of when I was playing music was, uh, you know, Shelter took out Zero Tolerance on tour too. Wow. And, uh, you know, they also, we did a couple little short tri-state things with them with, I think, Burn or, and Orange 9mm. Yeah. And I just, <laughs> every time I would show up to the first show where these guys would be, I'd see the look on their faces like, oh my God, this fucking guy is in the band again. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Shit. I love that. <laughs> oh my god. That's fucking funny. And and I, wasn't the singer from um Zero Tolerance kind of Krishna conscious too, right? Yes, he was. He yeah, was yeah, a yeah. Yeah. Um, at one point and uh Yeah, he was very much into it. And, and what is that guy doing now, you think? He is, I want to say, in Arizona and we speak loosely here and there nice. on uh, social media. Yeah. Uh, I want to say he is a border patrol agent. Oh wow! Or some some sort of law enforcement. Yeah, agent. yeah, yeah. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. So, but he's doing good. We, you know, he's got a family and stuff. Who's real involved in sports and traveling with that, and and he he was always real into sports as well. So yeah, I know he's loving that and loves traveling around doing that with his kids. That's awesome. Do Do you feel like Do you feel like that you've instilled some of the values that you got from being a punk rock kid or hardcore kid into being a father? It translates. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you can't, to me, I don't, I wouldn't even know how to differentiate the two. Yeah, I guess from so. Each other. I mean, it's like, you being the hardcore scene is such a community and, you know, you, that's valued so highly in that community, you know? Is, yeah the family and you know respect and uni unity friends, yeah know, and individuality yeah, yeah. countless songs of you know whether it's you know helping your friends out to rat pack in someone you know? yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah 
it's literally all about, you know, going all the way for your brother, you know, hundred percent or sister. <laughs> and just like standing up for yourself, being, being, being individual, all that stuff, you know, fighting against racism, all that stuff that we learned about through that. I feel like we got more of an education in, in the scene that we did if we went to college. I feel like we learned so much from just the <laughs> bands and the music and the lyrics. And Yeah, I mean, I mean, the late 80s, mid-80s were crazy, at least up in Buffalo, as far as, like, racism and, yeah. you know, white power skinheads and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, that was, the scene was infested with that. Yeah. I think I, very I think visible and very uh, very confrontational. Yeah, I think I was actually there in a riot. Was sick of it all as it was a road. It was like infamous something happened in Syracuse. It was up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, forgot about it that. It was yeah. crazy with helicopters and and police and like it was and like a huge thing broke off and it was just yeah, it was so many Nazis yeah. there. It was so weird. It's such of the a river rock. Yeah, it's such a weird place up there to like be so close to New York. Well, not really, but still, you th- when you think of New York, you yeah. don't think about the whole state. Sometimes you forget this like. Up in those woods, this yeah, country, there's all yeah. this shit. You always say just New York City, but like, yeah, man, this shit's fucking. That was crazy. I remember that back then. Um, that 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 venue is in one of the sketchiest neighborhoods of. Well, maybe not so much anymore. In yeah, Buffalo, but it, it was a sketchy, like some serious white trash going on over there. And, yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember that right vividly. Yeah. It started off just a couple guys, and then I turned his yeah things at Big John, who was the bouncer at the time. Yeah, and, uh, I was sick of it all show. And then it just went off from there, dude. So, um, I was gonna ask you, was gonna ask you about after that. Oh, you, do do you pick up the bass from time to time and jam out on shit, or? Yeah, I do. I got a little acoustic too. Me and my awesome. daughter jam out. And, uh, yeah, you know, get down here and there. I'm trying to convince her to. Start making some music with me, so hopefully she can. Oh, that's awesome! That. That's awesome! Yeah, yeah. she like she loves I mean, music. It's so too. easy now, you know. I mean, with all these like apps and GarageBand on your phone and stuff, is like there's really no excuse not to do anything like that with your kid or whoever. I know it's super super easy to like be. I'm like I'm recording right now on this thing called a Focus, right? I guess I, you can use mm-hmm. you can record music on here. I do it through GarageBand. It's like. I'm yeah, yeah. learning as I go along, but it's super awesome. And um, <coughs> Jamie Jossett has sent me this focus right in the mail. He's like, you doing a podcast? You need one of these. He sent it to me. It was super nice. Um, uh-huh. awesome. but, but yeah, man. So we have a lot of memories together. Like those first shows were awesome. That was nerve wracking. It was exciting. The limelight shows were rancid. Lunatics, that Boston's tour, yeah, yeah. the freaking shelter tour. So many great memories. And back then it was cool. Yeah, to, Europe tour too. I oh, that's I right. Forget that one. Who are we with on that? I really one? forget the I mean, who, I, uh, sick and sick of it all. Oh my god! Like the six-week tour, that shit was and crazy. With, and then every weekend we'd meet up in a big city or fest with Crown of Thorns. That's right, dude. That's so cool to be yeah. traveling back then and like not really having phones and then running into your friends in different countries. Shit was amazing, oh, dude. Amazing. Dude, you're you know, right. That was so much fun. I lived, I lived for those because then I had some smoking buddies. Yeah, Hoya Rock. That's <laughs> right. Oh my God, <laughs> that's right. You were like only smoke. Yo, his name. Just so you know, Eric Rice's name was Smokey. That motherfucker could smoke, man. Oh my God. Do you remember we lived in Jersey? I, still can. I know. I still can. Remember we lived in Jersey City in the Jersey City house? Oh my God. Or John, oh, man. John that Mark lived there. Off. Oh my God, yeah, that dude. Was the shit. Dude, we pay like a thousand bucks for a house. That shit's probably so much money now. I can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah the John. Yeah, that, I'm, it's crazy. It's probably it's probably all uh, 
I doubt it's the same neighborhood though. You know, paying for yeah. yeah, who knows what that neighborhood is now? And then I haven't been there in years. And then John Mark, who lived there, who was became he's in Stone Sour now and still playing music. Yeah, he's blowing up. Dude, got crazy sideburns. He changed his name to like Johnny Chow or something, or yeah, yeah, yeah it's all. He, he still, just opened that. He just opened a huge restaurant bar in Buffalo called Masudo Chow's. No way, dude. Awesome. That's fucking yeah. awesome. Wow. When you, when you pass through there, you have to get. He'll he'll bring you through there. Okay. It's like a video game bar, and they have uh, what looks like awesome food. I haven't. Dude, that's there awesome. Yet, but because I'll that be guy in there that, next time I'm there. That guy's been grinding with music for such a long time. It was so awesome to see. He was in Stone Sour, and like my brother just played some yeah, shows with them in Europe. Man. Yeah, dude, he's fucking great musician, great person, and I was that's really yeah. awesome. Um, because Todd Morris was just yeah, we played some shows with him. Fucking wild, man. Um, yeah, yeah, he he definitely toughed it out for the long haul and uh, you know made it work. So he's still in Buffalo. That's pretty amazing. He has a restaurant. That's fucking. It's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, you know he was in California. He was in L.A. for that's a while, right. But I think yeah. you know it just made more financial sense for him to you know relocate his family and stuff yeah. to there and 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 save the money he was making. Oh to hell yeah! Place he's got yeah instead of. You know, just blowing it. You know, yeah. On, on living. Yeah, for sure. It's, yeah, for sure. It gets expensive for sure. That's great. I'm stoked for him too. Um, it's pretty wild how everybody just. It's cool, man. It's. I, I'm psyched for all my friends. Everybody's doing good things because you know who knew it was going to happen back then and where we're going to end up. You know, so it's. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I definitely. Uh, you could see where a lot of people would have fallen astray that that have done very well. Yeah. It's pretty amazing, and we're, and we're all still connected, and and we're growing old together in a sense. Um, yep. It's pretty amazing, but uh, yeah. All right, well, I think that's good. I think we touched on a lot of shit here. I'm I'm really stoked that you you were part of H2O's um, beginnings and the the branches of the tree and all that shit, man. It was so much fun. We had crazy time on tour. It was wild, um, dude. <laughs> you remember? I think you remember shit. I don't, I don't know. Fuck, man. I'm thinking about Manchester. Oh yeah, and we had to fight with the security They're with them. Bringing up all these riots. Yeah, and that's gonna be going to have sick of it all. One, but we came we came running outside at this festival or some show, and they were bootlegging scratch the surface shirts, and we came running out. It was me, me, you, Craig, I don't know who else, Rusty, and um, I think you had a pipe or something. I don't know what happened, but do you have a pipe or something, American? No. <laughs> I had a jar of mayonnaise. I thought I had the mayonnaise. <laughs> no, I had the mayonnaise. Really. You had something else. Oh my god! I, I thought think I... you had the silver cheese platter. Oh yeah, I thought I had the mayonnaise. Holy shit! <laughs> and we came outside to like step, to basically step to these bootleggers, and there was so many of them, dude. It was fucking crazy. Yeah. And we just came out. I got caught out there for a second, yeah. And then when I ran back up, I guess Craig didn't realize it was me. I think he thought I was another attacker, and he just wrecked me <laughs> with a pipe or something. Or... With that pipe, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, right, right, dude center of my torso oh my god dude and then like that night there was then that we found it was like they were like oh you, you fucked with you know the manchester locals and they were throwing like kegs at our at our bus remember that and we like they roached on the side yep, of our bus yep. and we're like we thought they'd come to the next show all over like bootleg t-shirts it's fucking crazy man because I, I feel like yeah back i remember there was like bomb threats at the following show we yeah cordon off like a uh i remember we cut down a bunch of barbed wire and made like a, a fort. <laughs> made like a walkway that we could retreat down. Holy and, and shit! And had rocks and bricks 
on all the way back and different weapons we could uh, fall back upon. Oh my god, that shit was crazy because we never really experienced bootleggers before. We're like fresh, just just going to Europe, kind of like first tour, and like people bootlegging your merchandise. We came, it was crazy, man. I still have one of those shirts. You do, shirt, dude. Shirt. You gotta send me a picture and, uh, of it, dude. I'm gonna post it. That's it. It's the it's the whole the tour like. It's the tour of 95, but it's all shows and dates and cities we never played. <laughs> it has us going to Russia and, like, Prague, you know. Holy shit, really? Yeah. Wow. Really that was cool shirt. Dude, just think about being on tour for, like, six weeks right now. It fuck gives me anxiety. But back then, it was awesome. We really knew responsibilities. <laughs> we just jump in the bus and went. Yeah, it was I mean, fucking awesome. Dude, it was vacation, man. It's yeah. Life, man. Yeah. I mean, life was rough back then for a minute because playing music it's like you couldn't keep a normal job no you can't tour and no. do all that and no a lot of sacrifices and then and living in new york whew, that ain't cheap it's not cheap so that was a great getaway man that was pretty amazing man that was uh yeah. insane we used to s- smash all kinds of shit and you know, remember back then we had no phones <laughs> they had no phones so we would go into the venues and we would use that we would use their like dial we use their like the phone and we call home from there and like yeah, yeah. they're like oh call shit home. Then we get in trouble from booking age. You guys are running up bills in different countries and different fucking venues. Oh my god, well, dude! In the US, I had the little phone dialer. Yeah, yeah, we get those from Radio Radio Shack, it and you like make the sound of the quarter going down the yeah payphone. That was the shit back then. That was a lifesaver. Technology. Yeah, they would somehow rig it so it sounded like quarters. I remember like using it sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes the operator goes, "Excuse me, sir, can you use real yeah, real you money?" Did it too fast. Yeah. You did, it, you did it faster than any human could drop a quarter in there, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you got to slow it down. And then they'd be like, then I'd be like, oh my gosh, shit, they're tracking this fucking phone. That was crazy, man. Way before <laughs> fucking the iPhone and the FaceTime and all the shit we have now and Skype and all that shit. It's so, it's so different now. So yeah, different. Um, it is crazy. Life is, life is crazy. The, I mean, our kids will never know life without social media and phones like we had we were outside we were building shit we were breaking shit skating hang, yeah. just hanging in the streets with boom boxes if, if, if people were videoing all this shit we did woo, oh my god yeah, we'd probably all be in jail while we're <laughs> it was crazy back then it's, yeah imagine phones back yeah. then holy shit dude we witnessed so much crazy shit all around the world dude it's fucking wild man yeah um well, awesome. Well, you, you. I, I want to end. With, I want to end with this story. You had a great story that um, the other day, you, you, you commented on a post that I made about me getting out of ca- getting out of cab, and me and Muth both saw. we like, and we didn't, we didn't remember the story. But you had this amazing story because you knew me, you knew me and Moon back then. Um, so hang on one second. I'm gonna, right, hang on. Yeah, man. Yeah. So t- can you tell me that story you told me because it, you literally texted it to me, and I started reading it to Moon, and I started crying walking to the doctors. It was amazing. <laughs> well, I wasn't trying to make you cry. But no, I know. You got emotional about it. Dude. It is a good story. And, uh, you know, I, I was surprised you didn't remember it. But, but then again, when you're in the moment, I don't think you realize sometimes, like, how much a moment weighs sometimes. And Yeah. You know, yeah, we, we, were, uh, we were riding in a cab coming from someone. Uh, MCA Records. MCA someone. Records. Was it MCA? Oh, no, it was, or Hans and, or something. Uh, yeah, we got a bunch of free CDs. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, and we were—I you know, think we were heading down to Generation Records. Or something, <laughs> yeah. but we, were, we were pretty far. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to go into details about that. Word. Uh, but but yeah, we were uptown by Central Park or some somewhere by there, and 
I remember we were passing through, I, I forget the name of the little roundabout or square. It's 59th Street and Broadway. Yeah, Columbus Circle, uh, maybe? Yeah, yeah, Columbus, exactly. Okay. Columbus Circle. So we're, so we're, we're going around the roundabout, and we see Moon sitting on the curb. And I was she just seemed totally out of place. Yeah. We didn't know what she was doing up there or whatnot. And, um, but clearly, you know, you, you guys had a lot of history and we're hanging out, and, yeah. you know, and friends and stuff. And, and just, I, I don't know, to me, and I think everyone else in the whole scene, it was really obvious that you guys were really into each other. Yeah. But I think to you guys, I mean, maybe it wasn't so obvious. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Maybe no one was wanting to push it, or yeah. But Moon Moon was about to get married to another guy. Yeah, I forget that guy's name. Uh Mike Rankwood. Uh, Mike Rankwood is a pro pro snowboarder. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I want to say she was getting ready to fly out. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, I As you said, the yeah. Details. But uh, we were just driving past, and you're like, "Oh, there's Moon," and I was like, "Dude, you go get out of the car, dude. You got to go get her." <laughs> like, really really we were stuck at a red light i was like dude i was like you guys love each other like who are we kidding it's so obvious like go go get your lady dude what are you doing wow and you did you jumped out of the car and you went over there and you guys hugged each other kissed and i witnessed that via the rear view of the of the cab and and then you guys lived happily ever after <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing man pretty awesome yeah it's just those moments those like small little moments in life i guess that like i could have lost that connect right there i could have just not ever said something i was too late or you know what i mean i mean i'm sure you guys would have ran into each other again but i'm pretty sure she was going to fly out to go meet dude seattle married yeah yeah Wow, man, that's fucking crazy. And it's crazy. It was just so randomly we saw her in a cab in in Manhattan, the, one of the biggest cities in the world, and we see her like, "Fuck, man." I, I, no, wanna... I don't. I don't. Sometimes I don't like the idea of destiny because it makes you feel like you're out of control. But then you have a moment like that that will throw throw that all out the window and and make you make you a believer in destiny. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thanks, thank, thank you for encouraging me that day to go, go fucking, go to my lady and fucking let her know what, like that I love her and that, you know what I mean? That's amazing. Fuck. Yeah, I'm really glad that like it didn't turn into some volatile relationship because then I would have felt really bad and responsible. <laughs> 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 no, it fucking worked out perfectly, man. Fucking, it's amazing. Life is life is I'm very lucky. So. That's awesome. We had that moment together with you in the cab, and we were coming from and seeing her. That's that's a moment in time that could that that could have changed everything if I didn't. You know, well, who now knows? I know why why I was there, so I could remind you all these years later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally, man. So. Fuck, man. That, that story really, really <laughs> choked me up the other day, man. It really did. I I just because we were it's confused. A good one, man. Yeah. It, like, it literally like that was like. It was now or that never. And Yeah. You know, Should have got off the pot. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. made it happen, dude. Yeah. yeah. Fuck, man. Well, Eric Rice, I appreciate yeah. you. I appreciate yeah. my li- I appreciate my life. I'm happy you're doing great. Um, you have your daughter. You're fucking tattooing. Every time we see you, it's fucking awesome. And even though we don't live near each other, we're still connected, and we have a lot of history together. And um, I appreciate you yeah, being, part, always, being part of my life, you know? Um, Me too, man. And uh, 
hopefully I'll see you sooner than later. Yeah, hopefully get out here, man. I will, brother. And um, Come I appreciate. I appreciate. Come on out to Southern Star Tattoo. Come get tatted up. Yeah, go see him. Um, <laughs> and and what and uh, yeah, man. Well, thank you, thank you so much. I appreciate your time today too. Always, brother. All right, now I'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to you in the real world off the, when I get off this when I off this thing, this recording. <laughs> All right, dog. Love you, brother. Peace. All right, love you, brother. Peace. Bye. You know, I got so Maddie boy. I got you on the phone today because. Your name came up a lot in the uh, H2O podcast today. Uh, one, because you're one of the original members of H2O. And two, um, Mark Holloway, our tour manager, had a great story about you. I guess you were driving across country in the van with him, and he was playing like all this hardcore and punk stuff. And, and you were like, yo, yo, you, you don't have to listen to all that. We, you know, we listen to all the time. He's like, you listen, to, you listen to like Billy Joe and Fleetwood Mac and started naming all these bands that like, that like Mark, that Mark had grown up loving, but thought he had to like, just because he got into punk, he thought it wasn't cool to listen to us anymore. And like, actually Mark Holloway's first concert was a Billy Joe concert. And he said that you saying to that him stuck with him his entire life. This one conversation with you in the van actually changed his life to like not be afraid to listen to what he likes to listen to. And he didn't have to listen to hardcore all the time. Yeah, like he talked about you so much on the on his uh, interview. It was amazing. Do you remember that time? Do you remember that moment or not? Yeah, of course, of course. Where were we guys driving to? Do you remember? San Francisco. Wow. Okay. From that where? was a famous trip when they got dropped off on the street corner with all my luggage. Oh, because you were moving there. That's right. Yeah. Wow. So, so how many shows did you play with H2O? You played our first show. Two shows. And then Two shows. <laughs> the first show? show? The Limelight. <laughs> yes. And did you, did you have a six-string? Did I what? You have a six-string guitar? I didn't have a guitar. Your brother Todd would lend me his for the shows. Wow. Okay. I didn't have one or an amp. But I feel like you came on tour because I've seen pictures of like me, you, and Isaac in the back of like a red van, like laying on mattresses. Well, and I, I, went, I went out just on like some runs here and there with yeah. the band for fun. Yeah. But the band was way up and running at that point. Yeah. Um,. How, but what tour, what tours did you go on with us? Was it just like weekend things or like tri-state areas? Yeah, it was. They weren't big tours. They were like you know like little runs. Yeah, that's awesome. And then little northeast run. Yeah. So how how did you? I know you grew up in the upstate. Like how did you end up in the scene? Like what was? What do you think it was for you? First to of all, it's not upstate. It's Westchester. Okay. <laughs> you know, you learn your geography a little better. <laughs> um. So you were Westchester. So how did you end up in the city? Like, hey, I, I was also born in Manhattan. I was born in the same hospital as Mackie and Isaac, just so you know. Oh, you were? Yeah, dude. Holy shit, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Um, so how did you end up in the city, like going to shows and stuff? Did you have brothers and sisters or anything or no? No, nobody, man. I discovered it all on my own. Came down to the city by myself. Went to shows by myself. Mm -hmm. Ventured down. How did you find out about it? Like the scene, like that kind of music? <sighs> I, I don't even know. It's just nature. I just, I just was pulled to it. Yeah, but did, were people in your, people in your high school into that type of music or no? No, no. It's all metalheads. Metalheads and Guidos. Wow. And jocks. And so, did you play any instruments when you were in high school? Of course, yeah, guitar. Yeah. Nothing serious, but yeah. Yeah, and and so, 
what kind of music when you're learning guitar? Was it a certain type of music you were learning it because of? Was it was it was it rock at first or just got into punk? Metal, and certain, metal. metal, okay. And then you discovered hardcore, and that kind of changed your life and ruined your life, and also made your life better. Of course. <laughs> so now, now that you're like a grown adult and you're a thriving, uh, doing great as a real estate person in, I think in Brooklyn, right? What's that? Are you uh, yeah, Brooklyn? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, like, how do you feel that all those, all those times and those memories and everything, experiences, road trips, playing the two shows, just playing music in general, how it affected your life in a good way? Oof. How? I mean, is there is all those? Obviously, there's memories and time you live, but is there stuff that you got from being a hardcore kid, like like some values and stuff that you learned that stick with you in your adult life? Of course, life? man. Of course, I, you take it everywhere with you. Yeah, it's in everything you do. You know, yeah, it's, it's in the hustle and how you work. Yeah, and you learn that from just actually kind of being on your own and going to shows from Westchester by yourself, going into the big city, going to these kind of scary fucking punk shows back then too on your own too. Yeah. Um, and then when did you when did you meet like us or meet like Isaac or meet like the people? Early nineties. Just from hanging out? Just hanging out of shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, seeing the same faces. Over and over again. The shows weren't that big back then. It wasn't millions of people. It was only only so many people. Yeah, same same heads every week, yeah. Yeah. And everybody went to every show. Yeah. So you would start to see the same faces every week. And then after after the H2O shows, did you play did you play with Scarhead too or Crown of Thorns after that? No, no. I played with Crown of Thorns. Okay. For how long after that? Uh I don't remember. And then how long I did two tours. One one states tour with Earth Crisis and Downset wow. in Japan. Sick. That's awesome. Did you feel back did you feel like back then that you wanted to be a musician and, and or you just kinda of having fun and you were young and just Experimental. I was just having fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You're such a great interview. <laughs> You're so chill. I love you, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, I love so so basically we're talking to the original original uh, guitar player in H two O right here, ladies and gentlemen, Maddie Walenta. Not many people know that. He played in the first two first two shows with us. And those are great shows. The Queen show is insane. And the Pete Best of H2O. Yeah. <laughs> you know who Pete Best is? The what? You know who Pete Best is? No. The, of course not. That, that's why the joke's funny. The original drummer of the Beatles. Oh, and nobody sh- really knows. Oh, shit. Wow. That's who you are then. Shit. Yeah. And we had, that was a crazy first show in Queens. Like a huge fucking fight broke out. We're running through the streets, through the neighborhoods. It was insane. I don't even know if, I don't even know if Murphy's Law got to play. It was after our set. Um, and then and then the second show was with I think Marauder and Chromags at Limelight, and that was pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty amazing. And now you're in you're in New York still. You're a New York native. I am. You went to California for a while and came back. Um, wasn't your About thing. About a year, just under a year. Yeah, it wasn't your thing. Um, but you you see yourself in New York the rest of your life at this point, huh? Who knows? Who knows? You we'll sick, see. Are you sick of the winter? I get I get sick of it, yeah. Um, but I like outdoor shit, and you yeah, know, I don't like the heat too much. Yeah, and I like season change. Yeah, and you you still you still fishing a lot? Yeah, yeah, not man. as much as I was, but 
Yeah, I, I could post some pictures. You can send me some. Matty Boy is an ill fish. He goes out in these fucking big ass boats far off into the far off into the ocean catching gigantic fish. It's crazy. And they actually, him and Freddie took Maximus to uh, go fishing for his first time in New York somewhere. Where was it at? You remember? That was at Prospect Park. Yeah, yeah. Uncle Freddie and Maddie took him to uh, to go catch fish. That was pretty amazing. Um, all right, Maddie, this has been a this has been a great talk. I love you. I appreciate you. <laughs> I love that. I love that you. I love that you played the first love you two. Too, H- bud. I love that you played the first two H two O shows. You've always been supportive of our band ever since. Every time we come to New York, come to shows. Um, how is it for you? Like to see your friends, a lot of your friends still in bands touring. Is it? It's crazy, right? It's great. Yeah. The ones that are making money and enjoying it. Yeah, totally. Or, yeah. or one or the other. Yeah, totally. It's got to be both. Or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. Good good point. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because we all came from this little scene and I didn't really have a band. I was a roadie back then and we were just kind of talking. Who about knew? It. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knew. Not me. I never saw it coming. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. But uh, yeah, Maddie, thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man. I know you're you're killing it right now in New York. It must be crazy, like it must be crazy, like seeing how it is in Brooklyn now with how much things cost. Because back in the day, it was oh, like crazy. Yeah, it was nobody even lived in Brooklyn. It was like sketchy to go to certain parts of Brooklyn. Now nothing's under a million dollars. Nothing. And what's like the most expensive part of Brooklyn? I guess Waynesburg, right? Yeah. But you do you sell you sell properties all throughout the whole borough of Brooklyn, or just anywhere? I mean, they could they could do the whole state. I'm licensed for the whole state. Oh, cool, awesome, awesome. But lots of people are buying in Brooklyn more than anything, then, right? Yeah. And is it true that the rents went down in Manhattan because everybody moved to Brooklyn? Is that true or no? Yeah, yeah. Manhattan is losing business to Brooklyn. Wow. So they're getting competitive now. Wow. I feel like Queens, maybe Long Island City, but. Is Queens still kind of like untouched in a sense that people are actually migrating to Greece? It's too far. Yeah. It's not that it's so far. He still doesn't have the culture of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can still get some good properties probably in Queens for a decent price. Yeah. I mean, decent for New York. It's still expensive. Yeah. Nothing's cheap in New York. Nothing. Nothing. Right. Could you, could you, could you get a house for under a mil at least in Queens? Yeah. Yeah. Like a nice house, maybe like five to eight hundred thousand, probably. Who knows? I don't know about five. Damn, that's 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 pushing it. And what what made you get into the real estate? I just I was just trying a million different things yeah. at once. Yeah, I, I did not even expect it to work. Mm-hmm. And then how long did it take guess, you to get you your know, license for that? It takes a while. Nah, a couple of weeks. Okay. Awesome. License is a joke. Damn. And was it pretty stressful when you went out there first time doing that shit, trying to hustle and like sell, sell a house? Of course, I didn't even know how to use a computer. Wow. I was in a hardcore scene. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and now you love it? And it's like, it's a. I don't love it, but it's good. Yeah. Do you like thrive off? Do you, do you get like, like, like get energy off of like your, if you sell something that's like a huge buzz, that's like a huge thing? Of course. Or, or are you like kind of used to it now? No, no, you get a rush yeah, when, you get, yeah. when you make a big commission. It's a rush. Damn, I'm awesome. That's awesome. I'm, I'm proud of you, dude. I'm happy for you, man. I'm psyched. When I Thank saw you. that, and I saw your business card, and I saw you doing that. I was like, holy shit, man! Now many not, see the I, sign I sent you. Yeah, see dude. The sign? Yeah, it's awesome. And not many people like, not many people really live in New York anymore that we grew up hanging out with and shit too. So it's great to see not people too like, many, man. like natives out there. You, John Joseph, Mackie. 
um, live out there still in the state of New York. Mitts lives in Long Island. Like a lot of our friends, other than that, I can't really. Oh yeah, Stigma lives out there still, but a lot of people move too. Just a few, and most are gone in, yeah. in one sense or another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, well, man, I appreciate your time, and uh, it's 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 probably the first interview you've ever done, probably in a long time. <laughs> first interview, yeah. I mean, in a long time, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think nobody even knows that Maddie won't let it exist. Maddie Boy, first H2O shows. It's exciting to have you on the phone. Kids are going to be psyched to hear original. this because original, man. OG. Um, all right, Maddie Boy, thank you for your time, and I'll talk to you in real life soon. All right. All right, brother. Peace. Bye. We got Vaughn Lewis here, ladies and gentlemen. Vaughn Lewis, we uh, your name came up in, the, in our H2O podcast today. And, uh, Obviously, Todd Friend wasn't there to tell us the timelines because he's incredible with timelines, as you know, Todd Friend. <laughs> yep. So, kind of, kind of like how you can break it down. I mean, I remember you were a photographer, and you were at our shows, and that's how we met originally. Yeah, I mean, I started as a hobby, bringing my camera to shows and taking photos, and um, you know, I forget when we first met. Met, but it, it probably. I imagine that maybe I took a bunch of photos and I had some, and maybe you saw me, uh, or, or maybe I came up to you and said, hey, yeah, here are some photos. Because at, at some point, I just started, it was a hobby, and I just started giving them away. And I got to know, you know, a lot of people around around the New York scene, but then yeah. there was like a handful of people that I became close to, and you were definitely very early on one of those people. Um, and so how soon after we met did you start... Coming on the road with us. Do you remember what year that was? Well, I came on the road with you. Uh, it, it was um, June of 96. We were probably friends for a good year at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, we all used to kind of run around the Lower East Side. And, yep. you know, we had very similar musical taste. Yes. Hip-hop and um, hardcore, everything, uh, man. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, I'm, I mean, I'm going to say that we knew each other for a good year. I mean, I remember I remember going to your house. Yeah. And I think I bought, I, I, I mean, definitely one of the first, if not the first copy of the, of the first album, because I think I went to your house the day you got them in. Wow. Uh, and the Blackout record, and I, bought, and, I, and I bought one from you. And then I remember for my first quote-unquote road trip with H2O, uh, was when you guys were playing with the Mighty Mighty Ballstones and Fairly Dickinson in, in New Jersey. I guess that would have been, I guess maybe early 96. Wow, okay. And um, we met on the Lower East Side and we went we went in the school bus. Um, the school me, bus Kenny. meaning, the school bus, we had this Black Train Jack minibus, ladies and gentlemen. It was a short bus yes. that Rob Black Train Jack, <laughs> Rob Vitale, shout out to Rob Vitale, he owned this little mini bus that Black Train Jack would tour in, and we got to use that a couple of times. It was awesome. I think it was blue, wasn't it? Yeah, it was blue. Yes, I think it was. I think it was. So that that, that was on the cycle of the of that was on the cycle of the first album, correct? Yes, ninety six. Yes, yes, um, yes. I think I think it had just come out, and um, and so that was my first road trip. I mean, I think we were hanging out one night, and, and you're like, "Hey, we're going to." Go to Jersey. We got room if you want to hop in, and so uh, and so I hopped in. I think it was you know myself, Kenny, Bill Wilson was with us. It was the first yeah. time I, I, I met him. Um, um, your friend Angel. Yeah. 
Um, Who's now a New York police officer. Now he's NYPD. Yes. What up, Angel? Yes. Um, yes. Crazy, man. Um, yeah, and, and then I and then we did a couple, you know, I did a couple of other road trips. I think uh, I think I took the train out once and met you guys in Philly uh, with, like, I think it was Shelter and Downset, maybe. Yeah, that was a great tour. And I wrote... Yeah, and I rode back to the city with you guys. Um, Were you taking pictures back then, but, too, or just hanging? Yeah, no, I was the whole time I, I would take pictures. So, Vaughn, like where, Vaughn, where are these pictures? Twitter. I need to see all these pictures. You probably have so many photos, man. You probably you probably have all of them, but I still I still, I still, still have them. I, I still have them all. I still got my negatives. Uh, I can definitely find them. Can we ever see a strong management photo, a photo uh, gallery someday? If I ever have time. <laughs> my problem is time. Everyone, everyone tells me I should do that, and I just, I can't even begin to imagine finding the time to do that. That's the same thing with our BJ uh, Papa. She has so many, all these negatives. I'll say people want to do it too, but it's, it's such a real tedious, long process. And, and she also has way more than I do. She's, you know, I was, yeah. I was heavy in it for about two or three years. She, she was heavy in it for very twenty long years. Time. Yeah. Um, so after, so the, when did you start going from that to like managing us? Like that was around into well, the. Well, yeah, I, you know it's funny because I tell this story to people all the time. I tell it to, to you know people asking how I got started, bands that I work with asking how I got started. So uh, I was working at an investment banking job, which was a complete accident. If you know me, just it wasn't yeah. what I wanted to do, but I kind of yeah. just you know it was a temp job. It turned into a real job. So I was on my last investment banking job, and I had, it was like a 90-day uh, trial period for, for this job. And after 90 days, I don't even know if you know this story. After after 90 days, they basically give me a, a review, and then they tell me, you know, and then they give me like a raise. Okay. So at some point, you and Moon, your wife, you guys are moving, and I forget, you're moving from like, you know, one part of the Lower East Side to the other part of the Lower yeah, East Side. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. I, I forget. And Kenny and I were helping you move. And, you know, you guys were looking for someone to sell merch on, you know, that tour you were going on. It was Murphy's Law Tour. Yeah, 97. Yeah, 96, yeah. And uh, 96. It was, it was definitely 96. And, um, and at one point you were just like, hey, you know, we're looking for somebody to sell merch. You should come out with us. And I thought about it, and it thought, you know, it seemed like a, it, it seemed crazy initially. And I said to myself, you know, I, I'll quit this job. I'll see the country. I might never have the chance to see the entire United States. And um, yeah. it, was, it was all going through my head. And, and I, I think it maybe it might be a good idea. And I remember looking over at Kenny, and he looked at me because he know he knew, uh, and Kenny is, you know, co-owner of, of Strong now. He was in law school at that time. And uh, he knew how miserable I, I was at my job. Yeah. And he's like, you should do it, you know? So I did it. And the funniest part about the story is about uh, by the job that I was in, I kept procrastinating quitting because I, I had to quit. And they called me in about five days early to give me my 90-day review. Oh, shit. And, and, and I, you know, and I was thinking I had extra time. I had a few days. And he called yeah. me in early. He's like, we're going to give you your review. And I'm like, well, before you give me my review, uh, I quit. And, oh, uh, my God. I didn't know he, this shit. And he, and he 
still gave me my review, and they were gonna they were gonna give me like a really ridiculous raise. Oh, Vaughn. Yeah, I'm but at that sorry. Point, my mind was already made up. It wasn't. It wasn't even. It wasn't even a choice. My mind was already made up. I, I you know, is what I wanted to do, and um, and I did it. How long was uh, that? How long was so that Murphy's Law tour for? How long was that? That was a crazy tour. That man. it started like uh, the very end of June, or July, and it ended. I don't know why I remember these dates like this. I remember it, it ended on September eighth. Okay. It, it ended. Um, it was an SOU. Radio show. Uh, anniversary show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know what? It started, the end of, it started the end of June into July, so it was about six weeks. Wow, in a van. Is that right? Is yeah. That right? Was Isaac was was with us too? Who else was on the tour with us? Isaac and I were the only roadies. Wow. That was a crazy, and, such a crazy tour, man. It was so fun. And, I, and I've known him already, but I didn't know him well. Obviously, I really got to know him well on that. Yeah, on, for sure. That Dude, um, that is crazy. That was such a crazy tour. I mean, the hurricane, the power yeah. outage, rap bones on tour. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Wow. So I, so I started out as the, as the merch guy. And I don't know if you remember all of this. But I think the first show I did, it was, it was before we, we left to go on the road for good. But one of the first shows was at the Stone Pony. Okay. And we showed up like two hours after Doors. <laughs> so, typical typical so, H2O style, yeah. Typical H2O. So I'm sitting there putting up T-shirts. I never sold merch before in my life. And I'm hanging up these T-shirts, and these kids are like a wall of kids are standing and looking at me, like their arms folded. Like pissed off, and I was like so nervous because you know they, they were waiting for me to get ready. And I remember coming to you guys like, "Hey, you know, we should try and get to the venue, you know, like well before doors so I can get set up." Um, it just makes sense. And then, and then we did another show, and I'm not going to tell the full story of what went on, but we did another show in Music, Pennsylvania, at CC's. And we couldn't get a hotel room because there were some massive conventions that okay. would go on in music, and there was literally no convention, no no hotels. Okay. So Damn. Okay. Murphy's Law told us that we could share the hotel room. Oh my god! And so there was about I think there were seven of us, eight of them, and then maybe another ten people that were you know that had just kind of come for the ride. All in one hotel room. Are you serious, dude? Yeah, yeah. We all slept in the floor. Well, I'm not. Uh, yeah, basically. Well, I I actually left because I I'm a bad sleeper. Like I I I'm, I'm a very light sleeper. So I went and I I went into the van by myself. It oh was like 90 God. degrees, dude. And then the next day, and the next day, I'm like, maybe we can call ahead of time and reserve a hotel. <laughs> And, you know, maybe the venue has to deal with the hotel. And I, and I had no idea that that was, like, you know, a dancing or show or, you yeah. know. So, I, so then I became the de facto tour manager without even realizing that that's what I was doing. Like maybe um, we should get the, get the before the doors open and set the merch up. That makes sense. Maybe you should call in advance yeah. to book a hotel when you're on tour. That makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, so before I knew it, I was the tour manager and... And merch person, and then how I became the manager, and this is something that I think Todd Friend doesn't get enough credit for. 
Oh shit! Because because at some point on the tour, uh, you guys had a manager, and you guys you guys had a good manager, but the manager had another band that was that was like blowing up right at the same time. Okay. And it was difficult. You know, you guys probably weren't getting the right attention, and you know, stuff was coming up, and um, I would offer some advice, and Todd Friend, I remember once saying to me, you know, you should manage the band. Oh, and, I remember, and I remember laughing at him. I remember laughing at him saying, you're crazy. Like, I don't know the first thing about managing a band. And then about a week later, you all turn to me and you're like, we're going to fire our manager. You're managing the band. <laughs> and we, we, you guys, we stopped at a truck stop. And uh, you, guys had, you guys had those dialers. Yeah, the phone dialers. Yeah, yeah the coin fake dialers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one of those phone dialers. And, um, oh my God! Dude. You called your manager, fired manager of the truck stop, and then you told me that I was managing the band. <laughs> How did you feel that moment? Were you, were you like, okay, fuck it, or just like, oh my God? I, I honestly, at the time, I really had no idea what that meant. Yeah. Um, I, I so I didn't really know how to process it, but all this stuff started happening. Um, um. Your lawyer at the time got a fax from Epitaph. Yeah, Richard Grable. Uh, or Dave Stein. Richard Grable. Yeah. And, and, and you got you got these deal points from Epitaph. Epitaph wanted to find the band. Um, MCA, the M- MCA, still, MCA still wanted us at the time, at that moment. Yeah, MCA was at the time. Um, and, then, and, and Blackout obviously was, you know, there was an option to do another record with Blackout or do a record with Blackout through MCA. Um, Damn. So I remember, this is, this is back in, you know, 96 now, there's no, you know, there's no email. Um, Richard Grable had to fax the deal. I had to give him a number. I had to find a venue that had a fax machine and he would fax the deal to this venue. And, uh... They faxed as a contract the to the venue? Yeah, it was like, it wasn't the full contract, it, yeah. was, it was just deal points. Yeah, yeah, So I yeah, literally, okay, like, stood over the fax machine, I literally stood over the fax machine, so I could pull it off, like, I called him, I'm like, okay, I'm here, and he faxed it, and I pulled it right off. Wow. And, um, and I remember looking at it, and, you know, again, something that you guys probably really wouldn't have known at the time, but, uh, you know, Kenny. Corner Strong at the time was in law school and he was doing all these legal internships and he had access to all, all, all these record contracts. Yeah. So he would read them and then when he was done with them, I would read them. Okay. And so I kind of knew my way around a contract. That's awesome. So I get this, I get this, this contract and I looked at it and you know I made some some notes on it um, and then I actually faxed it to Kenny and had him add a couple of notes on it and then I sent it back to Richard Grable and then I remember Richard Grable I think called you and was like where'd you find this guy you know this guy seems to really know what he's doing yeah Vaughn and and, and and that was probably the first time that I got it in my head that me, you know maybe maybe I could actually do this yeah because um, Richard Grable was big time man big time lawyer yeah 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 and, and that was the first time I said well maybe you know maybe I have a career in this which is funny to think about now 22 years later, but I honestly think about this all the time. I, I, so, Vaughn, we believed in you, you know, bro. Like, we believed in you to do everything. Come on tour. 
Like we didn't even question like, do you want to do it? Do you know how to do it? Are you willing to learn? Do you want to try? Is this what you want to do? It's almost like you put in these positions where like, we are friends. We're like, hey, let's 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 have Vaughn do it. We trust Vaughn. You know what I mean? Like it's fucking yeah. crazy. No, you you guys had unbelievable blind faith in me, and and, and I didn't even you know I, I honestly didn't even know that I could do it. I just I just knew that I was going to try, you know, and I knew that I was going to do the best I can, and and uh, yeah, I, I always look back on that. And I tell, and, and honestly, almost every band that I manage or have managed over the years has heard this story. Um, awesome, Vaughn. Because it's cause it's a big part of. You know how I got started and 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 and, and how I learned. So we we helped. So, uh, did we help name Strong Management? Was that me? Strong. We used to call you Strong. Yeah. We used to call yeah. you Strong Vaughn. Strong Vaughn. And well, it was Strong Vaughn, and then but then there was also you, you, remember, you remember Strong Black Management. Strong Black Management. <laughs> yes. Yes. So you guys, you guys, we would be in the van. It'd be like seven of us, and. uh you guys would do these like fake blue songs where we, you know, where we just kind of make fun of each other. And, uh, <laughs> and oh wait, wait, is it? So it was, was it? Yeah. And whatever was going on, and whatever was going on in the band at the time would be the subject of the song. Like if somebody was fighting with each other, like you know. There was a man named Vaughn. Oh, yes. Can't they get along? Strong black man Vaughn. Trying to help them all get along. Something like that. Oh, shit. This is awesome. So you were insistent. So you were insistent that I had to name the company Strong Black Management. Okay. You were like, that's your name. That we, We've got it. That's the name. So I remember, I, I, I remember that we, you know, we, we did that whole tour and the tour was nuts. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we went, we literally drove through the eye of a hurricane. Um, there may have been a little bit of a riot in Cleveland. Um, yeah. There, you know, we, we met with Brett Gurritz out in LA. And, it was a whirlwind. You know, yes, yes. I remember now. It was a whirlwind. <laughs> it, it was, it felt, it was like. 10 tours in six weeks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I remember we got home, and I remember that Monday, the tour ended on a Sunday, and I remember that Monday came, and I I got up in my house, and I remember thinking, like, do I really manage a band? Or, you know, maybe that was just something that happened on tour. Like, I remember not really knowing, you know, what was going on. And then, you know, that, that day after the tour, no one spoke to each other. And then that Tuesday... Um, I think your brother called me about something, and then you called me right after that, and then Rusty called me right after that, and I remember saying to myself, "Wow, I, I actually managed this band right now." Like, this wow, it's fucking and, awesome. And, and, and that's when it—that's when it really—that—that's when it really hit me. Holy um, shit! And so, how how many years now have you had your management company? I mean, basically since then, so 20, 22 years. That's fucking awesome, Vaughn, dude. Holy insane, shit, man! And, and to your guys' credit, you know, I, you know, for the rest of the year, uh, that year, '96, going into '97, I basically I toured with you guys. I went on the road with you guys. I saw merch. We went 
Um, you know, we tour with Social Distortion, Degeneration. Yo, you wore many uh, different hats. Yeah, we we went to Europe for a day and came back because Todd friend broke his hand. Yeah, we told that story already. Oh uh, my god, yeah. Um, oh my god. And uh, my part of that story is great, but that'll be for another maybe for another story. Why? Uh, why? Just, was, just just fucking tell well, it. Man. Was just, it was it was learning how to. Uh, I never knew how to. I, I didn't know how to send a band to Europe. Okay. Um, I you know it was like negotiating buses, um, flights. Um, one one funny story I remember about this. Uh, we the production company. This is going to be bad, but I don't, I don't I don't think any of us do business with that company anyway. But there was the production company that did that, that did that tour gave us a bus rate. Okay. For I think the six of us to be on on their bus. Okay. And I think their bus had twelve bunks, and they were six people, and we were six people, so the bus was going to be full. Yeah. The amount that they were charging us was some insane amount of money. Both, okay. You know, we were going to do it. We were about to get signed. Yeah. Um. So then, you know, me. It was a big tour. Knowing, it was a big tour. We're opening for Doggy Dog in their prime. Doggy Dog, who was who was massive. massive. Shout out to Doggy Dog, we love you guys. It was a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that guys. opportunity. Always love those guys. Yeah. And it was an opportunity. It was really a great opportunity. So, in the meantime, I decided let me just cold call, call these other bus companies and get some other rates. So I just start calling like you know other bus companies in Europe. So I yeah. call this in Europe, not knowing anything about anything. So I call this one company and I find an eighteen bunk bus for about half the price. Wow. Of of what this other company was charging us. Yeah. So I go back to them and I say, instead of us splitting half of your bus for this insane amount of money, you guys could split half of our bus. We'd have six bunks left over. Junk bunks. And it would be way more money. It would be way less money for everybody. And they said no. And Damn. the New Yorker to me just never really understood it. So, Holy you know, so I guess he told the story already. You know, you guys are loading up in the city. Pathfinder breaks his hand. You guys come out to Queens. You pick me up. We leave the van in my driveway. Um, we get on the plane. Todd's complaining about his hand. Uh, to Todd's credit, none of us are paying any attention to him. We're like, be quiet, be quiet. Um, we, get, we get to London, and then we fly from London to Germany, and then the bus picks us up. We drive three hours. We're late as is all hell. Um, per usual. Our, our friend who was, was tour managing Doggy Dog told us we couldn't play because we were too late. Oh my um, God, I remember this shit, dude. Sean, I remember this stuff like yesterday. Sean from Doggy Dog was like, fuck that, these guys gotta play. Love you, Sean. So they put us on, they put us on, and needless to say, Todd, Todd couldn't play well. Um, we sent Todd off to the hospital so now I'm in the bus by myself. You guys are all in the venue. I'm in the bus by myself, like the press, because like I literally was up 24 hours straight, like kneeling on the bus, getting all this stuff done. Busting your ass, dude. Yeah. In like in like three days, this tour, this tour got this tour. I think the tour was offered to us a week before because somebody dropped off, and we confirmed it three days before. And so I was literally up 24 hours. So I'm like, oh, what if Todd can't play? And, you know. Damn, dude. So I'm sitting in the, in the bus by myself, and I'm talking to the bus driver. And I see the other bus in front of us. 
And, you know, I'm looking at it, and I was telling the customer, I'm like, yeah, they were charging, like, some insane amount of money for that. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. So I got off the bus, and I go on to that other bus, and I ended up talking to the driver, and I asked him how much the bus was. And it was a nicer bus than our bus. Yeah, yeah. But it turns out, it turns out that they were basically trying to get us to pay for the entire bus. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't splitting it. They were trying to get us to pay for the entire bus, which ended up being, you know, twice, almost three times as much as what we were paying. Wow. And that was the first time I remember just being like, wow, this is, you know, this could be a shady business and you really gotta, Mm -hmm. you gotta, you know, and, and luckily, you know, we, you know, we didn't, we didn't get ripped off, but we didn't get ripped off at the end of the day because we didn't have the money. So we, we took a cheaper option. If we had the money, we might have gotten ripped off. And I remember that was my lesson in, like, well, thank you, know, you thank you, thank you for catch, thank you for catching that and doing the research and saving us money. That's crazy. Who, who are you? No, you, you were probably you were probably dealing with a label or an agent on that on the European end of that. You know what I mean? I doubt. No, the, I, was, I doubt. It, I doubt the it, band it would was, know about it that. Was the company. Yeah, yeah. It was. The, it wasn't the band. It was yeah. the company that was putting on the tour. There are people that 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 that, 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 that wasn't the band. The no, band those are, those are boys. Yeah. Those, those, are, those are our people. Yeah. That's crazy, Bob. Uh, Thank you for catching that. And then after, no problem, no problem. And so you were with us for that, and then the signing to MCA. We did Europe, and, and then wow. we did we did Japan and Australia. That was crazy. Were you um, with us at the first time we went to Japan, Japan, or was that the second time? That was the first time. It was fucking insane, Vaughn. Oh my god, that was the dude. First time. Dude. Uh, yeah, that was insane. The first time in Japan was Australia. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I got left behind. Remember that? Where? When? Australia? Yeah, we uh, so our promoter in Japan uh, wasn't aware that there was a change in, in laws and that uh, you know visitors that were traveling because um, basically with Japan and Australia, I didn't really have to work as much because I. I didn't have to sell merchandise. Yeah. I think I did sell merch in Australia, actually. Yeah. But but in general, you don't you don't have to do as much. Like, yeah. All the gear is rented. People sell the merch for you. All the deals are done. Yeah. It's really just kind of more hanging out. So I traveled, and you know, to something you know when you know when hey, you're hey, a fan. Hey, and, hey Vaughn, 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 stay right there. Stay right. Pause, all right? One second, right, Bob? So you talk about you talk about you in Japan, right? And we were about to go to Australia or something? Then what happened? Yeah, we're, we're flying to Australia, and I guess they had just passed this new law that even if you were a tourist, you needed uh, work visa. a, a, a special—not even a, not even a work visa, like a tourist visa. Okay. So you guys all had work visas, so you guys had your visas. I was traveling as a tourist because technically I wasn't really working. Yeah. But when we got to the airport. The promoter had never done the visa for me. Shit. And um, so I couldn't go. And this was another, like, really funny dynamic with all of us at the time. Like, you guys didn't want to leave. You guys were like, oh, no, then we'll, we'll go tomorrow or two. We'll just wait till tomorrow. And we couldn't do that because, you know, it was much easier to change one flight than to change. You're like your dad. Flights. You're like your dad. They were like, we're not going without fun. It was, it was funny. Like, it was, like, I, it, it was weird because I felt. You felt like, love. Like, you oh. felt the love, though. I felt it. Oh, I felt it. Yeah. I, I'm like, no, just go. I'll be there tomorrow. And I remember when you guys left, like, I, like, I felt all sad. And you guys oh, and shit. It was, like a whole, it was like a whole thing. So we did the Australia uh, tour without you? 
No, no, no. You just we. I flew in a day later. Okay, I didn't, okay, I didn't, okay, I didn't okay, even, okay. Even miss a show. Flew in. You guys got in, and you guys had a full day off. Vaughn, was that a first? Man. So you went with this H two O the first time we went to Australia, and the first time we went to Japan. Yep. Fucking yep. awesome, dude. Crazy, and, right? and and that was Crazy. that was touring on Thick in the Water, correct? No, no, no. That was still that was still the Blackout record. Damn. Okay, okay. That was all still the Blackout record. Wow. I, I basically did most of the touring on the Blackout record. Yeah, that's fucking nuts. Yeah. So you were you, were, you, were you there were you there when Eric Rice left and then Todd Morris and Todd Friend came in? I so I joined I started touring with the band right when Adam Blake joined. Okay, gotcha. So obviously I knew Eric. I when yeah. I you know when I, like when I when I the first road trip I did with the band, Eric was in the band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, uh, and I and the first time I saw the band was before Todd and Todd were in the band. Yeah. But they were. But, but Eric was. Uh, but Todd and Todd were, were in the band before I started managing it. Like me and Adam, it was like our first. Like thing together. Like, yeah, that, that, that was, was the first, first. You were at the, his first his show first at the PWAC when he play, played with us. We opened up for Mad yeah. Ball. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. That was there. That was that fucking was awesome, man. Yep, yep. So then yeah, after. It was, so, it, was, it was cool for me because it, it like, like you guys have basically, you know, have become my, my favorite band. And so I, Thank I, you, I had gotten to, like, just as a friend, be around and watch all these things happen, different band members. Yeah, yeah. You guys. You guys make moves to kind of, you know, strengthen what what the band was. Yeah. Um, and then next thing I know, I'm, you know, I was managing the band. So yeah. It was, the whole thing was just, it was, it was nuts, you know. It was, it was, it was, and it was cool. Yeah, um, and we, and we, and we, that's when we were coming up too. Like we started getting uh, some good shows, yeah. some good tours, and. Um, yeah. And so I mean, then, it's, it's really it's how I learned how to, you know, I mean. Twenty-two years later, this is the only this is the only thing I've done. Like this is how I've made a living, you know. I've, and that you know, it's that's so where crazy, I dude. How your life could have went if like you didn't take the Murphy's Law tour, you took yeah. that raise, you stayed there, but it was fate to come with us, and you was, you, you, you took no that chance, that one life, one chance. Was, you you took that chance and went with us. It's fucking yeah, you, you crazy, gotta, man. In life, you got to know what you want to do, and you can't be afraid to take risks, you know. And uh, and uh, and I learned that right out the gate, you know. It's fucking amazing. Um, I mean, we we've had, and the fact that we're still friends today is amazing because sometimes I yeah. talked I talked to Hans about that, and Matt Wallace today. Like sometimes mixing business and friendship does not work out, and definitely we had yeah. uh, we had our ups and downs all the shit with the business aspect of it, but we always yeah. remained friends, and we were friends before this shit, and that's why exactly. I really appreciate. It. And I appreciate you taking that sacrifice for us, you taking that chance with us, and believing in us, and us believing in you. And it's amazing that we're still playing, we're still a band playing, and you're still managing bands. We're very fucking, yeah. it's been very lucky, man. It's awesome, man. Yeah, no doubt about it. Not I even mean, luck, I, dude. Not yeah. even luck. Hard work and focus. Hard, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah we like, all made it happen. You know, we all put our heads down, and we made it happen together, and we made it happen on our own. Yeah. And, but it all started with this belief, and, and, and really, just everything you learn, you know, coming up and, 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 and the hardcore scene, I mean, you know, I, I feel like we all were, were really about it and we all really believed it and, it, and it's kind of shown. And we, and we still know, live, and we live it. And it's we like, live it. Yeah, yeah. it's like, yeah. so so after that tour, we came back and then you also, you were there to broker and be, be our manager when we signed Epitaph and all that shit and did th yep. Thick in the Water yep. and all that shit. Um, yeah, yeah. We fuck. did that deal, put that record out, 
and then and then and then obviously for me, and this is something I also give you guys a lot of credit. But at some point for me, you know, because I was around at that time in New York, and you know, I was taking photos, and I I got to meet all these other bands, and you know, you guys were kind of the ones that you know I was always associated with, and the guys that took me out on the road, and the guys that hired me. Uh, but then the after effect of that was, you know, all of these other people that, that looked at me as the photographer guy, suddenly, you know, I'm managing a band, the band has a record deal, and, you know, I this weird thing happened where a lot of people wanted me to manage the bands, and, and at some point, I, I for me, I came to this realization that, you know, I think I'm I think I'm becoming good at this, and I think I can do this, and I think I can make a career at this, and, um... And I give you guys credit because you guys basically, you know, we talked and you guys allowed me to come off the road and, you know, and pick up other clients who, you know, were basically, you know, friends of yours that I, you know, you know, maybe I knew some of them beforehand. Maybe I met some of them through you guys, but ultimately it was a success I was having with you guys, which is what, you know, had them pay me any attention. And, uh, I remember you, guys, I remember you, you know, coming to us to ask about because was it weird for you like the because we were like oh, your totally we were like your friends and your brothers and like you only managed us and other people came in the mix. Did you feel weird like oh shit they're gonna be bummed if I do this? Or I remember I think totally. I remember, yeah yeah totally totally and uh, and you guys gave me your blessing. Uh, yeah. And, it was H two O Murphy's Law Crown of Thorns. You had one moment right? Uh, Fahrenheit four fifty one. Yes. Yeah, it was, uh, and, yeah, it was a crazy time. Wow crazy time. man. <laughs> and then. And then so, and then after that, so we had Thick in the Water, and then that was a great, we had some great tours with that, and you kind of stopped touring yeah. with us because you were managing that, you weren't really coming on the road exactly. that much. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I would, I would fly out, you know, I would, I would always come out to the LA shows, and I'd always yeah. come out to like, uh, you know, one random show somewhere on the road. You yeah. guys flew me out to Dynamo one year, I went out to Dynamo. Yeah. Um, awesome. Um, yeah, we, we, you know, and, and you know, it's another thing I always tell a lot of bands that I work with, and it really did start with you guys, you know, like for me, even though I didn't, even though I don't go, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a touring person anymore. I love traveling and going to see like, you know, my bands and my friends play. And because at the end of the day, that's really what it's about. It's about the connection that the band has with their yeah. audience. And, 100%. and if you're on the business side of it, you don't get to see that often, yeah. and, and and I always think that you need to see it as much as you can because yeah. if you don't, you you kind of forget uh, from the business side of it. You forget what you're doing. You, you you forget what you know. You kind of lose sight of what the job is. And yeah, the job is, totally. is to is to push bands and get them out in front of people and and get people to react. And um, so I think I kind of get that from being on tour and. and because no matter what was going on and no matter what, you know, Van's breaking down, yep. uh, you know, the drummer's broken his hand, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever craziness is going on. We always on, make like, shit happen. And it's all, about, yeah. you know, yeah. And, w and when you go on stage, all that other negativity goes away. It's gone. It's gone. goes away. We form like, we form like Voltron on stage. It's like every, and yep. sometimes being late and breakdown sometimes it makes the show even better because you're it so fuel, fucking it fuels, hyped it fuels an energy yeah. that you can't that you can't you can't you can't put a 
price on. You, you know can't, I mean? and nobody, under, like nobody would ever, under, unless you're in a band that's hard, or been around it to understand that kind of energy and that kind yep. of uh, adrenaline and shit, too. And shit, we broke down the warp tour. We all got in different people's buses, all that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. And we drove, remember, we, and we drove, uh, uh, me, Kenny, and Tim drove the van because we, we, I had the van in my, in my driveway. And me, Kenny, and Tim drove the van up to Pittsburgh, I think. Oh, is that <laughs> Club Laga? No, 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 to the, to, on, on Warp Tour. Oh, shit. Tim Bohr, too? Yeah, because that was what wow. Tim was working with us for a minute. And we had the three of us drove out to Pittsburgh to drop off the van because you guys are, the bus was broken down. You guys were in different, different buses. So we, were like hobo, we, we, we were like the hobos of the tour. It was so fun. <laughs> Shout out to Tim yeah. Bohr, too, man. I'm going to get him on here, too. Tim Bohr booked yeah, us, too. Yeah. Was that one of our yeah. first shows with Colin McGinnis at a bar in Philly? There's like five people in there. And he was one That's of them. That's crazy. Man. That's crazy. Fuck, dude. With Colin. With Colin. I didn't know that. That's crazy. That's yeah, Colin funny. was there, man. It's crazy. Um, That's insane. So then we, did, then we did Thicker, and then you were with us with Thicker, and then FTTW too, right? No, no, no. We parted ways, I guess, right before, basically right at the end of the Thicker Than Water cycle. Okay, I got you, got you, got you, got you. You know, I think, you know, we, 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 had, we had some moments, and, and, and we parted ways. But it was a... You know, it's funny because it was it was actually only technically it was about a little like maybe two and a half years. And you know, like I said, that it feels that first longer. Tour, it feels longer. It feels yeah. longer. I mean that first tour that felt like a year. <laughs> all, all, the, all the things that went on in that first tour felt like a year yeah. of, of of experiences. Yeah. Um you know, um, yeah. it was it was it was a pretty intense time. But we all, we, we, but the thing about I talked about that with Hans and Matt Walsh too. We've always remained friends. Like you're one of my closest friends, even though I don't live in the same coast anymore. But yep, we, yep. we were friends before and friends after, and all his experience made us even closer. The highs, the lows, ups and downs, and that's what it's all about in the first place. Is like people you meet from this music that like you connect with through music and, and the same things you guys believe in and stuff. And, and regardless if you're exactly. a manager and shit, like we're still boys for life, and I love that, and I appreciate <laughs> that, you know. And I appreciate that as well. You know, I always, you know, I, I see it, you know, I see it in you when, you know, when we hang out and I, you know, I tell you something that I'm doing or I call, you know, we, we're on the phone and we're talking about something and I tell you something that's going on and like, you know, I just feel how happy you are, you know, yeah, how happy man. you are for me and, and, you know, how, pr how proud I am of you guys and everything that you guys have done. And, and you know, and it's like, you know, Doing this for me for 22 years managing bands, I understand how like impossible it is, like how, how impossible it is to be in a band and yeah. and and laugh and and stick around and maintain an audience and just how much work and and heart grinding, yeah, man, yeah, and grind and you know most people, most bands can't can't do it, you know, and, and for whatever reason, it, it falls apart, and, you know, and you guys have done it, you know, and you guys have done it for a long time. It's crazy, we're still friends off, off, off stage, and my brother yeah. said the other day, my brother said, even when he tried to leave, we suck him right back in, like the mafia, <laughs> and so, like, he's still doing shit with us, and, you know, yeah. like, he's, a, he's my brother, man, we start, you know, he's been a big part of H2O, and, um, yeah, I, I think for us, for us, it's just that we love each other, we're brothers, and, we believe in the shit. We still live the shit. It's like, it wasn't like, yeah. and it was always more, it was always, always fun over finance for us. Yeah, we had some time. We made some yeah. good money. 
but when it, when it started becoming a job and being weird, like after the whole ghost cycle, we, we took a hiatus for a while, not making yeah, music. Yeah. We got burnt, and, I, and, I, yeah. and I'm glad we took a hiatus because we, we, we still kept our friendships and our love for each other, and we took a break, and then we came back with nothing yeah. to prove, and very lucky that that connected, and people waited for us and didn't disappear, and people actually waited for that to come back seven years, and we're very lucky that people actually cared still. And um, But taking that you know, break it, was important, you know, for sure. Yeah. You know, it, it, I think it's I think it's half luck because I you know look a lot of things in this business is luck, but it's also you know people know what's real and what's not. Yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. and and you can't like you can't create that. It yeah. either is or it isn't. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer that people feel that, and and that's why people were still waiting when you came back. And thank you. And had you just and had you just kept going, because like that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. That would have come across too, and it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, we would have been just going through the motions, like, oh, okay, we're just out here, just playing the same songs and going through the. Yeah, I just, yeah, just. Yeah. Yeah. We need to get, we need to get, like, take a break and get re inspired, re energized, all that, man. And fucking, I had a baby, I moved to California, life happens yeah. and shit. And, yeah, it's crazy. But, uh, it's crazy. Well, awesome. Yeah. I, appreciate, I appreciate you being on my podcast. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you being with us. From then and just like believing in us and taking a chance and um, I'm proud of you where you're at now and you did so much in your life with all the bands you've been involved with and still are and managing. Thank you. Thank you. Fuck and, man, and, Queens and, represent. And, Queens represent. Um, Queens in the house and thank you guys for taking a chance, man. It, I never, you know, when that, I, I never would have imagined when I made a decision to, you know, basically see the country for six for six weeks and. And see what happens after that. I never yeah. imagined that that would have been the thing that embarked the you know you know twenty two and counting year career in managing in managing artists. Like I never. But but it was, but and also it wasn't like you were a straight business dude. You were a music fan. You were a hardcore fan. Oh yeah. Hip hop, metal, oh, yeah. everything. Fuck. There's a picture. Yep. There's a picture of Von Lewis dressed as King Diamond. He grew up, <laughs> he liked all styles of music and shit. So you were a massive fan lover, but you were never, yeah. you, were be, you were a fan. You weren't like in the mix. You weren't like, and so you got a taste of that with selling merch and then tour managing and then managing a band. You know what I mean? Like you got fully into it, but it wasn't like, it, like you didn't like music. You love music. And so I think it was yeah. part of your fucking I mean, path in the first place. I don't know. I mean, that's how we, that's how we became friends. Yeah. Like, we, totally, we would yeah. never become friends if, if, we weren't both such such massive fans of music. I mean, that exactly. Was, that, was, that was the instant bond. Exactly. Like, oh, you like this? Oh, I like this too. And then yeah. And then you and then you start. Hey, check this out. Check that out. Yeah. You know? And um, I mean, it's literally that that innocent. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, Fuck. you know, and it, and 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 just a familial. I mean, it, I mean, you guys are very much a family, and it definitely, you know, it, it's anyone that anyone that kind of gets involved with you guys immediately kind of becomes a part of that yeah and um you know i think for me and just even the work that i do and the bands that i manage and uh, it's i feel like i end up kind of being in situations that are similar because that's that's what i know that's that's what i came up with that's, that's, yeah, you, you're doing more than the normal manager you're doing more than the business shit yeah you're like you're like, but, but the mix. Also, you're like yeah but, but I, I think it also came from just you know, being friends with you guys first, yeah. and then working with you guys, yeah. I think that's rubbed off on me, and yeah. you know, and that's that's kind of how I how I approach other situations, and um, 
you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I have to give you guys a lot of credit for, for, for setting me um, on my path. And I definitely appreciate that. Well, we love you. I love you, brother. And uh, I appreciate your time and appreciate just everything, man. And uh, once I, once I, love set, you too, Toby. I hit you up this week, man. Thank you for taking the time. And H2O loves you and appreciate you. And thank you for being part of H2O's legacy, man. Whatever. I mean, I, want, I hate, that's corny, my legacy. Thanks for being part of H2O's career. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean, and I'm I'm very much proud to be to be a part of it, and 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 all the bands that I work with can tell you how how proud I am of it because it it, it comes up in some way, shape, or form really often. Um, it's awesome. Were your they, resume? They were, were like your story. resume, your first resume. <laughs> yeah, 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 no doubt about it. The best, in some ways, the most important part because it was the start, you know. Yeah. Your 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 uh, your roots. You're you're part of the, you know, exactly. the branches of a family tree, man. So don't don't forget your roots. Never. All right. Thank you, Brian. I love you, buddy. Shout out to Rabies. Love shout you, out to Rabies. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. All right. Take bye. care. Bye bye. Let's see something. Let me talk. All right, Stormy, say something now. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, okay, Storm, we're going to have to tell the story again. I'm sorry. I love you. Okay, so. Okay, that's and, and, fine. <laughs> okay, now it's working. So, Stormy, do you remember how we started working together? Was it through Rancid? Um, I'm pretty sure it was. That's how we met you. Or sick of it all. But if you remember, what's your recollection of the first time meeting us and moving forward and stuff like that? Okay, well, I, I could be wrong about this, but okay. I feel like the first time I met you was on a Sick of It All tour. Okay. And then there was a point in time, I want to say like late 93 or early 94, somewhere around there, Sick of It All and Rancid toured together. They did an East Coast run and a West Coast run. Yeah. And they alternated closing. And if I remember correctly, you were a roadie for Sick of It All. Yep, correct. Does that sound right? Okay. Yeah. And I remember being in a van because both bands were touring in vans at that time. Yeah. And we were on some drive and there were these your mom jokes going on yeah. back and <laughs> forth in the van. <laughs> and I want to say Tim Shaw was in there with us. Yep, and for sure. Anyway, somehow like all of these friendships just like between the two bands really gelled during that time and if I remember correctly, H2O kind of came out of that camaraderie, and yep. and I think it was you and Pete Kohler. Correct. And H2O started out kind of as a three-piece. Kind of. It was Did yeah, yeah, right? yeah, kind of. Like it was me, and then whoever was around, I could you know jump on their equipment or something and play this one great weird song. But yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and and so I think you guys kind of like were were jumping on shows here and there, and then it kind of started getting serious and taking off. Hundred percent. And I was working with Sick of It All at the time, who who I still work with, and I think through that connection we started working with H two O, and we booked dates for H two O in nineteen ninety five and nineteen ninety six. Wow, and I think we only had like. We only had a seven inch out. We really had nothing, no material. I think we had like a demo tape, and we had like a seven inch out. Then, then the first record came out in '96. Um, so yeah, I do remember that. And I, I, mer I remember you actually s talking about this somewhere. I don't know what it was, but how much I used to always call you <laughs> Stormy, <laughs> 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 because we we really didn't have a manager, and I think we were super excited about what was happening. Very passionate. And I feel like we called you a lot, and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I want to apologize for that. You 
poor guy. I do remember, like, well, and it's just like you'd have an idea and you'd call me as soon as you had the idea. And yeah, yeah I, I do. Yeah, it was, but it was great because you were really passionate about what you were doing. And I feel like there, you know, like the internet and things like that were still fairly new. Totally. And because I still remember booking tours back in the days of pagers and wow. fax machines and having to mail everything <laughs> everywhere. So wow. yeah, we had typewriters. We our first few tours that we did, everything had to be typed up on typewriters. So you guys I think were just at that point when when everything was starting to, you know, come up on computers and the internet and all that. So. Wow, and so so how long have you been booking bands for now? I booked my first tour in 1991. Wow. 1990-91, I think it was it, somewhere right around there because I started Leave Home out of my parents' basement when I was living at home. It was like my first year in college. Wow. <laughs> and named it after my favorite Ramones record. So. <laughs> wow, I never even thought about that. Oh, my God, I'm such, yeah. a, I'm such a poser. All these years, I didn't realize it was named after that Ramones song. Wow, that's an amazing <laughs> story. And so what was your first tour you booked? Do you remember? Um, the first tour I booked was for a, a hardcore band out of Salt Lake City called Insight. Yep, I know them, yep. And yeah, and the guys in that band had toured, and they had phone numbers from, do you remember Chubby Fresh from Cleveland? Yes, yes, I do, I do. <laughs> Integrity? I do, yes. And so they passed along some phone numbers to me that he had because they had, had booked a few tours, and they were kind enough to let me go out on a tour, one of the tours with them, and while I was out, I, and it wasn't like a big tour, I think it was just like a handful of dates, but yeah. like I said, it's back in the day of the pager, so, you know, you would page someone, call from a pay phone, get their info, set up the show. <laughs> I mean, our phone wow, man! in the early days are like $800 a month kind of thing. Wow. And... <laughs> And so when we'd go out to these other cities, we'd collect phone numbers and yeah. contacts of kids in other cities, and we all shared, like, networked That's amazing. contacts and phone numbers and kind of patched tours together that way in the, in the early days. And wow. um, when any of the – and I put on shows in Salt Lake City, so yeah. I used to put on shows for a lot of the Discord bands, Revelation, yeah. Amphetamine Reptile, um, and – we just we just kind of keep gathering contacts. I still have this notebook that I made with tabs in it for each city and state where I had handwritten people's names and phone numbers. Holy! And the clubs that they booked. <laughs> That's because like it was before <sighs> any of that stuff was. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I didn't work in a in a big music industry at that time where people had access to Polestar and things like that. Mm -hmm. It was just still. It was really still underground, and I mean, we were pulling. We were looking at old black flag routings and and things like that. Wow. <laughs> they zigzagged all over the country and <sighs> trying to find who booked the black flag date here or there and let's see if we can find that person and see if they'll do this show or that show and That is insane. That's total like that is like that's like the the that's DIY grassroots to its fullest. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> It's it's like you get that's how you guys all stay connected with that. That's amazing. That what what a community that was, you know? Like that's amazing. And then now Well What do you mean? Go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say it was 
I feel like it was really cool because just like you said, it was a real community. Yeah. The only way these bands survived is by helping each other. Yeah. They weren't picking each other apart and it, it didn't feel competitive. It felt like, you know, we're all in this together and it's the only way we can survive and get this scene off the ground and more established so that bands weren't having to just play VFW halls and basements and places like that. Yeah, I'm sure now it's like, it must be like a whole different world booking bands now with the internet, how fast that is and not having to be on the phone all the time. You know what I mean? Like that's, totally. that's so different now. Um, wow. So here, so here you are now and you're still booking bands. You're still doing it. You did it all yourself. I mean, did you, did you, did you go to college to do work in the music business or no? No, <laughs> as a matter of fact. <laughs> so while I was going uh, let's see, when I started in college, I was working at a record store yeah. and I was making $2.85 an hour. Wow. And I was going to school part-time and working at the record store. And then Jordan Cooper from Revelation Records, yep. actually, he kind of hooked me up with my first real industry job. <laughs> wow. And I used to call record stores for Revelation and try to get them to... Uh, you know, get CDs in their stores for for you know Judge and and you know all the bands he was wow. he was putting out at that time in the early '90s. And then I was doing um, like a an uh, a radio show at the college station and yeah. was only playing artists on independent record labels. Yeah. And so that way, you know, I could put on shows. I you know I had my record store job and and had the chance to work with Jordan and through Jordan I met bands like Shelter and Into Another yeah. and eventually started booking them and uh wow man yeah it was just i mean the first time i met sick of it all they were on tour with Biohazard and i was on that tour what year was that yeah, what, I, what year was you that you and Isaac, yeah cuz i think you guys stayed at my house no way man <laughs> and that's how i ended up working with sick of it all because we'd promote the shows and the band wow crash at our house overnight margie albon and i lived together at that time okay she's the booking agent she's at do it and she started her own booking agency and and worked with a ton of really incredible bands too yeah that is amazing so what year was that you think that sick of it all so it's like 92 maybe 93 it had to be yeah because i started working with them right around 1993 yeah um because those sick of it all and the luna chicks are the two bands that have been on my roster the longest oh so wow <laughs> that's amazing 93 so, that's crazy yeah. i love the Luna chicks that's awesome oh um, yeah <laughs> and, and so you you got us our our second not only a second show one of our one of our one of our most our, our most I guess solidifying us as a band was a show that you got us on. It was with Looney Chicks and Rance at the Limelight. Oh my gosh! That, I totally remember that. That was an incredible show, and that was like our first real show at a real venue. You know, because we had we had played like one show I think maybe in Queens, and we maybe played something else. But this like the Limelight, like real official established bands, we're opening up for. That was in. I'm sure you were out there for that show, too, I'm sure. Um, uh, you know, I probably... Was that around the time that Madball started? Because I remember seeing them at, at the Limelight as well. I'm not sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they started way before you show, for sure. That makes sense. Okay. Um, 
but yeah, that was that was a great great one. And then obviously all the stuff we did with those bands moving forward. But yeah, so amazing. Um, well, I appreciate you, um, taking us on at the early early age. You were just like a little baby, you know, Billy and the music out <laughs> and get us on those tours. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, and I appreciate being part of H two O's history. And uh, from the beginnings, and um, and obviously I'm so proud of you where you're at now and how long you've been doing it for. I mean, you've been working hard forever doing this out of pure love for the music and what you do, and that's that's amazing to be able to do that, especially starting out in your parents' garage. That's that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that that's how that's how bands start. That's like a band story too, you know. Like we were jamming in our parents' garage, and now here we are. Like that's when, and, and you stuck to it. Were there any times where you felt like I can't do this anymore, or this is hard, or not that it's hard, like, you feel like it wasn't, I don't know, did you ever feel like quitting or giving up, or? Um, I never felt like quitting or giving up, but I, I remember early on, and this was like maybe 1995-ish, and I had moved from Salt Lake City, where I'm from, out to L.A. Yes. And I remember, it, it's just so expensive to live out there, and yes. I remember thinking, like, I can't make ends meet, This is this is getting really hard, and... I remember, like, thinking I can't keep doing this financially because I just I can't make it work. Yeah. And I decided I need to, to figure out some way, and that's when I started booking internationally. Wow, okay. It wasn't just U.S. dates, and I thought, I've got to find a way to supplement or do something. Yeah. And then, you know, over the years, I, I went back to school and finished my degrees, and I, I do uh, – I teach at a couple of universities out here just to offset – Oh, I mean, that's it's awesome. not a big money-making thing, yeah. <laughs> but it, it allows me to do what I love, and, yeah. and now I get to do two things that I love, so what do you it, teach? It, does, it helps. What are you teaching? I teach um, U.S. history, but my, my area of expertise is the Vietnam War, Wow! and so I teach courses at both universities on the Vietnam War, Holy. and I'm writing my dissertation on the impact that music had during that era. So wow, that's amazing, Stormy. <laughs> yeah, that's still amazing, though. Wow, man, that is really cool to be able to go back and do that too. You know, like that's awesome. Wow, <laughs> very, very. Uh, that's really cool. Uh, I, I think I, I think my um, I got my grandfather was in the Vietnam War. Actually, yeah, he actually was. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I have actually posted a picture of him on Veterans Day. Um, that my my grandma had gave us some pictures a long time ago. I found a cool picture of him. But yeah, but wow, that's uh. Why, why, why the Vietnam War? Why is that the war that you focused on? Um, I think because there were lyrics to songs I was listening to during kind of you know my early teen years. Dead Kennedys, fifteen, maybe. Dead Kennedys. Yeah, for sure. Fear, bands like that yeah. were were writing about um, veterans' issues and 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 just you know the the war in general. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to put words in their mouth about what what their meaning was yeah it, it always intrigued me and i remember i started the first book i read was charlie company when i was about 14 and oh, it wow. just kind of spiraled from there and i always wondered what happened with that war and as i've gone on to research it i i just have more and more questions and That's it's awesome. a fascinating uh uh conflict and it ties right in with with the cold war and uh about a year or so ago i had the chance to go over and visit vietnam for about three weeks and travel from hanoi 
all the way down to Saigon. And wow. It's, just, <laughs> it's a amazing. beautiful country, incredible people, and it just really uh, motivated me to finish my, my studies into that conflict. Well, so, well, yeah. That's amazing. What's crazy is back, back then as a kid, you're like, what is the, what is Vietnam? What's the Vietnam War? Like, is that the name of the war? Is, is that a place? Is that a country? Like, you, you, when you're a kid, you just hear these names. You don't really think about what that's actually a, pl- a place. You know, it's like that's the name of the. You know what I mean? It's weird. Like, as you get obviously, obviously when you go to school, you learn about. It, but originally, we first like Vietnam. What's that? And it's cool you got to go there and ex- and see that now with your own eyes after like reading about it and really being in, involved and interested in that war itself. It's so going there was a, it must have been a huge deal for you, right? Like, was it overwhelming? Was it yeah, overwhelming is the right word, and it was humbling, and it was really interesting how the people there are so eager to um, communicate, and we, everywhere we went, people would approach us and try to speak English, and I, I took a Vietnamese language course before I went so that I could try to speak their language oh, while that's I was cool. there, and I think I botched it horribly, but they were really kind <laughs> and <laughs> tried to understand what I was saying because it's, it's a tonal language. Yeah. And, and so you never know what's really coming out if you're not hitting the tones right. But, well, at least but you the tried. people were just yeah. super gracious. And the thing that really struck me is there's a huge movement there um, and kind of an underground movement to gain civil liberties, just basic civil liberties. Yeah. And the other thing to me is the youth culture. Everywhere we went, we would have kids, um, you know, come up to us or, or, you know, where we were staying or kind of find us in, in different places and kind of in whispers ask us, what's, what is it like? What is America like? Oh, we can't wow. leave our country. We have to be sponsored. I mean, it's, Wow. It's difficult, but the internet has has cracked open so many of these um, kind of, you know, these countries that are governed by authoritarian and kind of oppressive governments that they're yeah. starting to see the haves and have nots. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a lot of fear. They can't speak out against their government, or you know, you take the chance of disappearing in the middle of the night. So. Wow. As, as tourists over there, we were coached on things that we could and couldn't talk about yeah. while we were there. So, but, the, you know, this, I think it, you've toured extensively all over the world. Yes. And do you find <laughs> that everywhere you go, people are kind of the same? Yes, 100%. They, families providing for their families, a yep. roof over their head, food on the table. And yes. And and there are some real core values that we all share in common. Hundred percent. That's what really impressed me. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and what's your experience with that? I mean, like I remember going to Japan for the first time in the early '90s and just being like shell shocked of how how amazing the people were, how friendly everybody was, how respectful they were. There was like no graffiti on the trains. There was no trash. People had the bicycles outside unlocked. People would actually bow to you when they stage dived. Like it was so. <sighs> It, it was it was amazing, it w- and I came back and I was like, I'm gonna be a different person. Like I, I remember coming back and like being so, just shell shocked by it. You know, I've been there a, a bunch of times since, and it's still wonderful to go to. But just going there and the energy of the people and how there's so many people, but they're so respectful and everybody has like they give each other space and they cover their mouths when they're sick and just like, just it was just it was it was unreal. It was like I was on a different planet, you know. So Japan was one of those, and then. Went to Indonesia this this summer for the first time, and that was pretty awesome too. It was just very tropical, very hot, 
but the kids there were so excited you actually came there and um where we were staying at wasn't the best neighborhood we should we should went to more spots to check out but it is what it is but it was so wonderful and people really appreciative of you being there you know but like also like they're asking about america and they're especially kids who are into music they're like really obsessed with america and american culture and the style and the bands and like they're like they're, especially with the internet now it's so easy to find new music for them as long as the internet's mm -hmm. not banned in their country you know what i mean like some yeah. places it's banned like you're saying but yeah it's just it's just amazing to travel and to meet people and to and see i also like seeing how people are looking at us especially now with our president when you go overseas you get some you get the questions about our president just how we look on television from them their eyes looking over here you know um mm, yeah it's, it's interesting um but yeah it's yeah, music has taken us a lot of places and met a lot of cool people and seen different cultures and stuff. And but like you said, yeah, we all—it's all based on love and family. And everybody's trying to live a better life the best they can. You know, there's, there's so many good people out there. Um, it just sucks we only hear about the bad ones sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was just thinking. Is you never really get to see all of the things that you have in common with other people and cultures. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's amazing. That's amazing. I learned so much about you today that I didn't even know. It's amazing, so I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you're awesome. <laughs> no, it's so cool. It's so cool. I, I, didn't, I didn't even know all that stuff about you. It's awesome. We got to go there. That's amazing to be like studying something and really interested. We get to go. That's awesome. Um, well, thank you, Stormy, for your time. I appreciate everything you've done for music, everything you've done for my band, everything you've done for people, and and being uh, a positive person, and also, you know, you're you're living your best life, and you. I think you, I don't, I, I can't speak for you, but it sounds like you're living your dream, like you're doing what you love, and a lot of people don't get to do that, and and you worked your ass, you worked your ass off to get there, starting from your parents' garage, and I think that like, that's the epitome of what punk rock and DIY is. You know what I mean? Like, if you really love something, you find a way to make it happen and be able to do it as a career, and um, I feel like you're you're one of, you're one of them people. Well, you're far too kind, but I, you know I appreciate that. But I've had a lot of help along the way, and and I've had some really good mentors. And I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I I appreciate that. You know, some of these bands have given me such a chance, and you know, hung in there with me through my flaws and <laughs> the good and the bad. I of course, it. yeah, of course. We're not we're not we're not we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. Um, but yeah, well, I appreciate your time, Storm. I appreciate everything you've done. And I'm psyched. I still get to talk to you. We're still friends after all these years. And yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> and um, th thanks for giving me, giving me your time today to, to be on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Toby. And, thanks li and, so much. and Leave Home Booking is named after Ramon's album. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yes, it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, ju it, ju it just made sense. Like, oh, Leave Home, go on tour, Leave Home Booking. I never thought about it like that. <laughs> you know what's even sillier is that I, I was signed to Epitaph Records. I did a crazy interview with Brett a couple weeks ago. And, and the day before, I was just Googling stuff about Epitaph, and I didn't realize that the Epitaph E was actually a gravestone. I never even thought about <laughs> it. I never even thought. I feel like such a poser. Um, it's, That's it, awesome. Yeah, it's just, it's, I, I never I even knew that. I think it was that. more prominent back in the day when the label first started. But. I, I think so, too. But I, I thought I was like, oh, my God, I'm so silly. Anyway, Stormy, <laughs> thank you so much. You're the best. And um, I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Right on. Hey, thanks, Toby. Right, I'll talk to you soon, Stormy. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Yo, check, check, check. Say something, Tim. What's up? Check, right. check, check. <laughs> check. 
All right, so this is so, so this I'm, we're, on, we're on, the, on the phone with Tim Bohr right now, and Tim, your name came up several times on the H2O podcast episode uh, with me, Todd, Rusty, Adam, and Todd Friend, just being part of the family tree, part of the branches from the be- in the beginning with us, and um, I'm trying to figure out how we met you or where we met you. I definitely know that you booked one of our first shows in Philly, and Colin McGinnis was there, maybe like two other people. Do you remember that one? Man, you know, it's all the early days of the band are a bit of a, a blur. I remember you played that. Yeah, I definitely remember the show you're talking about. It was in like it was at a college somewhere in North Philly. But I I don't remember exactly what what college it was at. Yeah. Or who else played or whatever. But I do remember that for sure. I, was, I thought it was like a bar or something. I wasn't even sure if it was a. So uh, who the fuck knows, man? There was there was so many, you know, there were so many early moments that we were all, you know, getting to know each other and figure, you know, figure the whole thing out. Um, yeah, and how do we? Yeah, I, that. The, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, how we met? I actually don't exactly remember either. I remember. <laughs> look, I, I think I think you know. Look, we we're all, all all hardcore kids going to shows. Yeah, so I I've seen you a lot, you know, from being a teenager. This and that. I don't know that we really knew each other, but you know, um, in the Philly you know, shows, and yeah. Then, yeah, and then you know, you guys started to like definitely get some momentum with the band, and at the same time, you know, I was I was booking tours for bands. I, yeah. I might have already been booking, you know, Shelter at that point. I definitely was booking like Vision and Killing Time and Sheer Terror and Life of Agony and Typo at that point. Um, what year did you start booking bands? Well, I don't know. That part is a little bit of a, it's not a blur, but, you know, I I started off trying to be a promoter in like 91 yeah. in Philly. And then, you know, I realized that, you know, I really didn't want to be risking money. And, you know, that's a, it's a marketing yeah. hustle. It's not totally. Really a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it, it, it's similar, but it's different, obviously. And, and, uh, I started booking tours not long after that. Maybe it was 92 or 93. And, yeah. you know, it, it started with hardcore. It started with, you know, Vision and Killing Time. Those two bands were the first two. You know, I was friends with all those guys, and they were the first two to, like, let me give it a shot. Matt, Matt Ball, you know, followed soon That's after. Right. And, That's right. You know, like I said, Sheer Terror and, and Life of Agony and Type O, uh, and then Shelter and H2O kind of, kind of followed all that. And where were you booking? Were you booking stuff out of your crib, like just doing? Yeah, like... man, I was I was booking stuff literally out of a spare bedroom in North Philly. <laughs> and, That's uh, crazy. Yeah, man, and like really, <laughs> how I got like my first real job was when Typo was blowing up, okay. and they were getting tours with Queensrÿche and Motley Crue and Nine Inch Nails and. Uh, Damn. somebody who was trying to basically take them from me and called me and said, Hey man, you're going to lose this band. Everybody's trying to take them, including myself. And rather than you lose the band and rather than us watch it go somewhere else, why don't you just come here with the band and whatever else you think you want to keep booking, wow. we'll teach you how to really, we'll, we'll teach you how to really do this and everybody will win. And that was my first job. Wow. <laughs> my first, like, uh, that guy was the agent for Guns N' Roses and Paul McCartney. That's the guy who called me. Holy shit. Yeah. It's, it's been a, yeah, and so, all right, so then we go to H2O, and 
I remember we started booking this. I don't know how many shows we did. I, me- I remember we actually. I remember we came in the van with us. I remember we came with us maybe out to the Warp Tour once. Um, yeah. It was like very, very hands on. It's not. It was. It was very hands on. It wasn't just like you're a good guy in the office and we get emails because it wasn't even like that back there. It was almost pre-internet also like booking shows, right? It's like now it must be totally yeah. insane, right? Yeah, man. It was still fax machines and landlines and even when I had my first cell phone, this is a crazy thought. I think about this from time to time. The first time I got you know, like a cell phone, it was like a friend of mine's cell phone that they lent me for the weekend. Could you, <laughs> you imagine now lending you their cell phone? Hell no. Hell no. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, like, that was, I mean, I don't know, man. Was that 95, 96 when it all started rolling out for you guys? Yeah, for was sure. That around that time? Yeah, our first show was in 94. We started playing some shows around in 95, and the, that record came out in 96. And um, I think Stormy was before, it, Stormy was the first one, and then we had you. You were the next one. Like, we only heard for a little, yeah. only had her for a little bit. Only, her, only had her for a little bit. So. Um. Yeah, and then I forgot what tour. What, what was one of the first tours we did with you? you remember that? I don't even know what tour. I mean, you know, there was a bunch of shelter tours. There was the um, there was the. I just saw this on Sick of It All's Instagram the other day. They were talking about the the Misfits Sick of It All H two O tour. You did that, that tour, one. right? Yeah, yeah, dude. Yep. That tour was amazing, uh, um, dude. That was ninety six, I think. Yeah, there was um. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, there was an Orange 9 tour that we did. Yes. Um, man, there, honestly, dude, there were there were really a ton. I mean, you know. Social D? Some of the time that I was with you for Social D, I was with yeah. you for the, the Boston. That's one of the tours I Damn. did in the band with you, as a matter of fact. Wow. That was 97, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, sh- I mean, it was for the first, like, two, maybe four into the third record yeah you know before we decided to like so i mean there was a lot of tours from the first record to the third record that you guys did i mean there i mean there was tons of tours I, it, trying to remember them all at this point were would be impossible the the thing that i remember the most is every single show was super fun every single yeah show. yeah yeah um, a lot of the shows at Stone Pony were awesome. I also remember like us rolling to Philly once and maybe jumping like on a mouthpiece 108 show maybe, and just yeah. jumping up yeah, and playing no songs doubt. and like Doc <laughs> Hopper and that's like how we did it. We just kind of jumped on shows yeah, and fuck man, um, yeah. So those are some of the. I mean, those are some of the tours that really got us out there in the open, like the Boston's, the Misfits, um, especially those two. I can think about like to. a great audiences man like those are like because the boss the, i mean the boston's are like blowing up they're already a big band but um those amazing shows at the truck with the boston's and consecutive yep. nights and like that social d one was epic that was a great record and like that was kind of a hard crowd for us but we did our best we could and mike was super nice and todd Finn broke his hand so mackie played drums on that tour um, yeah that's right man yep absolutely mackie was a drummer for I don't, was he a drummer for like a couple of months at, at that point, right? Yeah, he was, man. It was. Yeah. And yeah, I was I was in the mix for all that. And yeah. weirdly enough, Todd Finn would come out and play one song, and he played the song "Friend" by Marginal Man <laughs> 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 with one arm. Oh yeah, shit! That's, that's um, I think uh, I think during that time you guys did a Rancid tour too. Yeah, those Limelight shows at Rancid, like there's a bunch of shows at Rancid, like those like the man the best. 
best times and best best tours that were happening, man. Like I know the Warp Tour had started back then too. Um, yeah, you guys did the Warp Tour probably twice through that time frame. Yeah, for like, sure. That was when we were just kind of getting and started. That, you know, and that's when that's when punk really ruled the Warp Tour. Not like you know the last bunch of years yeah. where you know punk was more the minority. At, yeah, at, I mean that was that was the heyday of Warp Tour, the heyday of punk, and like that was you know. You know when when you could really become a big band because you were part of the Warped Tour world. You know what I mean. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And also, also if you were like on Fat Records or Epitaph or one of those labels too, like kids would automatically know to go check out all the bands on that label. Everything was like it was that tour or what label. It was very like it was a it was a crazy time. And um, I appreciate I appreciate you being part of that time for us too. I mean, it was. It was crazy. Well, you I, know what, man? I, I, I'm grateful for that time frame for, for myself. I learned a lot about, you know, the work that I do and, you know, how to do it. And, yeah. you, know, you know, you guys weren't really an experiment. I had some real skill set at that point. For sure. But, you know, it was probably, I still look back at that time frame and we were all young and um, I, it was as much fun, if not the most fun I've ever had you know, was that era of, yeah. of being in the music business and being part of, you know, your band developing and, and some other great bands too. But that, yeah. was, that was as much fun as it could be. Yeah, it was very, we were very green. We were very, we were very psyched. We were very fucking ready for anything to tour as long as possible. Like going tour for like six weeks. I get a fucking heart attack thinking about that right now. Six weeks was crazy. <laughs> We didn't have like wives or kids or nothing. It was just like the band, 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 band. Come home for like a couple of days, go back on the road. Like it was fucking crazy, man. Like I talk about that in my band a lot. Like nine week tours sometimes, like overseas and back, and like grinding, man. Like, but that was normal. That's what you really had to do. I think you really just had to stay out there. Yeah. And, um, yep. Cause be- about it, before man. the internet was like everything. And now I can't even imagine how easy it is now to start a band, let alone book a band with the internet. It's got to be night and day, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like some things are probably a little easier to to, to roll out, and some things are a lot harder because there's a lot more noise. You know what I mean? It's a, you know, it's like before, like the internet and and everything else. It's like you know, if you were great at having a live show, which your band definitely was, like thank you. The, the word of mouth on that would kind of put you at the front of the pack. Now there's like. Yeah, you know, um, uh, uh, like literally millions of bands who can get a bunch of like, you know, streams or views on YouTube. Like, how are you supposed to get big or or even start to develop some sort of career when you're competing with that level of noise? You know what I mean? It's I true, think it's, man. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not better or worse. It's just different. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like I thought about it just now. Like how back then, if you were touring and building a fan base, and you had like real fans they'd always come they, they they still come see you now but if you're back there being like if you just a straight radio they really didn't have a real fan base that would stick out even longevity unless you had consecutive hits after hits and now thinking about the internet it's like if you unless, if you're out there grinding as a band and playing live in front of people and really working right now th- i mean it's sad to say but but if you're a band on the internet like you said it's got a million views or a trillion likes I don't know if those actually turn into 
ticket sales if that artist goes out and tries to play because they have so many views is that really real does that work in real life or is it the band that's out there busting their ass playing to like a couple you know what i mean like i don't know yeah it's, uh, it, and honestly there's some science to that but it's also you know it, i think it's very genre specific in terms of like you know some things are more like passive listeners that are in it for the moment and some of it is more lifestyle oriented and maybe some of those artists are able to like get out there and have a little bit more of a shot at having you know a touring career but i mean look i mean bands are breaking straight off of that kind of like yeah. exposure so you know it certainly works it just you know there, there's a lot of noise and the cream really has to rise to the top you know more than ever with with what that stuff is now, you know? Yeah, I, I'd love to see, like, some of the bands that are out now, like, maybe 10, 20 years later from now, if they're still... They, they, they came up in the internet world and not, like, the just be out there with flyers and grinding and playing shows. It's just, it's just a different world. It's just, and we're lucky to be part yeah, of that well, original. Yeah, and there, there's still a culture for that, too, man. And, for you sure. Know, it's, not, it's not as prevalent as it was, and man, do I really respect and love the bands that still want to go about it that way and, yeah. you know, go be great on stage and prove it that way. They got to do the other stuff, too. Yeah. They can turn and, you know, be part of, of, of life on the Internet. But I love a band that still values being a great live band. I love it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's super important. Um, Nothing better. What, so how many years now for you in the, in the booking game now? I mean, if we're going to say 92, whatever the subtraction wow, on that, it's only yeah. a, the only job I've ever had as an adult, man. The last wow. job I had was dig ditches, mowing lawns, and and pumping gas at a gas station. And literally, those are the last jobs wow. I had before this one, man. That's amazing, man. That's fucking amazing. And now you, now you work with gigantic bands, and you've worked with all different, pretty much all different genres of bands too. I mean, I don't know if you did any. Do you ever dabble in hip hop? A little bit, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I was, was Wu Tang's guy for a little while. Oh wow! I was I worked with 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 Everlast and House of Pain oh, for that's a little awesome. while. But I mean, you know, I'm and I have worked with every kind of different genre. Yeah. But I'm, I'm real proud to say that most of my living is 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 made uh, made from still giving back to being into punk and hardcore and metal. Like that. that yeah. That's my shit. That's what yeah. I do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm. I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna get this out of my memory of you crucified with throwing up the uh, metal hands. You, that's a tattoo, right? I remember that. What's that? Your tattoo with the crucified with the guy throwing up like the horns. <laughs> I got the crucified <laughs> with, with the exploited. I, I'll, I'll never. I'll never man. forget that image. I don't know why I always think about you when I think about that tattoo. I love it, man. Oh fuck. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, it's pretty good. All right, Tim. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate. You believing in the band, being part of our, our early days, and still being our friend over 25, almost 25 years later. And I'm super psyched what you've contributed to music and what you still do. And um, I saw, I was watching the Everett video the other day. I saw your face pop in there. It, was, it made me smile. Like it was like it was a family, dude. Everything we did was like together. Yeah. And it wasn't. I don't know. It's hard because. Well, some, you know what? You ahead. know what really rules about it, Toby, and like. There, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with a few bands to have this going on, but it ain't no joke for sure that any band's able to pull it off. But it's really significant. It's really meaningful that all these years later, your band is still super beloved 
by fans and that like you know you, you new new people still get turned on to your band and they give a shit like yeah that's a thank fucking you. magic trick man it's a goddamn magic trick thank you man i appreciate that and thank you for being part of, part of that with us in the beginning man i appreciate all those tours I mean, it's because of you know you getting us all, all those tours we did too exposed us to different people and you know, I, I was always proud at H2O always being the band that didn't just preach to the converted. I like playing to different audiences, and you were part of making that happen. And, yeah, I'm very blessed that we still get to play, and people still care. And, fuck, man, it's probably about my only job, too, my adult. I mean, I, did, I worked at Roadrunner. I worked at, uh, out here, I worked at uh, Golden Voice for a little bit. But basically, it's basically my band, like, fucking almost 20, it's 25 years this year. It's crazy, man. Yeah, man. Fuck. All right, Tim, well, much much love to you, and I appreciate everything, and uh, I hope to see you soon. I also want to say, too, like, sometimes in this business, people mix business and friendship, and that's kind of a hard balance, but I feel like I was talking to Vaughn last week about, like, with all the stuff we all went through with business and friendship and everything with the bands, like, I'm still happy that we're all friends. Like, I could still, I consider you a friend, and you're part of, you've always be part of the family, you know? Well, I appreciate that, man, and, like, you know, I think it says a lot because, it wasn't always easy, and no. and mixing stuff is hard. But I yeah. think it says a lot about who who people are that you can get through that stuff, work through it, and you know, wind up in some situation where everybody gets to to to, to say that they're friends and 100%. still stay in touch with each other's lives all this time later. You know what I mean? Hundred percent, man. And uh, and I think that's, that 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 kind of represents uh, hardcore punk music in, in a nutshell. Um, yep, no doubt about it, dude. No doubt about it. All right, Tim, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I hit you up soon, bro. All right, bud. Good talking to you, man. You too, Tim. Bye. Yeah. Okay, we got you. All right. So, I got, ladies and gentlemen, I have Bill Wilson on the line. Obviously, his name came up today in the H2O podcast because he's a big part of H2O's history. Um, so, I wanted to call Bill Wilson. Hi, Bill Wilson. What's up, Toby, man? How are you? Good. <laughs> So I was trying to get like a time like my, my memory is pretty bad with a lot of shit. So between my band and then Hans Haydout and then you, I want to bring back the timeline a bit. So you were friends with, well, you knew Hans, right? Before. Wait, 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 wait. Dude, I remember you when you had dreadlocks and I met you at a Wust show in D.C., in like 89 or 90, you were like a little kid with no tattoos, like a <laughs> I love this shit. That we met, we met back then, Bill, for real. That's awesome. Yeah, it was at a what I think Outburst played or the Icemen played or Sheer Terror played. I don't remember what show that was, but there was like a couple of shows over a couple of years at the Wust in DC. And I would like pack all like one of the bands into my car and drive to DC. And I would set up like the, the blackout merch table. And I distinctly remember you because, like, you were like, my name's Toby, whatever it is, and it was cool. You were very enthusiastic, kind of the same way you are now. So, like, yeah. I remembered you, and you had, like, dreads and shit. Oh, my God. And then and then we met, like, again through through your brother because of Outcrowd and American Family. So, yeah, Outcrowd, ladies and gentlemen, is my brother's other band. He had a band for almost nine years, um, kind of an alternative rock band, great songs, had some really great shows and some great tours. So Bill Wilson signed them first. Um, what year did you sign them? It was like 91, maybe. Like, I was like, so I was doing like Sheer Terror, Outburst, Uppercut, and of course the Where the Wild Things compilation. But like, 
I was listening because I was in New York City. I was listening to like a lot of other music that was starting to pop, and I still considered myself like a hardcore kid. Yeah. Like, you know, there was just like, I mean, crazy. when you went to hardcore shows, it was like, you know, five dudes for every dude. Like, it was just not yes. cool. So I would always go and like go to other shows primarily to get a better male to female ratio. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I started liking, it was true. So I started, you know, going to all these, you know, indie rock shows and, you know, I started signing other bands. Like I did that band Crawl Pappy, which were kind of like Helmet and Prong. Yeah. I did the Goops who were kind of like Debbie Harry singing for the Ramones. Yeah. I did like a no-wave band called God Is My Co-Pilot. They were like one of the like first queer core bands. Wow. And I signed American Standard. I did a record from them. Great band, American Standard, man. Like, Great band. Yeah. They were like New Jersey's answer to Dag Nasty in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, so, and because of like the New Jersey-Hoboken connection, because Todd lived in Hoboken to start, Yeah. and they played a bunch of shows with American Standard, I got to know those guys, and I thought their songs were really great, and they could, like, be a thing. And I said, you know, as I'm looking to expand, like, the idea of what this label might mean, let me start working with Todd. And plus, he was, like, super cool to hang out with. Yeah. And, like, he was a bartender at all these, like, cool bar- like cool bars, and, like, we would always, like, hang out. Zigzag. So friendly thing. Yeah. I said, yeah, I said, I said, I said cool. Zigzag Bar. Remember Zigzag Bar? Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Like, I always forget the names of the places, yeah. but I can tell you it was like, what, like 23rd Street, yep. 7th or some shit? Yep. Yeah. And Johnny Johnny Ramon was like one of the big customers in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Todd used to say he was just in here, and I would I would always go in there and, and hang out. Yeah, it was cool. Like, you know, and your, bro- you know, and your brother's great. I, you know, I loved hanging out with him back then. It was, it was cool. What, uh, what, what years was that? It's got to be like 92. Okay. Somewhere around like 92, 93. Probably okay. 92. So then, Todd, this is interesting because now I'm starting to get a pattern for everything. Is that my brother had a relationship with you, and that's and that's how it kind of worked out with H2O2. And that's the same thing with Hans Haydelt, too, but that was through you. It's it's cool. It's, it's interesting because I wanted to, like, everything go in kind of chron- chronological order with everything that happened with us. Um, so then. We signed with you in what, 94 or 5? It was five? like 95, 96. It must have been 95. Because the record came out in 96. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so it know- took a while for everything to get going and all that and all that stuff. And that's when I, you know, I was working out of uh, the offices in Midtown. In Midtown, yeah. And so I know we, okay, we did our demo and then we did our 7-inch with Equal Vision and then it was the Blackout record. And I, I think we recorded that record. Yeah. These guys were saying like in five days. You guys recorded that record really, really fast, but it was great because it was it was almost like a live record. Yes. You know, like the energy, like when some bands go into the studio and they record records and they, they take too much time, it kind of sucks the, the power and the soul out of a record. Yeah. But you guys went in there and I, you know, distinctly remember like you were like screaming like, at you, like you were at a show. Yeah. You know, you were singing like with the mic in your hand as opposed to like putting it up and like trying to like be melodious. You were like focusing on like the energy. And yeah. Like, that's why that record sounds like a live show. And it was such a great energy vibe that I think it was, was it Brielle Studios with Larry Buxbaum, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Rest, yep. rest in yep. peace, downtown. Larry. Rest in peace, Larry Buxbaum. Um, yeah, that studio was downtown by the Holland Tunnel. We had so many different yep. New York, uh, New York lands, right? Yeah, so many different New York 
uh, staples in the studio. Jimmy Gestapo, Anthony Killing Time, Freddie, Armand, um, Siv. We had such a diverse group of friends that that was such a fun record to make. It seemed like it took forever. Think about it now with how many different people we had on there and stuff. And But I can't believe five... Because we had been touring a lot with no music out, really, except for like that 7-inch. So we, we had the songs down so tight, I think that's how we just rocked it in the studio, you know? Yeah, it was great. I mean, like, when I got all the roughs and shit like that, I was always just, like, it was super happy. The only the only friction point was it was a little short, so you guys had to go in and record one more one more song. Oh, shit, that's right. Okay, because then, then we had... Then we added the fucking, um... Fuck too many questions, but none of the truth. We had that last song that Rusty wrote. Ah, oh, fuck, I forgot the songs. Um... And then we have My Love Is Real on there, the bonus track from Wetlands. Yep. That's yeah, you put, the, you put the My Love Is Real track on there to kind of like edge out for 30 minutes. Oh, shit, that's so right. I forgot about that, man. Holy shit. Oh, yeah, Rusty put My Curse on there. That was it, My Curse. Yep, 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 yep. So that came out in 96. Um, and we didn't know what to expect with that record putting it out because we only had the 7-inch out. Um, people only heard like four songs at that point, and I think all four of those were on the record, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, but you know, yeah, but like, dude, the stars like align for that record. Like, you, you know, I will say that, you know, as, as a front person, you know, you're great, Thank you know, you. and you know, everybody's in the scene too, so like, it was good. You know, you had traveled the entire U.S know being a uh, you know in the road crew so everybody yeah. around the u.s knew you yeah. right there were all these bands that saw you with sick of it all and things like that so you were already like it was like you were already on tour with a band but you didn't have a band so it yeah. was like awesome because like frankly i got to plug into a network that you had already kind of established like you were like social media before social media happened <laughs> you were like a one man like, I, I always say this, like when, when when I talk about like like bands and how they have to like like promote, like I was like, dude, you could be naked and fucking standing there on the street, like and like immediately you would like pull a shirt or a CD or a flyer like out of thin air and make some kid feel like your best friend mm. because that's how passionate you were about your band. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. It's because uh, it really started didn't really start off like that way. It started as like a joke, but then when I realized it could be something, I actually learned that I could kind of sing. And then we did our first show and all that stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, thank you. Yeah, I still am actually because here we are, twenty five years later. It's fucking, it's crazy, man. And then I just uh, that record's one of my favorite records because it's our baby. And it's because it's the first thing we put out, and it's because just lyrically and everything about that record still hold true to us as people, as adults. And um, and that, that record kind of, and with everybody that came to support it too, from like all the people I looked up to growing up, actually came to the studio and were part of it. That was like a big deal. And they did the family tree video and Rabies was there and all of our friends were there. And I mean, fuck, see, that we, I know, I'm sure you remember the, the video for Family Tree, like we sold out two shows in one day at CBGB's and I don't know if that ever happened at that point. Yeah. And that was fucking crazy, man. Yeah, I mean, and that was great because, like, you know, I was able to, like, I mean, you know, hands down, that is the most successful record that I ever had on the label. Thank you. And it was, you know, came out at the, you know, the right time, like, and, you know, you know, you know, I had, you know, it was me, Tim Shaw, Joey I, 
Franco and Carl from Killing Time working at the label, and Ian Robinson, right? Damn. Like, and that was us. And, like, you know, I mean, not to be crazy, but, like, you know, there were some things we could have done better, but we were, like, kids, and this was our first successful record. And it was, like, it was cool and, like, you know, if, if I had it all to do over again, would I have just done some shit, like, more professionally or differently? Yeah, but, like, for a time and place that it was, it was, like, fun and great yeah. and successful. And, like, how many people who run an indie label ever get a chance to work with a successful record like that? That's, like, everybody's, like, fucking dream, right? That's, and, like, yeah. as an artist, you got to launch yourself and have your first record, like, be successful and have everybody know who it was. So, like, that's a great, that's like, that's like a memory that most people wish they had, and we were able to do it, you know, warts and all. That's amazing, and, and so, that's amazing, man. Um, did you have any expectations of that record, what was going to happen? Do you think it was just like maybe something that only sold locally, it was like a tri-state band? I don't, I don't know, I mean, did you have any expectations of that record? I mean, what, as far as, like, sonically, or but just sales, like, like, people, like people buy or, buying it yeah i mean i mean you know when you do the process for soliciting a record you know what the vibe is okay like so when i put out where the wild things are i distinctly remember like i knew jack shit about anything in music like i learned how to do the record label from buying a book called how to make and sell your own record and i learned how a record record companies work from like reading basically. Yeah. And I threw money that I saved from the summer job into doing where the wild things are. And like, I didn't know how it was going to be. And I did my maximum out rock and roll ad. I did yeah. my flip side ad. Flip side. I did my other thing. You know? And like when it came out, like I started getting orders for it. And I was almost like, wow, like I didn't expect it. But like with you guys, like because I had been doing like the outburst and the Iceman and yeah. terror and things like that, I kind of knew that like when you did that one sheet and you sent it out and you started getting orders for things and people were asking like when's it coming out is it on time like you kind of get a vibe for that it's going to do well and right? that, that and was kind of be, that was kind of before the internet too kind of popped off right oh yeah it was way before i mean the internet was just in its kind of nascent point but nobody was really using it personal computers were still really expensive not everybody had a laptop and there, yeah. there was no you know no mobile devices so, like, people were still reading zines and, like, maybe some bulletin boards if they're, like, bad could, could afford a computer. But yeah. it wasn't like everybody had something in, in 96, you know? Fuck, man. So, yeah, that that's, that was a lot of, like, yeah. DIY, word of mouth, fucking just everything, man. Just, yeah, it's pretty amazing, man. And then your, your shit was through Caroline Distribution at the time or no? It was, like, I mean, it went through, it went through Caroline. It went through a bunch of the, all the indies. Like, so... We had, like, Joey I and Franco basically selling to all the indie stores. Yeah. And then we had, you know, some larger distribution going into the chain stores through through Uni, which was, a, like, a large distribution company. Like, we put that into, like, some of the bigger chain stores. Yeah, well, you know? I, got, I, got, I, got um, a, I got a picture still. Me and Lars at, like, Tower Records or somewhere holding the copy of the first album when it came out. It was pretty cool, man. I was like, oh my God, I want a big oh, store. Cool. Yeah, dude, you got to send that to me. Send that to me. I would, I, 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 I would love to see that shit. Um, it's like, yeah. those are like snippets of life, you know? Totally. That's cool. But yeah, so so basically, so just to wrap it up, kind of is that like, obviously our crowd was signed first, my brother's band. My brother was even in H2O at the time. And then fast forward, 
he's in the band. He's already had a relationship with you. I met you back in the day. I know you from the scene, all that stuff. And then um, yeah. I think we just, do you remember the first time we met with you about doing the record? Was signing to you? I think, I think we talked about like, I think it was like, so I came out to like Jersey City a whole shitload, like okay. as you guys were starting. Like, I think that was when Max was like still drumming. Yeah, Capture, yeah, like, yeah. Like, early, early days. And I think, didn't I drive you to like your first show ever upstairs in Philly? Like, didn't I drive Max's drums or somebody's shit? I mean, to, like, uh, it was like some show in Philadelphia that was like upstairs in some god-awful club there was nobody like, there tim, tim Bohr was there and colin mcginnis it was only like there was a, i want to know that date dude i was trying to find that show the other day because there was like a small bar show i remember that man it was upstairs like i don't even remember what bar that was but it was like philly right and it was like yeah. me you tim the band and like maybe a handful of like other people yeah and like that was it and so like after that we were always like talking to each other and you would call me and whatever and then you did the EDR thing and then you were like you want to do something different and I said let's talk about it and it happened so what year was that 95 when we played that show in Philly I think so right yeah it had to be yeah it was like 95 it was like 95 fuck man um long time ago for a bunch of old dudes it is man so that so that first record still sells today kids still buy it it's still part of like you think it's part of like? Well, I licensed I licensed the the vinyl to Bridge Nine. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's good. Yeah. For a long time, I didn't do a lot of like. Basically, I stopped doing new releases in two thousand four. Okay. Um, I did this band, The Fire Still Burns, with with Nate. Oh yeah. Um, who was an ensign? Yep. I mean, I love that record, but it was like, like my whole career was turning around. I was doing more things on like the software, computer side of things. So. Yeah. Like, I kind of put the label on ice because it wasn't paying my rent, really. Gotcha. Um, and uh, and kind of just, you know, started having all my shit up on iTunes. Yeah. All my stuff up on, so now everything's on digitally on Apple Music. It's on Spotify. It's on all the digital services. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, I licensed the, the vinyl to Bridge 9. So he has probably still a bunch of copies laying around or has yeah, done a that's great. here and there once in a while. Yeah, because it's crazy how, like, everything went kind of, like, digital, but then vinyl is so popular still. It's fucking massive, man. The resurgence or whatever yeah. it was, it's just, it's it's crazy that people, it's, it's cool people still care. They want to actually hold something and read something and look at pictures. And that, that, that I think that, that that's awesome. If it was a trend or not, it stayed a really long time, and vinyl is still bangs. Oh, dude, I, I, I'm all streaming and digital. Like, I either listen to my Sonos, on and digital or I listen to friggin' vinyl. Like yeah. CDs or like like frisbees or coasters. I don't even listen to them anymore. I know. It's not too long ago we had like a seven maybe it was like last year we were selling like a seven inch at the table and somebody asked us if it was like a mouse pad. Like somebody even knows it was a seven inch. It was really it was such a bum out man. People it's know. Like, you know, it's, it's funny man. It's like how 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 shit changes and how people listen to stuff and how the scene has changed over the years as like you know, it went from being like that DIY into being kind of like social media hardcore warrior kind of shit. You know, which is very different than it was back back then. You know, it is. Um, trying to ask we could talk about. I think we talked about everything there, man. And then we toured on that record for a really long time, man. Like we toured on that record for. It feels like. Oh, um, dude, and that that touring is another reason 
why you guys were so successful. Touring is like you guys hit the road. You were with the boss cones. I like know. you know, you guys were out with Social D. Granted, Social D. Like you were everywhere, and you know that was that was another thing where you know a label, especially at that point, was selling records based on you know like based on bands being on the road and people getting in and seeing you guys and taking pictures and putting them in zines and kind yeah. of continuing the hype. And yeah. You guys were one of the few bands that just said like, fuck it. Right. And you, and you guys got in the, you know, for a couple, you know, you guys had the blackout band. Yes, yeah, sir. The I white one, dude. Band. Oh my. You, 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 you guys you, put like, <laughs> You guys um, put like two hundred thousand miles on that thing. You know, like, what, you know what's so funny, so like, dude. Some recently, some guy, somebody commented on something I posted and said something like, um, something like, "Sorry, sorry, we picked on you guys back then on the blackout days." And I figured out it was somebody from Sweet Diesel. He, he said, and he wrote me a message. He's like, "Yeah, we were mad at you because you guys got the blackout band. And we wanted to get the blackout band or something." It was such yeah, a. Yeah, that was, was crazy. Like the best thing that I ever did was like I bought a band for the label. And, like, any band that was going on the road, I basically was, like, being, like, all right, well, it's, you know, me giving it to you guys and you making sure you put fucking oil and gas in it and, and don't fuck it up. Ultimate, t- be, to ultimate like, tour support, though. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was tour support. It really was. But it was, like, you know, if you went to Fantastic, you would have paid, like, people pay, like, a thousand bucks. And, you know, I was able to cover the cost of the, the lease on the van. Yeah. Or the rent, the actual purchase of the van. By being able to like you know spread all the costs across all these different across these different these different uh, these different bands and that that band actually wound up Chris from Powerhouse ultimately like had that a couple of years ago that band really I mean, a couple of years ago 1990 like 1990 I guess whatever 1991 when I put out the Powerhouse record Chris bought that van for me and drove that shit for like 500,000 miles Holy like that van lasted forever. That Econoline was like no joke. So this wow. is, Ford should be sponsoring your podcast because that shit lasted <laughs> for like years and years and years. This shit was covered in stickers. It was fucking crazy, man. Fuck, you got so much mileage good, though, on man. it. It was like probably like one of the smartest things that I ever did to help the band get on the road because otherwise people would never have been able to go. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's pretty awesome. I just realized all about the Blackout Band. That shit was fucking... Did many tours with that, man. Um... Well, shit, man. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, so we did. That was definitely a a very big chapter for us. Was the first album and a lot of people's favorite record still to this day. It's still my favorite because it's our baby. Um, just that experience, you know what I mean? Like making your first record and we still play those songs. Those still songs still hold true today and people still love them and it's it's uh it's crazy, man. Yeah, I, I, it's, I, go ahead. It's crazy for me. You know, it's weird that like I will go into a meeting like at like a major label with like people that are like executives and shit. And they're like, Oh, you know, you know, everybody talks about their career as small talk or whatever it is. And I'm like, Oh, I ran a punk rock label or whatever, but I don't kind of focus on They're like, Oh, what label? And I was like, Oh, blackout. Um, you know, if you know the genre, the most popular record I ever put out was this band H2O and hands down, like, you would be astonished as to how many people were like, oh, I saw them in Melbourne, I saw them in Australia, I saw them wow. in Germany, I saw them here. It's like, so like the pervasiveness of like the hardcore kids and the pervasiveness of people who know you and your band yeah. is like, it's actually like pretty funny. Like you would you would never think there were so many like closet hardcore kids in the music business. 
That's crazy, man. And, and like you said, it's because we we toured so much. We went every all over the map, man. Like so early on, and like that was the first thing we dived into is doing that. And fuck, man. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's crazy, especially in this day and age too. That I do run into people like random people you never expect like to know the band or know the name. Or, I might heard of you guys know the band or I saw the show. And what's cool about it too is one thing I I always prided ourselves on. We always opened up for different types of bands. It wasn't just hardcore bands. So we got to play to different audiences. It was kind of a challenge. And we kind of, instead of preaching the converted, we always try to play like different audiences. And I think because of that, some kids kind of heard about hardcore through the first time, maybe from us opening for a popular band or something. Yep. Oh, shh. I'm on a podcast. I'm doing, I'm interviewing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. You get interrupted. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, anyway, so I think, we, I mean, yeah, so, fuck, man. So that was that, and then after that was off to Epitaph, man. Fucking, you were there too, man. To the to the very end with us, dude. I appreciate. it. I remember like meeting with you and uh, and I think you came to LA. We did all that shit. We're like, we go to Epitaph. We're not going to Epitaph. Yep, yeah. We, we called it the. Uh, it's funny. Me and Vaughn joked about it. We called it the Last Supper. We all hung out in my van for like two hours, and like you were almost like going back and forth between Brent in the club and me sitting in the van with like the Eric Ozine. Oh and my God! Redemption '87. Actually, going to talk to Brett Girls this week. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was, you know, I was nervous about that move. I was excited also because we were the first East Coast band to be on a West Coast label. And uh, Rancid had played us the Blackout record to them because Rusty brought up earlier in this podcast is that we went to play Brett Girls our demos and he said he wasn't feeling it. So you guys need to get back to the studio and write some more. And then we just went on our way and we signed with Blackout. We put our record out and whatever happened with that record and people, you know, connected to it. And then we, I guess. He hear he heard that album after that, and he's like, "Oh, okay, okay. Now you guys are, uh, it's like a band." I mean, you know, he's a smart, smart businessman. He, you know, you guys were established, yeah. You know, and it's kind of like you were a proven thing, and he was able to use his bigger machine to work for you guys. And yeah. you know, you know, obviously, you know, not to be crazy, but like when I was a kid, it stung. As an adult, I totally understand the business position, right? Like that's just the way shit is. Yeah, it's it's stung for us too, though, because 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 we, we 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 are friends and we were friends before that, and that's why I talked to um, Hans about today because I still talk to Hans to this day too, and he was part of the record industry. There's some people I met in my life that in the record industry that you know are are are, are nothing like record industry people, and you're one of them. You're just a, you're just a hardcore kid, you know, the passion and the love for it. You know what I mean? And so like that was hard because we we didn't know how to really mix business with friendship either. Now that that's a hard lesson you got to learn too. We learned that a bunch throughout our career too. Like it's hard to separate those feelings and all that shit, especially Todd too, because he had a relationship with you before and then we get pressure from here and just, yeah, I mean like at the end of the day, yeah. it ha we did it. It worked for us for those two albums and we made our next move. But like, yeah. um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If they, like, I'm, I'm sorry. If they, I'm sorry. About, about being in a band. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm sorry. That's, if they ever, you like, I'm sorry if you ever took that personal or it made you sad because it wasn't nobody's intent and you were always there for us and you believed in us and all that shit. And you busted your ass for us. So I appreciate that, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, man. I mean, you know, again, it's stung as a kid, but as a grown up, I totally get it, and everything's cool now. You know, like we're all we're all in a good place, and that's what matters. Exactly. Um, I think it's a good way to end it, man. I think that's. I mean, Bill, right. Bill, this is Bill Wilson, everybody from Blackout Records. You can Google him. Big part of the hardcore history, H2O's history. So many great bands. Um, Sheer Terror, Kill Your Idols. I probably not named all of them, of course, but uh, many, many bands. And you can Google his ass and check out Blackout Records. And and Bill is a part of our history, and uh, I appreciate that. And our first record, and um, a lot of good memories, man. A lot of crazy memories. Um, yeah, I think that's good, Bill. <laughs> All right. Well, coffee, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it too, but I'll hit you up this week, man. Thank you so much for your time. Cool. Later, man. Peace, Bye. bud. Bye. Mr. Holloway, welcome to the uh, welcome to my podcast. <laughs> I mean, like we're on it right now. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, but it's not it hasn't gone live yet. I'm, I'm I'm putting everything together. So I've already done my band. I did Vaughn. I did Hans. I did Matt Wallace. I'm doing you now. I'm gonna do Bill Wilson, but it, it's, cool. it's it's almost turning into like, almost like a retrospective more than anything. It's been really, it's been really therapeutic. It's been really um, awesome. We did the whole entire band, and then today, Todd and Rusty coming up. We're gonna do all H2O songs acoustic in my kitchen. Um, <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're gonna have like we're gonna do like Go and I Know Why and Memory Lane, all these songs like for the podcast. Um, oh, that's great. So, uh, uh, so we can start now. I mean, you, you cool to record right now? Is it cool? Yeah, yeah. Do your thing. Okay, so, 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 Mark, your your name came up with the H two O today in our podcast about everything, our whole career, basically, from you know, from before Todd joined the band till, you know, everything after. And um, I know we met you through Vaughn Lewis. Were you like an intern with him or something at first, and that's how we met you, or? No, uh, so you guys were doing in the fall of uh, 1996, you were doing a show at the ch- First Unitarian Church in Philadelphia, okay. um, and, uh, and my uh, best friend Brian Bowden and I uh, came to that show. Um, I was in school in Vermont in my senior year of high school, and I'd come home for the weekend to see your show there. Okay. Uh, and uh, and we came to the show and we met Rusty okay. at the show and uh, and Rusty um, kind of just like you know like you know was just buddied up with me yeah totally was totally really cool to me you know uh, and hey come on Mark um, let's go and, hang out Mark let's come meet everybody so I'll go here <laughs> Exactly. Okay. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I, uh, he introduced me to Vaughn that night. Awesome. I, I think I brief, maybe briefly met you. Yes. Um, so anyway, um, you guys were opening for the Boston's the next night at the Electric Factory, yeah. and um, uh, Rusty invited us to come, and uh, and you know, put it like you know that's like a big venue. Like in my eyes, like that was like you know a, an arena. You know, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and you know I'd never been backstage at a show or anything and he gave us you know these passes and we came and hung out at that show and hung out backstage and watched the show and uh, and and then you know hung out with Vaughn more at that show and yeah. Vaughn you know uh, we 
exchanged information and kept in touch. What were you doing at that time in your life? So I, I was uh, my, my I was a senior in high school. Oh shit! Okay. Jun- junior year in high school, I uh, I was in like a wilderness kind of uh, rehab behavioral like program in uh, the mountains. In oh my this, god, that's right! Uh, oh, yeah, northeastern Vermont, and um, and uh, I read um, Henry Rollins' "Get in the Van" when I was in that program, and it I. Uh, I was already a big Rollins fan, but that like, you know, I thought to myself, if I could ever, if I could ever get in a van, if I could (laughs) literally get get in a van with a band, um, I would, I would want to do it. And, uh, um, but like, I never, you know, I mean, the irony is like, so I was like really into Rollins and through that, like black flag and stuff. And, uh, and, but like you know, all that stuff's like really pretty, like negative, like or like, not negative, just like kind of like angry, angry, you know. And at the same time, my other best friend from high school, Eric Smith, had got me into Black Train Jack, nice. which is like super like positive. Love and, Black Train um, Jack, yeah. And you know, my friend Eric like was never into hardcore or anything. Like I don't even know how he got into Black Train Jack, but he did. Yeah, and um. And that led to from Black Train Jack. That led to Civ, nice. and Civ led to you guys. Um, and uh, and so, you know, the irony of you know Rollins being sort of my like hero or whatever when I was a kid yeah. um, was how you know I, I went on the road and got into going on the road with your band such a positive band which you know i'm like a positive i like i'm a positive happy guy and like i like to be a positive happy kind of naive guy yeah and um and that's what really attracted me to h2o was you know um being positive being uh accepting you know welcoming and sort of embracing like you know, that was what I always loved about you was that you embraced sort of like I remember you had like uh, like when I first met you or shortly after I met you, you had like a Biggie and Tupac tattoo on, <laughs> on you like 96 or 97. Hell yeah. And I just I love the diversity of, yeah. of what um, you and your band, uh, you know, were all about. Awesome. And then so, yeah, I, I would I always feel like the shit you went through as a kid and you were kind of that rehab place. Obviously, you were angry, and you were fucking probably confused. And so Rollins was definitely somebody you could definitely connect with because he was – he had a lot of stuff inside of him too, and I'm sure there's a way to, like, filter your filter your stuff through to him, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, look, when you're, when you're younger and you're a fan of something, you really think you identify, you think you know someone. And, like, you know, I met Rollins a bunch of times. He's kind of a dick, but like, <laughs> but I mean that with all due respect, in the sense that like, like, like I love Henry Rollins to this day. To he, to me, he still epitomizes yeah. like doing what you want the way you want it. Hundred percent. You know, you do too. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like you know, making you know making your way in this world 
doing what you want, how you want to do it. Not, you know, like that's the punkest thing. It's the punkest thing, you know. Yeah, like, like I, you know, a lot of people love to throw sellout around about anyone, you know, and and to me, sellout is ridiculous. (laughs) The only thing you should be talking about sellout is selling out. You know, if you're a band, selling out a venue. Exactly. Exactly. like, Like because. You know, look, we, we were all different people. We all ha- come from different backgrounds. We have siblings. We have parents. We have aunts, uncles, friends, all who aspire to different things. You know, yeah. I mean, the hardcore punk rock community, you know, you walk around and you talk to, like, you know, in your little world, right? Yeah. And in my little world, people know some of the bands and stuff that i talk about you go and say oh hey have you ever heard of h2o hey have you ever heard of like black flag or you know gorilla biscuits or whatever you know sick of it all and most people are like nah what are you talking about yeah, <laughs> you know and true. and and so to me like you know um you know following your dreams and 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 allowing yourself to to do things that uh you know that other people might, well, that's not hardcore, that's not punk rock or whatever. I mean, that's ridiculous. I think being hardcore punk rock or whatever is is doing what you want to do and exactly. staying true staying true to yourself, you know? Exactly. So. And I feel like you've done that too. So you you so you went so from there you ended up coming with us on, you, so what was your first move with H two O? Like after you met Vaughn and stayed in contact with him, didn't you come with us on tour, correct? We we selling merch at first, right? Yeah, I sold merch one time, one, yeah. one weekend. Yeah. Uh, you guys were doing a, a couple shows in in um, New England uh, in the spring of '97, and uh, you know Vaughn was like, "Hey, do you want to sell their merch? Get in the van with them and sell get again the back to get the van." You know, <laughs> and uh, and so um, I I I met you guys. I don't know. In, boston or providence and yeah. uh and we did um i remember we did the rat with dropkick murphy's with with the original singer wow uh, and then we did uh, i want to say the met cafe and then we did uh like a show in somewhere in connecticut okay. uh, i can't remember and and um you know selling merch wasn't very complicated at that time you yeah. know it's so like uh you know and um uh and yeah that was my first thing and then I graduated high school like a month and a half later, and uh, you know Vaughn asked me to come live in his basement and be his like intern. And uh, I, I don't think he paid. I think he paid me like a hundred bucks a week or something, yeah. just something so I could like you know have like be able to Eat. you know get food or whatever. Exactly. You know? And um, and then what happened was uh, you guys went. So I mean that was a great time in my life too because you know. Vaughn and Kenny Gabor, you know, I, you know, it just was like, we're driving around and Kenny's like old Brown Buick, Buick, you know, going, <laughs> going, like hanging out on St. Mark's, yeah. eating at 7A, you Hell know, yeah. um, I hanging out with you guys all the time, obviously. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and it was so cool. You know, I mean, I got to meet and hang out around so many cool people like uh, that summer i met uh you know i met uh joey ramone um on saint mark's you know i met you know i met civ and i was like you know big fan of civ like you know my introduction to civ was 
was Civ, and then yeah. <laughs> and then I went backwards, kind of through you guys. Um, Gorilla biscuits. Uh, and, uh, yeah, with Gorilla biscuits, yeah. you know. So, um, well, you weren't. So you, just, you get, just a great summer. So you you weren't. Were you planning on going to college before you met Vaughn, or did you have any? Did you see? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I did go to college. Okay. I, I I so here's what happened. You guys went on the warp tour for two or three weeks in '97. You asked me to come. It was uh, it was just a van with a futon. Dude. We had some backline under the futon. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was the band. It was Tim from Jinx Proof, Chris Aplin, uh me, and I think Moon, and um, uh, Jesus, a and, band. And, yeah, and we we start Kenny, me, Kenny, and Vaughn drove in Kenny's Buick uh, <laughs> out to Chicago and met up with you guys, Ooh. and I got in the van with you guys there, and and. Uh, and you know that was it and then after that tour we did a couple one-offs in august or something yeah. and i and you guys were like hey we're gonna go around the world this year uh you know you can go to college anytime why, why don't you come with us and um and i was i had been accepted to wheaton college in massachusetts which by the way i went to the next year and your brother todd came and stayed in my dorm room with me he did <laughs> he did he was like creep. you know what what was he then like 40 you know oh my nah, God. He, was, he was younger than that but he was uh you know that's crazy uh, i didn't even know that oh shit yeah yeah so um <laughs> uh so i i arranged to defer my tuition uh to wheaton and uh and i went on tour with you guys and Damn. uh we went on tour that whole year. We went around the U.S. like three times. Jesus. Went across Canada. We went to Japan. We went to Europe. Um, when did you graduate into the tour manager role, though? Oh, that that was pretty quick, actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we did the Warp Tour, and then you know I got to tell you uh, a really important part that I never really talk about because no one seems to remember this guy, but. Um, so there was a guy, Mike Bukowski, yeah. uh, Mikey Rhino, um, and me and Mike, Mike was your tour manager and sound guy, uh, after the Warp Tour. Okay. And, um, Mike did your sound on the Warp Tour, but he was also doing sound for Sick of It All on the Warp Tour that summer. Gotcha. And, uh, and so we were going out to California and we were doing two weeks of shows with Pennywise. Okay. And then we were, and then we were doing... What, I, what was like to me one of the coolest tours ever best one of the best tours i've ever done in my life which was h2o sick of it all the misfits that was amazing um, dude and and so you guys had me mikey rhino and this guy maddie boy yeah maddie maddie hardcore boy. yeah maddie boy okay. from new york yeah maddie Walenta. yeah he, he used to wear wear a new newsboy cap yeah. and he had um tattoos yeah maddie boy and yeah. uh <laughs> And, and he was moving out to San Francisco. So I've never seen this guy ever since this trip. We get in the van. We drive your gear in the van out to San Fran to drop him off. And then me and Mikey Rhino oh drive down to L.A. to meet you guys. And so this ride was like, I'll never forget it, okay? So <laughs> um, it's October of 97. And, and – uh, 
you know, we're, we're, we're driving out there and, uh, and I, I remember for two, two things. So first off, Mikey Rhino introduced me to this, this band, Sam, I am, yeah. uh, from Boston. Uh, right. Uh, no, I think from California. Oh, okay. Okay. I think from California, Sam, I am, Sam, <laughs> Sam I, <am. laughs> I think, right. I think and, so. uh, and they had an album come out then called you are freaking me out. And so that I, that album always reminds me of that time, but okay. I, but the most impactful part of that trip, we had no cell phones back then. So, um, I, Matty boy, you know, we're driving out there, you know, he talked with an accent, uh, and, uh, you know, he's New Yorker and, I'm like, what do you guys want to listen to? You know, I just been on tour with you guys on the work night in the van. We're listening to Sick of It All. We're listening to Seven Seconds. We're, yeah. you know, boom, boom, boom. And um, and uh, he's like, you know, no, man. Yo, I listen to like Fleetwood Mac. You know, <laughs> Billy Joel and Hall and Oates. And wow. I'm like, now, so like, you know, when I was like five or six, like Phil Collins was like the biggest artist in the world. And I love, that was the first album I ever had. I had a little seven inch <laughs> of, of a single of Phil Collins. It was like a toy. I don't know who made it Fisher price or something, yeah. but it was like a, a little record player. <laughs> My parents would buy me these little records that went with it. And the first, one of the first records was, um, you know, like Susu Studio by Phil Collins. Like <laughs> I was like six years old, and um, and anyway, so I, you know, my mom driving around in the station wagon back back in those days. We always listened to like B one hundred one and stuff like that. And I, uh, you know, in Philadelphia, it was like the easy listening or adult contemporary or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it blows my mind that like a like Phil Collins, like a short, pudgy, balding guy who's not very attractive, was like like the biggest pop star in the world back then. Like that just would never happen now. Yeah. You know? It's pretty like, crazy actually. But, um, a- anyway, Maddie was like, yo, like you can't listen to like hardcore all the time. Like you gotta, <laughs> you gotta like be diverse, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he truly made me realize cause my first concert in my whole life was Billy Joel in 1989. Oh, wow. My parents took me to Billy Joel, at the spectrum in Philadelphia. And I love to this day, I love Billy Joel. I love him too. And, yeah. and um, and it, he just made me realize like, yo, it's okay to embrace, uh, like all kinds of music That's and cool, not man. judge and not like, if you like a song by a band that someone hates or everyone hates or whatever, you know, don't like don't trust. Be embarrassed. What, yeah. No, don't be embarrassed. Trust how you feel. You know. That's awesome. So, um, Maddie boy. So, wow. Ma- Maddie boy, <laughs> who I've never seen since. I don't know if you have. Yeah, he's doing great. He's a real estate agent <laughs> in New York. He's doing but great. Yeah. He was like, a, yeah, he had a massive impact on my life because. That's crazy. Um, yeah, because you know, like hardcore punk rock, like everything, is judgmental. Totally, you know, totally. It, it, it purports itself not to be right. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, everyone has like, I'm punker than you. I'm whatever. Yeah, right? yeah, I mean, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, and, and I mean, again, I, I just have to say that, you know, you, you can't help 
your upbringing, you can't help what your influences are. They are what they are. Yeah. You know? And I agree. Uh, so anyway, I mean, fuck, I remember, you know, the out crowd, you know, by, yeah. uh, you know, which was more of like a, almost like a U2 kind of band. Rock band, you yeah, know? totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. So anyway, uh, so there, sorry for going off. No, that's great. So, so that, that was that tour. That was 97. And then, yep. so you, so you were tour managing us, right? At that point. So, oh, sorry. I, I, uh, yeah, I got off track. Um, so we went on that tour with uh, Misfits, Sick of It All. And after that tour, Mikey left and uh, to go, I think, go with Sick of It All yeah, or I something. Yeah, Sick of It All, yeah. And, uh, and you guys were like, hey, do you want to give it a try? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, I kept a ledger. Like, you know, yeah, you yeah, no it. cell you phones, awesome. no yeah. laptops. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my whole thing from day one was I just wanted h2o to be the biggest band in the world and i wanted you know i wanted you guys to not have to walk on stage until you were walking on to get your instruments and play and i wanted you guys to like i just i just wanted you guys to be rad and, you be, know? and be more professional and be on shows on time be there before doors yeah all that shit. yeah you know because we were kind of like, we were kind of like just get there when we got there we kind of just like yeah it'd be more organized i feel like you definitely you, you like Put us, got us in shape for that too. We definitely got more professional and more organized. And um, and then how long was that for? Did we did did, did, you, did you go with us with FTTW too, or just was it taking a while? Oh yeah, yeah, it was FTTW. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I was with you that whole year, and then I, in in the, at the after um, and for the release of I, uh, I, what was uh, thicker than water? We did thicker than water. And then oh, I, tramps, yeah, New York, yeah. And then I went back to college, um, like ninety eight, ninety nine, and then back on the road with you guys um, in uh, summer ninety nine. We did the Warp Tour again. We did the Warp Tour in ninety eight too. Crazy. And uh, summer ninety nine, we did the Warp Tour again. <clears throat> and then I, and then you know we we just kept touring. We were touring all the time. And then I. Um, yeah, uh, 2000, we went to Europe, uh, which was awesome. You know, we shared with? a bus with F minus yeah. and, uh, great tour. I think and, that was like uh, H2O's first kind of headlining tour in Europe, I have to say. Yeah, and it was huge. It was awesome. Yeah, we never I mean, did the first one we done. Yeah, because we, we, we had canceled a lot of tours in the past to go to Europe. We always wanted to focus on America first. We wanted like, we wanted, we wanted like, try to be as big as we can in America where we're from and then we'll go to Europe and all of our friends were going to Europe and they were busting their asses over there. They really paid the dues for us and then we, we kind of canceled a couple of times and I think us and F minus, yeah, that was the first tour we did there, man. That was fucking awesome. I remember that. Um, yeah, it was the it was the best. I got a ton of pictures of Rusty, you know, sleeping all over Europe, you know, because remember he, he, he would always fall asleep, you know? He oh, was he like still does, grandpa, man. He still you know? does, man. Um, <laughs> it was a, yeah. Yeah, you little prick. So then, <laughs> so. Were you, so then after, were you, so that was it for H2O with us, because were you with us with the Go album or no, just FTTW? So FTTW, so the last tour I did with H2O was, uh, um, was spring of 2000, first bus tour on our own. Uh, it was uh, H2O and Saves the Day. Oh, yeah, it was a and great tour, dude. Oh, my God. Great tour, and um, 
like I didn't know who saves the day was. I had never heard of them, you know, uh, and you know, they put out, um, what through being cool. Great and, album. Uh, great album. Like that album will remind me of that tour forever. Um, that tour was sold out everywhere. Dude. I mean, we even sold out El Paso. Like it was, that was a great tour. That was a great package too, because <laughs> that was saves the day's first tour in the U S too. Um, yep. So that that was, shout out to saves the day, and then we had like every night Teddy come out, be Teddy Madball, and do Freddie's part. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know the crazy thing about that tour is, um, you know, we we played Chicago at the Met, I think, uh, at, at the Met. Okay. Uh, after that show, we we drove overnight to Minneapolis, and uh, it saves the day got an on. He hit black ice. Yeah, you cut you cut out, they, you cut out. So he just said that saves oh, the day saves the day got in a really bad car accident on that tour. Yeah, really Plus bad accident. van accident from Chicago to Minneapolis. And we had two of their guys on our bus. We would uh, every right. couple nights we would let some of their guys ride on the bus with us. Yeah. So they like cuz they had a lot of guys in their van. Yeah. So I I think um Teddy and maybe Evan, maybe, yeah, um, maybe we're we're on the bus with us. So anyway, they got uh, Marvin. Remember the bus driver, Marvin? Love he was Marvin. our bus driver. Yeah, and he woke me up in the middle of the night. I was the tour manager. We're on the side of the road. It's snowing. It's black ice, and their van is like twisted, you know, and trailer. Oh my god! <clears throat> in the middle of the Midian. Uh, I think uh, Dave w- from Saves the Day back then was driving, and the force of the crash, his two front teeth were were stuck in the, the steering, steering wheel. wheel. I remember that. Holy shit! And, yeah, so we followed the ambulance in our bus to the emergency room, and I'll never forget this. I'm in the emergency room with Chris and with Dave, and. Um, and, you know, they're getting treated. And the police are trying to write Dave a ticket. Uh, like, in the emergency room, like, while we're standing there for reckless driving because he fell asleep at the wheel. Oh, shit. Um, so, I remember that. Anyway, they, you know, they stayed there in, like, Wisconsin or whatever, wherever the accident happened. And Dave got oral surgery. And then they drove, like, th- two days straight to Seattle and they missed like two or three shows, and then they drove all the all the way to Seattle, and they met back up with us. And I remember Chris the singer had a, you know, he had broken his collarbone, and oh he my had God, a. That's right, he, dude. He he performed like the rest of the shows in pain, but in a sling. What you fucking know? troopers those kids were! Holy shit, man. Yeah, that was a great great tour, and I remember that tour too because I. Uh, God, did Rusty meet Debbie or? Rusty had already met Debbie, but Debbie, like Rusty and Debbie were falling in love, and like you know, uh, and and she was out hanging out on that tour, and just was a great time. Man. Yeah, Marvin was, was the best too. Marvin was a great bus driver. I loved him, man. Yeah, he was the best, man. So that so then after okay, so then so you just kind of like ended up doing this with us. Obviously, you're going to college. Obviously, 
everything happens for a reason. Then after H2O, how long were you off though before you started working with other bands? Like, in, or did you, after H2O, did you think you're gonna continue working in music or did you think, I'm gonna go back, like what, what was your? Well, you know, for, well, first off, you guys kind of fired me. Um, <laughs> And you, you, you had Adam fire me, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, um, but you really for like no reason. I mean, look, it was it was just like, you know, uh, it just like, you know, we it ran its course for all of us, you know, yeah. and um, yeah, uh, and I got an opportunity to go work for the Warp Tour. Um, as a stage manager uh, with Greg Teal. Yeah, and um, shout out to Greg Teal. Yeah, and I and I did that, and uh, and you guys just decided to like use someone else, you know, and um, and then uh, I went. So I was kind of down and out because, like, I I I was a fan of H two O, you know, like I know. like like that was how I, you know, it's it's weird, right? Like a lot of people that work in the music business don't. What you come to realize when you work in the music business is like people are fans of music but like people especially work on the road like they don't really care who they work for you know i mean look you have yeah to, yeah you have to make a living like yeah you know i i was lucky like i was a fan of h2o and i got to go on tour with my this band that i loved yeah. you know so um yeah i was very very lucky and fortunate that way and um but so i was a little heartbroken you know uh, when I, I, yeah. I i'm a sensitive guy you know yes, and, me too. and so i was I was a little heartbroken when I I wasn't going on on the road with you guys anymore, and you know I don't know how it happened, but I was really down and out, and I was like I'm never gonna like I was gonna go back to college, and like you know after the Warp Tour that summer of 2000, yeah. I was gonna go back to college and um, and Pete from my uh, from Bouncing Souls, um, at, like out of the blue called me and was like Hey, we heard you know, you're available. Do you want to go on tour with us? And I, I wasn't sure, like, but I said yes. And I went on tour with those guys and it just, it just was awesome. Yeah. You know, it was like, uh, you know, it was like, you know, cause it, it, it just, they toured in a totally different way. Like the way in the H2O van, you know, and touring, we all, you know, we all, Crack, crack jokes at each other trying to get each other to crack right yeah. like you know that that was the way it worked like yeah. you know and it was awesome and sometimes ball, ball one of breaking. us would blow a gasket you yeah. know yeah ball so, break so. I mean it was, it was I mean I I to this day like I think I'm sharp when it comes to that because of that you know and, like and you know what and then me too because it happened he was sick of it all unfortunately <laughs> too so the, yeah totally so th- those guys toured so they, they didn't really break balls, I guess, and they toured like... Oh, the, no, man. Like, you start making fun of someone in that band, and they're like, whoa, whoa, what are you... Whoa, hey, we, we're all friends here, man. <laughs> you know? Oh, you're, wow. you're like, what the fuck is this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but, and did you did you tour in that weird truck they had, that crazy yeah. truck? Oh, yeah, yeah. I drove that truck. Wow, and, Yeah, cool. it was awesome, man. I, and um, I just... They're just fucking awesome awesome guys man great people great band yeah, and great um bands. so anyway i but you know so i did that in the fall of uh 2000 but i was you know i just felt i felt like well shit I, you know h2o got rid of me you know 
the Bouncing Souls, they never toured like crazy. You know, they would yeah. always do like two weeks here, three weeks there. Yeah. And I, so I thought, man, I, I should probably go back to school. So I, I didn't have great grades uh, from my first year at college. And, um, uh, you know, I was doing weekend shows that year with you guys. Yeah. You know, so I, I wasn't always focused on school. So I went to Villanova University and I literally like begged the uh, admissions guy you know, I, I told him my whole story, you know, about, you know, getting off drugs and alcohol. And, yeah. and, and by the way, I mean, like, like you, I, I haven't, I don't really identify as straight edge or anything, but I haven't done drugs or drank or anything like that since uh, I was 17. You wow, know, so yeah, that's amazing, man. And you, and you went through some, and you try, yeah, you went through a lot of shit too, man. So, yeah. And, yeah. And, well, you know, and I gotta say, like, you were a big, big influence on that. Cause you know, in H2O, you had, like, Todd and Adam who would party and rage. <laughs> True. And Todd's like the, the you know, I, I saw a picture of him a week or two ago that you sent me, and it's like you do, the guy just doesn't age. Yeah. It's like, a, who, you know, and, and, and then you had you and Moon who didn't do anything, yeah, you yeah. know? and um, Todd Friend didn't do shit either. Uh, maybe Todd Friend did that. Yeah, Todd uh, Friend really didn't do anything, and Rusty. I think Rusty just drank beer. I, I think you know. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, if anything, he was. You know, Rusty was pretty. You know, middle of the road when it came to any of that. No, so, that's um, true. you were a big influence. Like you made it. You know, when you're 20 or 21, and you don't drink, and and you don't socialize that way. I mean, look, that's the way everyone almost at that age socializes. 100%, and. Uh, 100%. And so when, when you go to a party or you go to hang out at a bar or a restaurant or whatever with anyone, at that age especially, people are like, hey, uh, hey, what do you want to – what beer do you like? You know, yeah, or what, what drink yeah. do you want? And you're like, oh, no thanks, man. And, oh, come on, man. What do you want to drink? And and it's like, look, I don't drink. What do you mean you don't drink? They get so offended you know? by it. They get so weirded out by it too. <laughs> it is. It's it's crazy. You know, it, it's – um. Uh, it, 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 that's a tough time. And you guys, you especially in Moon, like really made me feel, uh, you know, like it was okay to, um, you know, like just gave me the confidence to believe in what I stood for and yeah, how yeah, I thought I yeah. needed to live my life. Never judging. I never judge people who do no, anything, either. you know, yeah, like yeah. do what you want to do. This is what I do. So have you felt that? I mean, it, with with moving forward in your career with all the bands you work for, um, still being not a party, have you felt pressure too during your career? Never. Okay, that's awesome. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Ever, never once in my life. Um, yeah, people respect, I, I think people respect people for that, their choices, you know what I mean? Especially that kind of shit. People always like, yeah, I wish I could do that. Damn, I wish I never did that. Like, like people, people like, they're, 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 they're really they're actually proud of you and stuff, you know? They're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, look, it just it just doesn't interest me, you yeah. know. Uh, and, and that's it. It's not a. I'm cool. Like I see people have a great time. Like I, my wife, you know, loves wine. Yeah. You know, and and I. It's so weird because like I love root beer, you know. So it's like <laughs> I'm looking for an IBC root beer, the king of root beers, you know. Yeah. Whereas she's <laughs> looking for some great bottle of wine, and I can't. She can't necessarily. Uh, admire, you know, an IBC root beer, and I can't admire 
a good bottle of wine. I don't get it. Like, exactly. what, what do you mean? Doesn't it all just kind of taste like shit? You know? Yeah, and so. Lupe, yeah, that's Max's favorite drink. Um, you know. Okay, so after, so you went from H two O to the Bouncing Souls, and then I think was it yep. Good Charlotte after that, or no? So, uh, so for the next two summers, 2000, 2001, one, I did the work tour in the summer. I did college in the winter, and then I, and then. I started tour managing Alkaline Trio oh, shit, in 2002, man. and um, which was it was I loved that band and it was so cool to get that job. Hell and yeah. uh, we we did these shows in at the Metro on Halloween in uh, Chicago in 2002, and then we planned this whole tour for like January February of 2003. And uh, uh, Matt, the singer, uh, had like acid reflux and couldn't finish recording their album. Um, and, uh, uh, they canceled the tour. Like, so I, I took a semester off college to go on tour with Alkaline Trio on December, like 28th, they canceled their tour. Um, and so I was like, you know, I not registered for any classes. I defer, you know, I'd taken yeah. off a semester and I was really in bad shape. And like four days later, this guy, Gary Fernchek. Yeah, um, Gary from Philly. Yeah. yeah. He's like my, my best friend. He married my wife and I. He's a minister. Oh, that's amazing, um, man. It's awesome. So he he called me and was like, hey, Good Charlotte uh, needs a tour manager. And I knew Good Charlotte from uh, from doing uh, the Warped Tour. They've yeah, been totally. on my stage for two years. Yeah. And when they first came out, I hated them. Like, I, you know, I, I thought they sucked. <laughs> like, I hated their music. <laughs> and because uh, I was from Philly, and their song Little Things was, like, played incessantly in Philadelphia on Y100, which was a radio station there. Gotcha. doesn't exist anymore. And um, and anyway, they came out on the Warped Tour, and I met them, and I... Uh, and they were just the nicest guys Super in the nice world. Super nice kids, man. And, um, Super nice kids. And, you know, we became friends, and we did the work tour the next summer. You know, that they, they did it on my stage again with Greg Keel. And, um, and you know, they needed a tour manager. Uh, uh, and um, they called – Gary Fernchek called me, and then their, their manager at the time called me, and they hired me. And, awesome. like, Toby, it went from – I went from tour managing bands in clubs. The first thing I did with H with good Charlotte was I flew out to Los Angeles. We did the tonight show with Jay Leno and then, you know, which was like unheard of, like for us, you know, for like guys in our kind of world. And then went from there to, um, to Australia, New Zealand, sold out arena tour, then came back to the U S did shot the cover of Rolling Stone with Dave LaChapelle. Uh, Jesus Christ. Did, did uh, Saturday Night Live and then went on a co-headline sold-out arena tour, the hottest segment tour with Newfound Glory and Good Charlotte um, for like two and a half months, selling out every arena. Like my parents, Damn. my parents came and saw you guys play the sell out the truck in Philly. <laughs> yeah. And then they got to come see me 
you know, sell out the spectrum That's in Philly, so like 18,000 people. Wow. And, and, you know, it was, I definitely back then, like, you know, compensated for a lack of experience by being a little bit of a dick early on. And I was real with, with good Charlotte. Um, cause listen, like, and, and it's no excuse, but you know, it's a different thing. Like, totally. you know, you're doing press all the time. You're doing TV, you're doing radio interviews, you know, you have people, man. people approaching them everywhere. You now all of a sudden you need security, you know, which is crazy. Like, you know, it's just a different world that, that, and, and, you know, hardcore punk, you don't, you don't really have to worry about that because no, it's a community man. where, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's like, it's like, if you're not playing a show, Toby, you're going to a show, exactly, you know, exactly. Everybody and, knows and, each uh, other. It's not like, yeah, exactly. You know? So anyway, th- that work that year was, you know, they sold 6 million albums that year Jeez. and, and it was around the world. And it was like, it was, it blew my mind. Like we, we did that tour. Then we went in the summer and did Europe and Japan. And then we came back and did another sold out arena tour with Goldfinger. Goldfinger was the support act and Eve six. Wow. And, uh, cause like Goldfinger and Eve six had taken them on the road when they were coming up. So they took them out That's on the cool. road. It's awesome. And sold out all the same arenas again, like within six months of no, the no, other tour. No. And I, uh, and it just was awesome. And then at the end of that year, we went to Japan one more time, and then I, and then they went to make a new album, and I went and finished college. Wow. Um, and then once I finished college, I went back on tour with, with with Good Charlotte, and I, and I was with them. I was with Good Charlotte for I think six and a half years. Wow, I didn't know that. That's long, dude. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, you know, and I got to do a lot of other stuff too. I mean, I, I, a year they took off in that six and a half years, I did. I did Ashley Simpson for a year. Yeah. And then I... Did and you then do Hillary I, Duff too? No, no. Okay. I didn't do Hillary Duff. Um, I then... Uh, and, you know, and then it just kind of quickly, you know... Um, you know, I did... Uh, after Good Charlotte, I did Metro Station nice. for six months because they supported Good Charlotte... And they asked me to come help them when Good Charlotte was making another album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I, and then I, I started doing Jimmy Fallon, and I did Jimmy Fallon. I was his tour manager for five years. Wow. And then I, and right around the same time I got Jimmy Fallon, I, I, I started tour managing Selena Gomez, and I tour managed <laughs> Selena Gomez for five years from the time she was sixteen till she was twenty one. It was, wow, it was awesome. Dude. You know she went from playing uh like the roxy was the first place she ever played and you know we we're selling out arenas when i finished when i stopped working for her and That's um insane. yeah and then from there from there i did i've done a lot of stuff i did a tour i tour managed guy fietti from diners drive-ins and dives um, <laughs> which was awesome and i i i i've tour managed Wiz Khalifa now for six and a half years. Wow, that's, um, that's, that's, that's not the longest one, is it? No, I mean, yeah, Slady Gomez was long too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the thing I pride myself on in this business is, um, is you know, everyone I've worked for, I've worked for for a long time, you yeah. know? And, uh, and, like, that's what I, 
I'm all about. I mean, I'm, I, I think, you know, I'm a very personable person and, oh, and yeah. I, and you know, I don't, some people think you can do this business and it's jokes. I love the line. Oh, it's just, it's just business. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing's just business, man. At least that's, I can't live my life that way. Yeah. You know, if I work for someone, um, I'm all in, you yeah. know, and, and, and if, and if I'm not all in or they're not all in, then, then we, we, we go our separate ways, you know? So, yes. Yeah, so did, um, so did anything you majored in college help you with tour managing? No, nothing. Wow. Now look, I don't want to diminish my college experience. No, I know, I know, I know. And I, I got my college degree from Villanova and I'm very proud of it. Um, I, but you know, um, my education really goes back, man, to getting in the van with H2O and <laughs> and really going around the world and 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 doing that with you guys. That's I mean, awesome, it really man. does. That's I, awesome. I, it's like, you know, there, there's, I'm sure, just like you, right? You, you, there are people that you regardless of your relationship as an adult now with them, there are people that you are indebted to that, 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 that helped you 100%. or that inspired you or whatever. And, and I, I am very cognizant of that. And I, I am forever grateful of, and, and, and actually miss, uh, those days that, yeah. you know, those days on, on the road, you know, and, and, when you work for bands, acts that, you know, you know, play these big venues and have all this fame and notoriety, um, there's a clear division, you know, between them and everyone else. You know, I I mean, you're dealing with like a hundred people and like 10 tour buses and shit. Sure. Yeah. But also fame does that, you know, and, and fame is a, it's great. And at the same time, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, you know, um, you know, just what comes along with it. Um, but you know, with, I, you know, being on tour with you guys, I always tell people back back then there was no hierarchy in that van. No, there wasn't like not one time. Did you Toby Morse say like, Hey, I'm the fucking singer of this band and you're going to (laughs) fucking do what I say. Like, no, man, you, you never treat and, and I'm not saying that's how I've been treated no, uh, in, in my, yeah. but what I'm saying is, is if we were all in it together, you, you got in that van and it didn't matter if you tuned guitars or changed guitar strings, or if you sang the songs or played the drums, you know, um, it didn't matter what you did. We were yeah, all one, exactly. you know, and, and I, and you know, that camaraderie is something that I, uh, I miss uh, greatly, and I'm forever grateful for. You know, That's amazing. Um, you had great times, man. That was the, we, I can't believe how much we toured, how how long we stayed on the road. We came home for a couple of days in between, but backed out for six weeks. It was nonstop, man. It was yeah. It was so crazy, man. And like it was said, nuts. Sharing hotel rooms, all that shit. Like we were super, super close to every. We were super. There was no no choice. You would be close to everybody, you know, in the vehicle, everywhere we went. And like you said, like. There wasn't a hundred people to talk to. We just talked to each other, and yeah, man, it's fucking. 
Yeah, the only person that wouldn't share a bed was Rusty. You know, he, was, he still doesn't. He still yeah. doesn't, dude. I'll never forget it. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm fucking 36, man. I don't share a bed with no boy. <laughs> dude, and, and now he's like, I'm. Fi- and now he's like, yeah, I'm 56. I don't share a bed with you guys. We're too old to share beds. Some some oh, some man. things don't change, my friend. Bless him, man. Bless him. He's so. He's such a treasure, man, Rusty. He's oh my God. <laughs> well, Mark, Mark, I want to, I, know, I want to thank you for being part of H Tour's legacy, being being with us there, believing in us, and taking the chance and coming with us, and not really knowing what you were doing, and then you figured it out, and now look what you're doing. Now I'm so proud of you and everything you've done, accomplished with your life. You know, you've been through shit as a kid, but you turned shit around, and then and then you continue doing music and everything you've done now, and I'm super proud of you too, man. Well, I, I, I'm forever grateful toby and i you know i got nothing but love for h2o and 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 i'm just i i have such a tremendous life i'm so lucky i'm i'm married i have two children uh, i'm just i i live a wonderful wonderful life and i couldn't have i would never be where i am without uh without h2o's influence and support and the opportunities he gave me so um you know it's uh, I'm very lucky. Well, good talking to you, Mark. I appreciate it. Um, this is Mark Holloway, ladies and gentlemen, and I appreciate your time. And uh, I hit you up soon off the, off the internet. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Thanks, Thanks, Mark. Thanks for your time, Mark. Okay, bye. All right, bye-bye. bye. What's up, dude? So you're 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 on my podcast right now. We talked about you today in the um, an in interview we did with H with H two interview you did today on my podcast, and um. I want to ask you a couple questions about your experience with H2O because your name came up several times as you being there from shit the very beginning up until we did the MCA deal. Like you were there before Blackout. Um, you knew my brother. You had yeah. a relationship with him. So, well, well, you and I actually met um, very briefly when I used to work at Relativity Records and Sick of It All were signed to, in effect, and yeah. come in the office with the sick of it all. And I was a big fan. So I met you a couple of times then. And then, yeah, absolutely. I was a huge fan of OutCrowd and uh, knew both Todd's from OutCrowd. Yeah. So, and then when, when Bill Wilson started, um, you know, got into, really got into business properly with Blackout Records, yeah. Bill, Bill came to me one day and said, dude, You've got to come with me to Brill Studios in Manhattan. You you have to hear this record. It's amazing. And when he told me who it was, I was so stoked just to hear the music and yeah. just to to be in a room and, and hear this all happening. So did you so know yeah, that, that did, was the start of it? Yeah. Did you know that Todd Morris had left Outcrowd at that time to join his brother in H two O or? Yeah, I mean that was you know, Bill. Bill had told me that. Um, Todd had left out crowd and that that he was joining up with his brother Toby and uh, this guy Rusty yeah and, uh, and and Smokey was in the band at the yeah time. Rice. So, yes <laughs> and and the, the album was so amazing and it was so powerful and it was so great and then we all had a discussion about you know wow you know should this should this band be signed to MCA? And and the end outcome of that conversation was a very smart one. 
you guys said, listen, thanks, that's really nice of you. But, you know, we have a feeling that we'd be better off doing something more indie. Yeah. Because that's who we are. Yeah. And if we sign to a major label right now, then that may not that may not show us in the best light that we want to be seen in. Yeah. And if I can just say that throughout the entire years that I knew you guys, whether you were signed to whatever label or to MCA or not to MCA, everybody in this band just impressed me on a personal level so much. Thank Take you, Take the great music out of the equation for a minute and just look at the personalities. Nobody had more integrity ever that I ever came across than the members of H2O. Thank you, You man. had honor, you had honor and integrity, and never, ever, ever let that get let that get into second place. That was always the most important thing. And I think that that's what makes me so thrilled for all of you, that you're still making music, yeah. you're still doing great, yeah. and it's because anybody that knows you Anyone that it comes out through the music, the lever, level of honor and integrity that each of you have, and I'm thrilled just to know you. Thank you, brother. Um, I really appreciate that. And we've been friends this whole entire time. Like we've been in contact through all that. Um, so then, you know, after after we did the blackout thing, I remember like having like that, like where like you came to LA maybe, and we met with Gerowitz, we met with you, and. Oh, well, out of clear blue skies I got a call from your brother from from Todd and Todd said hey listen um, can I come see you I said sure and he came to talk to me because he said look look I, I write a lot of songs and some of them are good for H2O and some of them may not be yeah do you think that there's a vehicle for me in publishing to get some of these songs to other people. That was the start of the conversation. Wow, you know that. Wow. Point, yeah, and at some point, that conversation took a turn because it became apparent that H2O were maybe, you know, free from label obligations yes. at the time. Yes. And wouldn't it be amazing to try to get this process rolling one more time? And Todd said, well, you know, let me talk to Toby and, and Rusty and, you know, everybody that's involved. And because at the time, MCA had done, had just done that deal with Drive Through Records. Yeah. And so we were just starting the road of success with Blink-182 and Newfound Glory yep. and the rest of the bands on Drive Through. And geez, you know, Blink-182, and, you know, certainly guys like Chad from Newfound Glory, who I know you're still very close friends with to this day, yeah. they, were they were huge fans of H2O. So when, when I turned around and said to my boss at the time, Gary Ashley... Rest, rest in, in peace. peace. Yes. Yeah, please, rest in peace. Rest in power, Gary. Yes. When I said to him, like, look, you know, you got to come see this band. And he and he asked me all sorts of questions, and uh, and I'm sure he he asked the Blink 182s and the Newfound Glories, and they probably went absolutely bonkers and said, "Oh my God, yeah, please, Gary, go see this band." 
because of course I was a I was an A and R person, but I didn't have the level of authority yeah. to just make a decision or a determination to sign a band. It had to pass the test through Gary and through whatever the rest of the executive pro- procedure was. Yeah. So I remember coming to see you guys, and then me and Gary met with you guys in Denver, Colorado. Were you on tour opening up for somebody, you think? Or were you just headlining or something? Uh, gosh, I think I think you might have been headlining. Okay. Um, you were playing a big theater, man. I think it was like a... The Bluebird Theater. I think it's the Bluebird Theater. The Bluebird Theater, maybe. Yes. Yes. And, and you invited... You, Toby, invited me and Gary to come sit with you on, on your bus and Gary gets on the tour bus and he asks you who's who's bankrolling this bus and you look Gary dead in the dead in the eyes and said oh we are I think <laughs> yeah and Gary because of the fact that he was such a he, Gary came from an independent background he used mushroom records in Australia he he helped sign acts like garbage and, wow. and he always came from an he, he came from a place that you know if a band if a band's business plan take the music out of the equation for a minute but if the band had a business plan that allowed them to function as a rock band without continuously dipping into borrowing money from the label to make things work yeah. then he was sold that he was half the way there so as as the evening progressed, Gary's eyes were just big, gigantic, wide open, and he was just loving it. And then when we went back in to see the band perform, Gary just looked at me like ten minutes in. He's like, "Yeah, we're doing this." Wow, man! So, so that was sort of the start of it, and it was amazing because I felt like for me we were coming around full circle. Like yeah. I was a fan, was a fan from day one. And now having this opportunity to, you know, the goal was, look, what was the goal? The goal was let's hopefully plug this amazing band into a bigger machine and make it just work in a bigger, more efficient way. Yeah, and, and, and I, 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 thought, I thought it was like another platform to spread our message, you know what I mean? Like that was the ultimate absolutely. goal. Absolutely. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, I think, you know, everybody in the band at the time being very positive and very eager to explore this opportunity. And I was just grateful to have the opportunity to, gosh, you know, I was a fan. So what the heck? Just me sitting around watching this all happen was like, you know, I was having my fanboy moment, you know. Um, and then, and then I think that you guys, and understandably so, you guys had always been fiercely independent. You had always made all your own decisions. Yes. And I think it was tough for you to come to the realization that now there were all these, never mind just me. I know. Or just get me and Gary Ashley. But all of a sudden there were like 20 people trying to make decisions. For what was going on with H2O. Yeah, that was very, that was, that, that was stressful, yeah. That, that was a really hard situation for you guys to deal with. And, and it was challenging for me because maybe it was my fault for not ex- 
explaining that this was going to happen in the way that it did. Yeah. Because I took for granted that we all knew that that was going to happen because there's like a million people that work at a big record company and everybody wants to have an opinion and all of a sudden things get diluted slightly. But it was it was it was it was very very overwhelming. I felt help. Helpless at times because sometimes you're not there 24/7 to be our fucking babysitter. You're not there to hold our hand, walk us through everything. We're grown adults, but it was us coming very independent, very DIY, like you said, paying for our own buses and doing all of our shit. To all of a sudden, we like have to answer, talk to like 20 different people that we don't even know. And, and we knew Bill Wilson, right. Bill Wilson through Outcard. He was part of the hardcore scene, part of our family. You know, we knew Brett Gerowitz because he was through Ranson, all of our friends. He was in Bad Religion. He came from our world. But I, th- I think for us, like as far as Epitaph is concerned, like we we did our bid there. We, they treated us like fucking kings. It was a cr- most incredible experience. We were family, but you know we felt like we want to try want to try something different. A, a lot of our friends at the time were taking the plunge and trying to go to major labels and trying different 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 angles, different different uh I don't know different tools to get themselves you know to different audiences. You know, and we prided ourselves right. always from not preaching to the converted, always opening up for different bands, different diverse, different styles of bands to get the music out. It was only about the music and the message. It was nothing else. And if we could have used MCA Absolutely. to get ourselves, to catapult ourselves into a different crowd, which we did playing Conan O'Brien, which I'm forever thankful for that moment, is that we, we always kept it 100, never forgot our roots. I'm still strange. I'm still vegan. I'm still the same person. But we just, we just on a different record label. In that time, if you want a major label, you sucked no matter what. You were a sellout, regardless of what your music sounded like. Well, p- and, and, people and signed you off. So yeah, go ahead. That was so sad to see that happen because we had talked about the possibility of there being some back backlash from part of the fan base yeah. that that you would be considered sellouts. Yeah. And I thought, well, it doesn't make any sense because we have other bands that, you know, whether it was Blink One Eighty Two or whoever it all was, you know what I mean, like really sellouts for trying to just to, to spread the word a little bit wider. It's not like anybody was coming out of there driving a Ferrari. I know. You know what I mean? And, and, and so it was, but, but as much as we all thought that we could just ignore that voice, um, that voice became hard to ignore. I think it was, it was disturbing to you guys that there was a, a backlash, a, you know, however small the backlash was. It seemed so much bigger to us back then. Even if it was like, Absolutely. if it was like 10 people out of 100 or, and that's that's when message boards were like prime in the fucking punk scene. That's when every message board had a field day, every faceless critic, all that shit. And I talked about with, the, with my band is that like, people, a lot, a lot of people hated it, but it's crazy now that it's almost 20 years later and over the past, I don't know, decade or so, people love that record. Dude, they're so bummed we don't play more songs off it. And Memory Lane's like one of our biggest songs in South America. And it's like, it's crazy that back then it was so cool to hate us because yeah, we the record, for me personally, it's like I thought the record was a little too polished and a little too clean and poppy for my taste, you know? But those songs live with any of our songs right now still, still stand out and still work in our set list, you know? And like... Listen, it was everything, everything to me in, in the development of record making only goes back to one thing, and that's the songs. Yeah. And those songs live their own lives. You know, Memory yeah. Lane, it's still a great song. Yeah. And, you know, the problem came in that as we were, as we were talking about making the record, if I recall, um, we... 
we talked to a bunch of different people and then you know we thought that making the record with matt wallace who had made records with people like faith no more and who was a great great record man was the right way to go and then there was a little bit of tension because some people wanted to go in a more polished direction hey look what's happening with you know blink 182 and and newfound glory and this whole pop punk thing and other people you know were saying no 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 no. make the hardest record that you can make because maybe that's more of who you are you know but and, and, and I think that's where maybe the ship's steering went off slightly. It, it, really, I mean? it, re- it really did because my brother took the reins on the album. You know, Todd Morris wrote every single song on the album. Rusty wrote a couple on there as well. It was those two albums that did all the writing. As opposed to the records before, it was all of us together, everything. And so, right. I, and so it, no regrets for me, but I wish I was more there not just physically but mentally i think i was in the middle of maybe moving to california we, we live in the east coast we we're staying at the oakwoods there was a lot of distractions i kind of i wish i didn't really give up so fast and just did what i was told i feel like i would have like p- participated more and it was more creative on my half and, and that's my own problem to let you know and not be there for the mix and shit like that but my brother was very hands-on on that product um and making that record yeah and, and todd and todd, and todd friend what? and todd friend picked matt wallace which became a great friend of a friend of us. I actually was on the phone with him today. He came to our LA, LA show last week. Fucking just like we we like we haven't seen him in like twenty years. He just kept it was just everything. He's like one of our good friends now, as well as you. You guys became our real friends from that experience, and it was a great experience, man. I don't have any issues with it except for the fact I wish I was there more mentally. That's all. Right. Well, you know what, Matt Wallace is a, a, a true professional and a great, great ear. Yes. For Yes, and and I think that I think that that record, you know, all these years later, stands on its own two feet. Yeah, and it's awesome. And, yeah, and you can have issues with it because yeah. you were part of the cre- creating process. Or the or, or the not creating process. Yes, correct. Right. Yes. <laughs> but but you know what? It's an awesome record. The songs were great. The video was great. Yeah. The performance on. And you know what? We got to give credit to who credit is due for uh, Conan, and that's Debbie Wonder. Yeah, she fucking Rusty's wife. She, uh, she booked. Uh, she. I know. I'm not sure that. I'm not sure that MCA. Um, no disrespect to anybody at MCA. I'm not sure that they pulled that off. I'm just gonna go on record and say that that was. Debbie yeah, for those who are listening, Rusty, Rusty's wife was was booked all the artists at Conan at Brian at the time, and she pitched us to them, and they accepted they, they accepted it, and we got on it. And, and like Han said, I don't think it was through the label at all, but I think with all the shit we were getting at the time for being sellouts on the major label, then all of a sudden we're on Conan Brian, so they think automatically, oh shit, now that now now that the major label put him on television, and that wasn't the case. It's it's not the case. <laughs> And I remember, I remember John Joseph, John Joseph in the audience, like yelling, "Yo, it's my brother!" like in between our takes. He was in the audience. It was such a great moment. We we tagged all the speakers and amps and all of our all of our friends' band shirts and repped the fullest we could with all of our roots on national television. Because I don't think there ever was a New York Harker band to do that or ever done it ever since. To be honest, that's right. That's you know, right. like. So I mean, th- these moments and these experiences and recording in the same studio with Guns N' Roses. And I just talked about with that Matt Wallace today and all that experience. Yeah, it was fucking. And, and you realize you realize who owned that recording studio at the time? Captain Intonil. You got it. <laughs> and I just found out today that they they recorded Appetite for Destruction there too. Some of it. Matt Wallace told me that. Yes. I didn't fucking know that. 
Um, yeah, they they were in there for a long time recording that record. You came out to visit us a couple times there, right? I'm pretty sure you did. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so all, so all in all, man. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I'm sorry to interrupt you, um, but what what I really need to point out though is that the record, the record, and the band would have done amazing um, at MCA had there not been things going on behind the scenes at MCA that had nothing to do with any of the bands that were signed there at the time. Yeah. 2001-ish was around the time that, you know, the, po- the big politics at play at the Universal Music Group were looking to squeeze MCA records and uh, have... Um, you know, Jimmy Iovine take on a bigger role in the entire corporation. Gotcha. And so the senior, the senior executives at MCA were certainly um, scurrying around, just all trying to, understandably so, protect themselves. And 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 the ship went off course a little bit. Not yeah. not just for not just for H2O, but specifically for H2O, but for many of the artists that were signed to the label at the time. And that had no reflection on you, no reflection on the band, yeah. no reflection on the record that was made. It was just the timing. major label politics. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's crazy because that actually helped us get off the label in a sense too. When everything merged and it kind of MCA went away, we... We were able to like you. You helped us get off there safely because otherwise we've been stuck in there for like a million albums. So that was actually good in a sense. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, what did we do? We we made the one album. Yeah. And then we made the uh, the EP. Yeah, we don't talk about that EP. Yes. Um. And then. <laughs> and then yeah. Then we then we were free. And then we yeah man. Then the rest is history man. Yeah. So, I want to thank you for like, be, one first and foremost being being my friend and being part of H two O's. Uh, legacy, I guess you call it, and being there in, in in the very beginning of H2O and just following our career from a distance, never like hounding us, come to me, come to me, come to me. Like like you just told me, Todd Morris pretty much went to talk to you about some other shit, turned into this shit, but you were never like forcing us to do anything, and you were just a fan and a friend, and ended up working, we ended up doing that, doing it with you, and I'm happy that happened. It was meant to be, you know. Well, first of all, I'm I'm thrilled that you and I are still friends after all this time. I'm thrilled that I can have a relationship, not just with you, but with Rusty and with Adam and with everyone in the band. Yeah. Considering that I was the catalyst to bring you to a record company that didn't do what we all thought should be done. Yeah. So the fact of the matter is, listen, it's a little bit like um, a doctor. That, you know, the nurse hands you the wrong uh, injection and you kill somebody on the operating table. Yeah. Well, it's the nurse's fault, but the doctor takes the responsibility. So in some weird way, I've always felt totally, totally personally responsible for the, the time period that you were at MCA not being entirely wonderful for you yeah. and the band. And I've always felt you know bad and ashamed to a certain extent because... You know, I was the catalyst for that. Yeah. And even though it was outside of my ability to do anything about, I still.
still always felt really crappy about it. Well, that, well that's because that's because you care. That's because you're caring. You're a friend. You're not just some business business and our scumbag. That's the difference. And that's why right. I felt. That's why I always felt like you were too nice to be in the music business. Actually, man, because you actually gave a fuck, <laughs> and a lot of people did. It was we, they were just write offs and fucking you know and didn't care about the band, and uh, you did. And yeah, so, I could. I, I could never do that. And and you know what? But it shows what incredible integrity and what honorable guys every single person in that band still is to this day because you're still nice to me you're still my friends like yeah. nothing happened like we can we can sit and hang out and nothing happened it's fantastic and i want to tell you i love you and every single person in the band for exactly that i appreciate you bro exactly. you know what and, and that's what and also that's what's called separating business from friendship and a lot of people don't know how to do that man it's very hard to do that that's true. And, and we probably were pissed at you back then i can't remember ever being pissed at you i think i think the whole experience at mca was like a roller coaster for us we didn't know what we get ourselves into like you said we were very diy and did shit ourselves but i'm glad we did it because we learned a lot from doing that and we saw most of our peers do that and catch shit for it and we still did it because we wanted to not make the record over and over again. We wanted to try something different. We, 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 we've been inspired right. by all types of music, and we just wanted to like try something different. I'm glad we did it, and I'm glad I was with you. You know what I mean? And, and I'm, I'm honored to have been just a small, tiny little you know, part of it, and, and grateful, really, really grateful for the opportunity to be involved with that, even at that level. And, and I just, you know grateful that we're still friends all these years later of course i fucking love you H how long are you there after us like how what happened after um, so 2003 they basically you know when when jimmy iovine and geffen and interscope took over mca just basically got slaughtered and everybody got sent home very few people were still there after 2003 so around the tail end of 2003 me and everybody else pretty much got shown the door gary ashley pretty much the whole a r department everybody got tossed out how many years were you there for um i was there for just about 15 wow man i i had survived quote unquote uh, a few different regime changes but that one that one was tough to survive well didn't they call mca like the music cemetery of america um, they, you know, they, they did, absolutely. You know, and it was one of the reasons why I went there. I felt like, you know, at the time, I, I had, when MCA wanted to hire me, a bunch of other labels wanted to hire me too. And I felt like, wow, you know, if I go to MCA and do anything right, then it's no longer the Music Cemetery of America. Because yeah. they've been calling it that since like the early 80s, you know? Wow, man. I was just happy to be signed to a label with, with Mary J. Blige because I loved her, man. I loved Mary J. Blige. And Shaggy. So Shout out to Shaggy. <laughs> there was so much great music at MCA throughout the years. I mean, look, Tom Petty, The Who. Wow. Um, Elton John. Um, Damn. You know, the list goes on and on and on. Steely Dan. Was there a big hip-hop um, Was there a big hip hop on there or no? Well, yeah, because we had Uptown Records. Oh, that's right. So Uptown, Rec Uptown Records, the, the, the guy that was sort of the office guy for Uptown Records was Puffy. Oh, that's right. And, Pu and Puffy, if I recall, brought in Mary J. Blige, yep. helped bring in Heavy D and the Boys. And um, what was that artist? They had Rump Shaker. Yeah, Shake Your Rump. All I want to do 
Is a K7. Yeah. Oh no, wait. No, boom, boom. Let's yeah. shake your rump. Check, baby, check, baby. One, two, three. That's, uh, Mike Checker, Mike Recker. Who is that? Who was that? Rex in effect. Rex in effect. Yeah, that shit was huge. And and we had an amazing um, um, movie soundtrack department. We did Pulp Fiction. Oh shit. Dropping yeah, the knowledge the right now, that Hans. Were, That's crazy. Yeah, the lady that ran the soundtrack department at MCA Records from like day one was Kathy Nelson. Kathy Nelson, I think, was related to the Mamas and the Papas. Wow. I, like, you know, lots of musical history. She made Pulp Fiction. She made all sorts of movie soundtracks. It was incredible. Holy so there shit. was a lot of good music coming through uh, MCA throughout the years. And on the R&B side, you know, geez, I mean, there were just tremendous amounts of incredible artists coming through. I mean, Mary J was the biggest, right, That at that point, I remember. Yeah, Mary J was humongous. But, you know, we had The Roots, too. Oh, fuck yeah. Shout out to The Roots, man. Wow, I didn't even know yep. that. And then, of course, Shaggy, and we had Semisonic. Yeah. And, uh, and there was all sorts of cool stuff going on. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was a political thing for them to shut down the label when they did. And uh, so a legacy, another legacy of music is sort of taken apart and disintegrated. You know, it's a shame. It ha had a great and, run, and things happen for a reason, I believe, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, the good thing for me is... I still get to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> we're still we're still getting tattooed and we're still fucking we're still alive, man. <laughs> we're still alive. We're still here. We still and you've always been you've always been a positive you've always been a positive person too, man. You you were never like a jaded, bitter industry dude. You're always smiling. You always try to make shit work and man and make everybody happy, man. I, I appreciate your hustle too, man, you know? Well, right back at you. <laughs> Alright, Hans. Well thank you so much for being on here, man. Um much love to you and your family. I'm honored. Thank you, I'm brother. honored to be on your podcast, dude. And thank you for having me. And lots of love to everybody in the band. Lots of love to you and your family. All right, brother. I'll speak to you soon, Hans. Hans Hato, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, bye, bud. Peace. Thanks. Bye. Mr. Matt Wallace, it's Toby Morris. I'm on the phone with you right now. Obviously, hi. Um, hi. How are you doing? You're live on my podcast, which is not live because it's not aired yet, but... Today on the episode we had H two O and we did we discussed um, from day one to now, and obviously you know working with you for the Go Record MCA um, was a huge deal for us. Um, Todd friend actually picked you because he he loved your work with replacements and Faith O'More. He knew all about you. Um, he's a music nerd, and um, we got to record with you at Rumble Studios. And I remember we did demos with you in New York City, correct? Yeah, we did some rehearsals and stuff like that. Yep, absolutely. Whip the songs into shape. Yes, and how long we do we record with you at Rumbo? How long do we work together? I mean, usually I tend to do a two-week pre-production thing, and we must have done around that, because that's kind of what I generally do, so, yeah. especially for a full record. So, I mean, that's what we did, uh, just so you guys could see if you liked me or not. <laughs> yeah, we, lo we loved you. Um, and w what, what was the experience like working with H2O? Did you know anything about us, or... Or even like hardcore music before you met with us. Um, I mean, I knew some just because I grew up in the Bay. There was a bunch of you know 
hardcore bands, but they were like West Coast hardcore, which is like different. There. And also probably more punk than hardcore. So you guys are more of the, the first, like, I guess, hardcore band that I worked with. I mean, you certainly worked with people who kind of kind of gone in that direction. You know, they were they were kind of hardcore light, I should say. So you guys were the first band that was really much more kind of full throttle, you know, higher energy, faster tempos. Um, and also the first and probably only band I know of that was doing the whole straight edge thing. At least, you know, portions of your band were all straight edge guys. And that yeah. was a, a really big, I'd heard about straight edge and read about it over the years, but never actually worked with anybody who was, you know, living that kind of a life. And, you know, to, to learn about that. So you realize what kind of a spaz human beings can be when they don't do <laughs> drugs or alcohol. <laughs> yes. You guys, I mean, you guys are all spaz human beings. Yeah. I'm pretty much a teetotal when it comes to alcohol. Never really drank, never really liked to even do high school calls, all this stuff. I mean, I experimented with weed here and there, but it was, I'm really, was always kind of in that state of not really being into any of that kind of stuff. So we, I think we were a good, uh, a good match. And then all, all in all, what did you what, did you like the experience with us? Um, Dude, you, I, I I had a fantastic experience. It was really, honestly, it's it's weird. And I, I don't always feel this way with bands I work with. I mean, I usually have a, a really good connection when I'm working together. We like we're really kind of connected. You figure, hey, maybe we'll still kind of be in touch afterwards. And sometimes I'm in touch with bands and friends with them afterwards. But you guys are really unique, and I'm really like, you know. I, I know brothers is too big of a word because I don't hang out with you guys as much yeah. as, as you hang out with your buddies. But I must be like like a brother junior because I like you know I saw you guys at your show about a week or so ago. It was like instant connection. Hung out with you, talked to you, talked to yeah, Ryan. it was amazing. Yeah, I met with I met with your brother Todd. You know, uh, and 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 I'm I'm, I'm online sometimes with, with Toby, uh, you know, uh, with Todd the drummer. You know, he's he yeah. kind of like writing back and forth. So I've really been just kind of in touch with you guys, which is just a it's odd. Because we've been working together, what, like, when was that, 2001? So yeah, it's crazy, years. man, yeah. yeah. Yeah, But, but you know, we've just kind of stayed in touch, and we, you know, kind of, you guys came over house some years ago, and I yeah. just, it's really been lovely, so I'm, I'm really, it's really, really nice. I have to say, and I really enjoyed seeing you guys at your show, reconnecting, and I really like your, your message is so um, inspiring to me, you know, and to see that. that kind of positive energy coming off of the stage is really something, and then also knowing about your your one life thing that's yeah. all these things are inspiring as you and I talk I want to be with you in person and yes. talk more about that kind of thing but yeah man just you know just a really great time I, a lot of the songs like uh, you know, of course Role Model and Memory Lane really really stick with me but but yeah. there's so many of them even like Hyper Rodding yes. they're all just like really really cool songs that they're positive, which is just a thrill, you know. Are you happy with the record the way it came out? Are you happy with everything? And I am. I, the only I'm not happy with. I wish I wish it could have been pushed further. And I know that for you guys, it's probably a much more kind of a pop version of what you guys usually do. I'm yeah, sure that's probably the case. But I just wish that that somehow the audience, would, the label, could have got more of an audience attached to you guys. Because whether or not you st- stayed in that vein or went back to where your original stuff was, I just wanted more of an audience. That was my whole kind of goal. Was like. You, know, you can be as hardcore as you want on stage and do your thing generally, but it'd be nice to have a, a, have a record or some songs that can get a broader audience. And I, yeah, I just I'm, wanted a broader push audience. That message, push that message to a different platform, a different audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah because you know I'm used to working with rock bands, and most rock bands are pretty um, lyrically self-centered. It's about, you know, my baby did me wrong, and this is bad, or that's bad. You know, look at Nirvana. It's all kind of, there's a, <clears> there's kind of a subtle darkness or depression about a lot of things. And you guys are a very, very rare band and that you kind of give people a roadmap of, of how life can be, and it's 
really unique to find that. It's really Thank unique you, to find, man. you know, a band where you get a band up on a platform and young people can listen to lyrics and either, you know, go out and kick over trash cans and burn some cars, or, <laughs> you know, you can be self-reliant. You can actually change yeah. your life. You, can, you know, you can, yeah. uh, you can do these things. And to me, it was such a thrill. I'm just hearing you guys' stories from, you know, the East Coast and just all yeah. that crazy stuff you guys lived through and, it was just a very, very inspirational uh, time in records for me, anyway. Um, that's amazing. It's crazy is that like back then we were recording at Rumbo Studios and Guns N' Roses were doing Chinese Democracy. We didn't even know those dudes, and now Adler is one of my closest friends. And the other night you came to the show and Adler played a Ramon yeah. song with us. It's so full circle, man. It's crazy, man. It is crazy, huh? I mean, it's totally crazy. Yeah, because and also that room we tracked in is where they did Appetite for Destruction. Oh fuck! So I didn't even know room. that. Oh shit! Yeah, so that. That was the behavior story on the, on the uh, podcast, bro. Wow. <laughs> and then I have another. It, it's so, and so for us, when that Go record came out, people were like, oh, it's it's poppy, it's polished, it's clean, it's right. we were sell us. People hated it, right. and now people fucking love that record, dude. And they ask us, why don't you play more songs? Now it's like, because back then I think automatically you got judged for what label yeah. you were on if you were in a major label yeah. or not. You know, obviously, yeah. obviously. Some of it was a little for us. It was more melodic than usual, yeah. but it, you know we're not yeah. trying to make the same record over and over again either. Um, right, right. But did you did you have that? Like I know that you did Faith and More records. Um, did you did you you did the one that that kind of brought them into the mainstream or no? I mean, yes. what, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked with them from the when they very started, and I I did the uh, the real thing, which had that song Epic that brought them love to that the song. Yeah, yeah. And so and then, but after that record, we did Angel Dust. Which was the album that was after that was a way way left turn that they lost a lot of audience. So I've done records where people have lost big audiences when we take big 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 uh, you know steps. Big, yeah. Big, big changes. But you know, in that room we did you know I did a band called um, Sugar Cold right yep. around that time. Friends of mine. Right, I think right after, right after you guys. I think yep. Room Five. Shout out to Sugar Cold. Good guys. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So to me, I mean, I knew that it was. Um, a little bit challenging and risky, but man, I just think it's a record that really stands the test of time. And it's a kind of punk, you know, hardcore record that, that more people I was hoping could get into it kind of go, oh, this hardcore stuff's not that bad because listen to those lyrics, they actually resonate with me, you know? Yeah, because people... I think if people can, mm-hmm. if can get past like the, the onslaught of guitars and, and the momentum and the tempo, go, man, this guy's singing about some real stuff. And to me, that, that one of the things that really drew me to what you guys were doing is that you guys were a very positive band under the under this kind of guise of being a hardcore band, but you guys are doing positive stuff, and and and, and even like even, you know, oh, I gotta tell you something, man. I almost cried at your show because you set aside one song where the ladies got to do the mosh pit. Yeah, <laughs> and that was so important, though. It's so important because like because guys are physically bigger, so they can kind of take over the mosh pit most of the time. It was so inspiring to watch these gals yeah. in the mosh pit with no guys in the way. And, and the pit filled up, and they were so free. Yeah, that was a really awesome moment, big, actually. Yeah. They weren't going to get elbowed by some big, fat dude. It was just a bunch of other ladies. Yeah. And they were going to get groped. Nothing weird was going to happen. And I have to say, that approach that you take to life and the way you approach your band is very all-encompassing. You bring people in. You're like, come on, man. We're all yeah. part of this. There's no pushing away. There's no work. Click. Yeah. You guys are out. You're yeah. like, man, everybody come in. Come in. And that's part of your quote-unquote nerdy uh, kind of aesthetic is it's very disarming. And, and people mm. don't want to fight you; they want to join you. So I, I'm really impressed. I like. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate. I appreciate. I appreciate you being part of our H Tools legacy. You know, we are friends. I consider you my friend, and it was a great yeah. experience. It was a crazy experience. I wasn't even living here yet. Yeah. We stayed at the Oakwoods. Um, 
and just there's so many memories from that time and um yeah. it's crazy it's crazy um we got to do Conan O'Brien on the record it was really awesome and yeah it was a yeah, lot I, I, yeah everyone could have just pushed around through oh look at this Todd Morse just just email me while we're talking <laughs> what's great <laughs> another thing is back we we had that song Forest King on there, which is all animal rights about anti-hunting on the record. I totally forgot about that. Holy shit. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's man. Right. You know, and that was a really, you know, the, see, you really, I thought, dug deep on a lot of the record, because that idea of Forest King is really an interesting concept, right? Because it's pretty uh-huh. much about Ted Nugent, those kind of dudes, right? Yes, totally. But, yeah, and to me, and to me that it's just, it's rare. I, look, I've been doing this for like 35 years. It's rare to find... A, a band and a singer who have these lyrics that are about things that are really things that you got to think about. And you guys were the first ones that really, I mean, I knew I had friends who were vegetarian, but you guys were the first ones that were like, dude, vegan, you got to get vegan. Then of course my son went vegan for a while. My daughter's full vegan right now. Wow. And it's really interesting. Yeah. So wow. it's really changing the landscape and you guys speaking about, it, I think makes it more acceptable to people. And, and so people are like, yeah, why not? I can, I can eat without having to eat meat. Of course. Why not? You know? So, Pretty, pretty inspiring, man. I gotta say, I'm, I'm, I was really fortunate to work with you guys, you know, on that record, and still be friends with you. So us too, man. Well, I, I appreciate I, appreciate your time, and um, I'll be seeing you soon for sure. Yeah, yeah. So just when you get on the phone, just yeah, when you get a chance, to, uh, let's, let's hit each other up. I want to find out when we can meet up next week. I really want to find out about your that foundation you have. I'm really, I really want to talk to you about. Yeah, that. one up in chance. Awesome, man. Awesome, yeah. Cool, All right, brother. Thank you for your time and thank you for being part of it. I love you. You're my friend, and I, I appreciate appreciate that experience and that record, and I appreciate everything. So, yeah. if I was in the room with you right now, I'd give you a big wet granny smooch. I know. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right, every, every, everybody, check out Matt Wallace. You can Google his ass. You can find everything yeah. about this guy, man. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'll speak to you soon, bud. Thank right. you. Sounds good, man. Bye. Bye. All right, so Chris, Chris Bridge 9, good to have you on the phone here. Um, obviously, your name came up today on the podcast with H2O because Bridge 9 was uh, and, and still is a big part of H2O's history. Um, I, I, want, I want to rewind back to that meeting we had with you. So H2O had been having a hiatus for about seven years, I would say, after the Go record. And... Um, Somehow we connected with you. How did that happen? Do you remember how we connected with you through that? Or did you hear we were looking for a label or something? Or I'm not sure. So it's, it's funny. H2O is actually on a list of, like, I wanted to work with H2O back in 2002, I think it was. Okay. Um, I had an employee that worked with me that, unfortunately, things didn't work out with him, and, and he left at the time. Uh, we had been talking about trying to do something with you guys. Um, and, you know, it, it, it kind of went on the back burner. A couple of years went by. Um, and I think, let me see, I think we, I mean, well, we, we met up in 2007, right? It was yeah. like 2007. I mean, the record came out in 2008, but actually, but Bridge Nine had been, you guys been around the same, about the same, same amount of years as H2O in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Bridge Nine started in '95. Um, I'm trying to think of like where I, you know, where things connected because I know at one point I mean I had been talking to Chad Gilbert about doing some stuff. Okay. Um, with, with them at the time, and I know he produced the record for yeah. H2O. So, I I think that you know maybe, um, I can't remember you know 
Chad, Chad, up, Chad might have mentioned the Bridge Nine thing to us too, but I don't know if that was after or before we had lunch with you in New York at like uh, VP Vegetarian Paradise. Yep. Yeah, I mean that was you know that you, what you Carl and I and and, and everyone sat down and, and kind of just kind of spitballed and brainstormed a little bit and, and it just seemed like a good fit. Totally, and it was. And so if if that was two thousand seven, we we dropped the record two thousand eight, right? Yep. Yep. So for us, I feel like that was a perfect perfect move. Bridge Nine for, for the uh, the built in crowd that Bridge Nine had at the time, the people that have been following H two O for many years and waiting for H two O. And with the kind of record we wanted to make and the timing and then with Chad producing, actually knowing the band and knowing what he loved about the band, he told us, like, I just want to make a record and bring out the best parts of H2O that I love. And um, and I, I feel like that record did that. We're really lucky that, you know, for that time frame that people didn't forget about us or not care about us anymore. They actually were still around, kind of waiting. So when it came out, it was, I guess it was our comeback record, you could call it. You know what I mean? Because the last record people... Hate it. It's funny, I talked about that with Hans yesterday, is that people hated the Go record, but now people love it and they beg us to play songs off it. But back then, the message boards and what label, and what label you were on was so important that that's people, whatever label you're on or whatever, people love to talk shit and they kind of judged you by the label, regardless if the music was crap or not. Um, but anyway, so yeah, with, so here we are now, it's fucking 10 years later, since Nothing to Prove dropped. And um, we brought we did a covers album with you, and we did uh, use your voice also, which I love that record. Um, so yeah, we've had a long we've had this like the longest we've had with somebody, you know. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even call it a comeback record. I mean, like the record itself was such a great reintroduction, I think, because you hadn't okay. had an album at the time. Yeah, you guys were still touring and, and playing out. It's not like you went on hiatus came back seven years later. I mean, you guys That's are still true. very active, right? Yeah. But I'm saying as far as like a record that people were excited about, you know what I mean? Because the last one had been like FTTW, which is 1998. So that's 10 years later. It's crazy, man. Or 99. 99. Okay, 99. My bad. Still, though, it's fucking... You you know what was crazy was when we realized people were going off harder for the songs off Nothing to Prove than they were, you know, the hits. On any of the records. Yeah, still to this day, it's fucking... Especially like overseas and stuff. That record had a, connected really well, man. So um, I want to th thank you for that too, for believing in us and meeting with us and reaching out to us because we were talking to some people at the time. I don't even know how shit went down. But like we we known you throughout the years also. You know what I mean? So it's like I think it really – I think the well, time – go ahead. I feel like it was a, a perfect – like we found each other at the same – like in, in like the perfect spot where – Bridge Nine, I mean, when you started, you know, H2O was, was, was much bigger than Bridge Nine was when we both started, right? I mean, you guys kind of had a, you know, you know, in the 90s, you know, you had the opportunities with Epitaph, and Bridge yeah. Nine, at the top, you know, seven inches of local bands. Yeah. You know, and over the years, we got to the point where, you know, we were able to handle a band like H2O, and, and we had that, you know, we had our kind of like fan base and, and connection with hardcore kids, but... You know, we had the distribution and the the reach that a band like H2O needed. And we're still, like, as a label, we were more kind of boutique style, where, you know, we're not the, we weren't the biggest label in, in 2008, but we were able to give you, you know, the attention to detail that you needed. I mean, I remember you guys, yeah. you know, 
on that Stevens Rock show and joking about how you can call me at any time, and you have ever since. It's true. You know, <laughs> it's been a good, yeah. It's been a, it's been a good balance where you look. Know, I I've told you I was a fan of H two O before you know um, I even started the label. I think, or, or honestly, right at the beginning of the label starting. I mean, I've never seen you guys with Siv, you know, and on that one of those early tours. Um, and I, I I think that it was just a good opportunity for us to be able to work hard for you and for you guys to be able to have like the attention that you deserved. Yeah, and we got that too because we were coming from, I talked about that with Hans too, we were coming from a place where, you know, we signed with MCA with Hans who had been following our career from before Blackout through My Brother's Been Out Crowd. And as soon as we signed MCA, it was like a hundred different fucking people we had to talk to to get it fucking any kind of questions answered or anything. It was like so many chains of command and all that shit. And with you, I'd say up directly, text you, and we're friends. I consider you a friend. You're part of the family. And like, we, have, we haven't even have, we didn't have a contract with you now, not, I mean, how long now? And we still do stuff with Bridge and I because we're a family. And, and that, that, that speaks a lot of volumes, a lot of volumes for you as a person and as your label, you know, and like, that we actually became really good friends from this and everything worked out great. Even though it was business also, the fact that we're still doing business with you with nothing signed speaks so much about you, Chris. And so I appreciate you being part of the H2O history, you know? And I, I realized and greatly appreciate that. I mean, it's, it really has been a pleasure working with you guys. I mean, it's hard to believe that it has been, you know, 11 years since that kind of sit down um, to talk about nothing to prove. Yeah, but, it's crazy. And then... I mean, we didn't even know what to expect with nothing to prove what would happen with it. I don't even know if we put out, did we put out a seven inch first, like with 95 on it and something else? Yeah, yeah we, we did the seven inch. And it's funny, I mean, I, I, I vaguely remember you guys talking about how, like, we're not going to be touring a lot, but, you know, we're going to try and do things here and there. And then you literally went from, you know, I mean, how many shows did you play in support of nothing to prove? Because I feel yeah. like it was. Ten times more than you guys were planning on. Anywhere. We have not stopped touring. It's ten years later. We we, it, we have not stopped. Man, it's, it's crazy. You're right. We're like, yeah, we're going to take it easy, do this and that. And then and then we just, just fucking, the record connected, and we started going back to Europe because we kind of like, didn't we slept on Europe so much at the beginning. We just, we really started hitting Europe a lot when this record came out too. And um, that also has to do with like, you, you actually getting the record out in Europe everywhere. You know what I mean? So, um yeah, man, we've been nonstop since, man. It's been really, really fucking awesome. So, uh, yeah, man. And then studio, you came out for the studio too, didn't you? Uh, not for nothing to prove. I did come down uh, for use your voice. That's right. That's right. But you, I mean, but we we've yeah. been like, we've been going strong, just like you've been going strong the whole time with your label. So it made sense. Plus, I'm born in Massachusetts, so I had to really, really go back to my roots. <laughs> So, I mean, your, 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 the seven inch we did, I think, was Bridge Nine's, um, like, 88th release, I think. Wow. And, and nothing Approved so was, I think, our 92nd release. Holy shit. I mean, shit. We, we're up to, like, we're pushing 300 now. Jesus um, Christ. You know, in terms of releases. So, like, it, it's, 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 Bridge Nine has been, you know, a significant part of H2O's life as a band. Um, but similarly, like H2O has been a huge part of, our, of Bridge Nine. I mean, we've, we've put out probably more releases with H2O than any other band. And a lot wow. of them are for fans of, you know, like Seven Inches and like, you know, like um, reissues and vinyl reissues. But I mean, I feel like we've done like a dozen vinyl releases for H2O over the so years. So many, man. Whether it's, yeah, whether it's like, you know, limited to 500 Seven Inch, you know, um, or... 
you know, like a repress or like, you know, like a full album. Yeah. It's crazy, man. That's so yeah, probably the most releases ever ever with you compared to yeah, obviously because we only did three before that. Oh, four we yep. did to go, but um, yeah, man. So yeah, so that's fucking a big chunk of our career with Bridge Nine over ten years. It's pretty amazing, man. So yeah, I appreciate that, Chris. I appreciate uh, still working with you and and everything we've done in the past and and being part of H Two O's uh, life and. Uh, yeah, man. Much love to you and Bridge Nine, Chris. Oh, thank you very much. I'm psyched you're doing this podcast. I feel like you've been the one person that podcasts were made for. Uh, <laughs> I'm finally I'm doing it. And it. I'm finally doing it now. I'm obsessed with it, especially this this one because this is pretty thorough. I've already now that I talked to you, I've talked to Hans who signed us to MCA. I've talked to uh, Matt Wallace who produced the Go record. I've talked to Mark Hall. I've talked to Vaughn. I'm hoping to speak next up to Bill Wilson today, and then also to Brett Gowitz. So it's gonna be like really in depth um, H2O episode, man. Bye. I'm excited. I'm trying to make it super factual, uh, all the timing right, keep it like chronological. Everything I'm trying to do with the podcast is trying to be like that, starting with my mom, my brothers, and then my band, and then see what happens next. But uh, yeah, man, uh, I'm doing it. Bye. But thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Happily, if, yeah, if you have any other further questions, just me up. All right, bro. I'll speak to you soon. All right, cool. Thanks, Toby. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, please rate, review, uh, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. And whatever platform you are listening to this on, I'm glad you found me. You can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the next one.